the Vintage Rebellion podcast. I'm Richard Hutchinson and I'm your host for episode 103, Strap In for Galaxy Tours. Join me as always is Peter Davis. Good evening, Pete. All right, Richard. It feels like years since we met at Celebration. Years. It was a long time. Pete, how were you after the Celebration Blues? <laughs> well, I got the, the Celebration crud the first time ever. Well, it wasn't, you know, it was just, it was a rubbish cold. It was like a cold, you didn't feel ill, but you had the symptoms and just felt a bit kind of like crap. I mean, it wasn't even a good crap, just crappy crap. But yeah, apart from that, okay. Well, speaking of crap, next on the list is Andy Spoons and Orton. Good evening, Andy. Good evening, Richard. I had the, uh, had the same as Pete. Yeah, two weeks of <sighs> sniffly nose and a sore throat. Oh, I got fed up with that. But sniffly noses. Of- didn't get any time off work or anything. Huh. Andy, what one thing did you not do at Celebration that you wish you had? Oh, that's a good question. It is. I would have liked to have seen more of the panels in the university stage. So Pete and I saw one yeah. there by, uh, by chance as much as anything to find a, a comfy seat. <laughs> and, uh, and it was really good. And it was a really yeah. good venue. And it was cut totally off my radar, so I would have seen more talks there. It was about archaeology, wasn't it? And all that sort of it, was, it was, yeah. It, it was, what was it called? The Archaeology of Indiana Jones, or Archaeology and yeah. Star Wars. Anyway, it was Indiana Jones and great Star Wars links. It was really interesting and very amusing, too. Yeah, it was good. It was a good presenter. It's good evening, Jason Smith. Hello, hello, hello. How are you doing? Jason, is Japan on the cards? Yes, it is. Yeah, I've uh, I've only been once before, and that was back in about the year 2000 when I went over with work to Tokyo. I went out in Roppongi, which is where all the expats go drinking. I did that four nights in a row and then came home. So it would be nice to go to celebration out in Japan, and it would be nice to kind of see a bit more of the surrounding area. So I'm, I'm well up for that, yes. Well, you see, that's what stopped me from going, because I was all up for Japan at first. And then I was talking to Brian Cameron and he said um, there's a lot of Japanese don't speak English and it can be difficult. And then when I looked at Japan with my wife, we decided, you know what, there's not enough there to do to make it kind of a holiday. I've had to settle for going to Tunisia in Easter 2024, which is definitely happening. So that's going to be my uh, thing. No offence, Rich, but is Brian Cameron really the best tour guide for Japan? <laughs> well, he's, I mean, he's been there multiple times. Yeah, it's a bit of a sweeping statement. There's yeah. nothing to do in Japan. I know. Well, it's, it's not that there's nothing tours, to do. It's, just, it's not exciting. Really, it's not exciting. <laughs> there's land, there's bullet trains, there's that big mountain thing. Uh-huh. 
This Pokemon. And is that you complaining about people can't speak English, Rich? Yes, yeah. exactly. Well, Andy, you've just piped up there, so next we'll find Andy Preston. Good evening, Andy. Good evening, Rich. Andy, did you do anything special for May the 4th? Uh, well, it was a work day, so uh, not really. Oh, yes, I, I bid on some lovely items at CNT Auctions, and I was lucky to win a couple of them. Missed out on a few, which I was a bit disappointed by, but uh, I'm hoping within the next week or so my acquisitions will come through, and I can explain them all to you in the next podcast. So your excitement was going to work and bidding on some items. What a wonderful life you lead. Oh, I tell you what, the fun never stops. Well, over to the intro. So this this has been bugging me for quite a while now. So I was looking at the intro and I thought nobody's put a topic in here. So I've put one in there. So I'm going to go all the way back to Celebration Chicago. Now, in Celebration Chicago, there was a guide organised by the SWCA, and it's a wonderful guide. I really liked it, uh, contributed to it. I think, Jason, you probably did as well. And what it did was it highlighted many Star Wars collectors. Uh, lots of good information in there, collecting habits, um, names that we all know in the hobby, and many of them we now call friends. But it was one of the questions on there um, that was asked to people contributing it that got me thinking. And the only reason it actually started to get me thinking was when I opened it and read others' responses. And the question was on the line, along the lines of, what year did you become a Star Wars collector? So I was absolutely bemused when I opened it up and the first time it was 1976. So I thought, right, that's interesting. Somebody is a Star Wars collector before Star Wars even came out. Now, somebody like Stephen Sansweet or somebody like that could, you know, quite legitimately i think call themselves a collector from possibly even that early on but then when i looked further ahead there were so many collectors i put 77 78 and most stopped about 1982 so my entry for this was probably somewhere in the mid 1990s i guess i would have probably put 93 94 down and that's because for my interpretation of this question I could not legitimately say I was a Star Wars collector when I was two, three, four, five year old and I'm starting to get these toys because although I acquired the items and played with them, for my own interpretation of the word collector, I couldn't legitimately myself call myself a collector. Now, if when I was two, three, four, five year old, I was actually starting to get that whole, I need the full set and I want to keep these for the future and, and, and the, fair enough I could possibly see that argument. But I was astonished at the amount of collectors who have put themselves down in this in this booklet as being a Star Wars collector from some of them when I checked they, you know, how old they were, three months old. So my question to you guys in, and I'm really interested in your input here, and I don't think there is a right or wrong answer on this question, other than you can't be Star Wars collector before you're born, which I suspect one or two of them actually did put in there. Can you really call yourself a collector when you played with toys as a kid, or is that a separate thing entirely? So, question to you guys, I'm going to come to Pete first, because I think you're going to be controversial. When... Can you call yourself a Star Wars collector? Can you go back to 1978 and honestly say you were a Star Wars collector? I think you can, Richard, because, you know, kids do collect stuff. They put stuff in scrapbooks. They have stuff on their walls. Whether they were 
yeah, I understand your question. It, it can be controversial. I think yes, you can definitely do it because I know you know there's I know kids when I was at school who collected all sorts of stuff. You know, might have been stamps, might have been all sorts. So yes, you could have been. I think most people would have been like me, played with your toys. So I don't call that a collecting habit. That's just I want the toys. Give me the toys. You know, I mean, I think collecting is a different thing than being bought toys. Um, in terms of when I started, if you want to know that, Richard, I think I can. I'm just trying to think back to my college days, so in the early '90s, and people because they knew I was a Star Wars nutcase, and we'd always talk about Star Wars all the time. People did buy me stuff, so or they'd give me, oh look, here's an article for a magazine, or here's some piece of tat I've got. Do you want it? And when I got a job, that all appeared on my desk. So I remember getting. I can't, I don't, I, I guess it must have been a vintage Darth Vader pen topper because I don't think there was any modern ones out at that time. Someone got it from like a flea market in America and said, oh, do you want this? And then another friend bought me the Empire Strikes Back vinyl album from, a, again, from a flea market. Not in the greatest condition, I still got it. And those were probably the first kind of Star Wars items I got and then started going on the modern crusade of Power of the Force 2 figures. So... To answer your question, Richard, yes, you can. Not, I don't think you can be a collector when you're three months old. That's your parents doing it or your family. Um, but definitely as a kid, yes. You know what? I'll let you scrapbook answer because I think that is showing some kind of collection as in I am preserving this in some way. So I do like that. Okay, I, th- I think you may have us on that one. Is it preserving, Richard? Well, not preserving, he... but as in, like, archiving it in some kind of yeah. format, as opposed I'm to it think... in the bin. Yeah, I'm just trying to think why I stuck things in scrapbooks. I, I, I mean, we did a, me and my brother did a football one, where we just collected football reports of, of I don't know why, race, Racing Club Warwick, because they started, it started again. My brother had a Leamington FC one from the 80s. And we just, I don't know, just like to, I don't know, I guess... There's some gene in, in men, we've always talked about this, to just kind of keep hold of stuff. Um, archiving? Don't know. What, can you do that as a kid, archiving? Or is it just getting hold of stuff? You know, a theme, keeping a theme. Don't know. Someone else can answer that. Now, Jason, you were in your early 20s when Star Wars came out, so legitimately, if you, if you actually purchased these items and kept them with the intention of preserving them, I would accept that you're a collector. But what's your thoughts on that? I was about eight when Star Wars came out, not 20. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, for me, when I was a kid, I, I was a collector. I collected stamps and I had an album and, you know, I had to have sets of things and coins and other things. And for my Star Wars, I had to have the first 12 Star Wars figures. So, you know, I did I did manage to c- complete that set. It was difficult because I was up in the north of Scotland and I had to wait until I came down, you know, holiday around the, the Midlands area to get my figures and then I d- decided it was too difficult to collect those and I wasn't going to get the next eight but I, I was a collector but if, if you've had a kind of massive gap between when you, you had toys as a kid and you kind of really seriously does it as an adult it's a bit much I think to say I've been a collector since 1978 it's like if you for me I started collecting in 2004 when I got my 12 figures out, I went, oh, Leia's lost a blaster. Then I got a blaster, and then I went, oh, I might get the next day. And then I got the next day, and then I got all the vehicles and play sets, and I started getting minting cards and cards, and, and that was it. I'm a collector. But before that, in that big gap, no. 
So for me, 2004. And I do know collectors who can legitimately say that they've been collecting, you know, their whole life. You know, Jason Joyner, I mean, as a teenager, there's like pictures of him with like, you know, big, massive loads of boxed vehicles and stuff. And then he started his shops and bought and sold stuff. So, I mean, he can legitimately claim that, you know, he's been a collector his whole life because he's never stopped. But, you know, for me, I had a big, massive gap of, you know, 20, 24 years or something. So there you go. Andy Spoon's come to you next because you're obviously the most preserved out of a lot of us. Um, and I mean that in a kind of looking after archaeological artefacts kind of way. What's your thought on when you can legitimately say that you were a collector? I, th- I thought yeah, that was going to be the nicest thing you'd ever said to me then, Richard. Um, but you, you pulled, That you was a lovely thing to say, Richard. It was lovely. Until, really sweet of you. Until he put it to uh, to archaeology. Do you know what? When when I saw this question, I was thinking, no, no one's a collector as a kid. But I'd started coming around to a similar way of thinking as uh, Pete. So I didn't think about the the scrapbooks. But just even with the figures, there's kids. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't me, but there were kids out there that would try and get every figure. Now, clearly, they, they want to play with them. They're not putting them on a shelf, most of them. But they want every figure. And that's not because they're like Medine or Lobot or any other character that gets maligned, although I'm a big fan of Lobot. It's because they just wanted to have every uh, to have every figure in that run. And so that, to me, is collecting. Yeah, it's not about preservation. It's not about archiving, but it's about a need to collect things. And in reality, are we actually that much different now? I mean, we talk about preserving these things for future generations, but surely the uh, the deep down sort of root of any collecting is because you want to own it. And that leads on nicely to when I started collecting, and I've talked about this on the show before. So 1991, as a student in Bradford, going round flea markets on kind of hungover Sunday mornings and seeing the old action figures that I, I used to own and had sold what felt like years before, but in reality was probably about six years before, uh, and seeing Luke, Luke Skywalker in Stormtrooper gear and, and not knowing what that was, not, never having seen that figure before. And I bought those figures because I enjoyed having them as a kid. They came back and sat on my shelf in my student halls. And that wasn't about preserving them for future generations or archiving them. That was because I wanted a set, a full set of vintage Star Wars figures that I never had as a kid. Is there a different term, perhaps, for a kid who's wanting all of these figures to cross them all off because they've seen them on the back of the card backs, but the intention is to play with them and then potentially sell them when they are 14, 15 year old? Or is that also a collector? I think that's also a collector, Rich, but perhaps in a different way. I don't know many kids who would be buying stuff and playing with it with an intention of selling it when they get to 14 or 15. I know a lot did. And personally, I I would say I was a collector as a kid, and particularly Star Wars, not a lot else. Um, I mean, I, I had lots of other toys. Um, I had cars and Lego and Action Man and stuff like that. But uh, Star Wars was the one that really appealed. And my Star Wars stuff for some reason you know that deep connection to the movies i kept my card backs i kept my boxed ships uh, i kept used sticker sheets i kept 
pretty much everything. And uh, I had drawers full of stuff that I saved, cinema tickets and TV times when Star Wars was first shown and, you know, anything. Uh, Sadly, a lot of that disappeared um, probably in a house move somewhere along the line. But uh, I would say I was collecting then. Certainly enjoyed playing with the figures. Um, But uh, the rest of it, it was an intention to keep it and hold on to it. You know, I, I, I don't see that as anything other than genuine collecting. Got to age of about 13, 14, decided at that point I was too old for Star Wars, stopped buying it. Um, so I didn't buy the last two series of the Jedi figures. But all my old stuff, all my figures, they stayed, um, you know, carefully packed up. Action Man was sold off or given away. Lego um dinky toys etc but star wars stuff i kept so when i got back into collecting which must have been around about 91 92 uh i was at university in reading went down to a little junk shop in the town um just poking around and found a box with old toys and in there i came across a nikto and a Klaatu skiff um hadn't got those figures didn't know about them um thought oh yeah it's nice i'll pick those up I haven't got those two. I'll put those with my others. Started looking into the possibility of completing my action figure set and uh, looked into it. And crikey, prices of some of those figures. 30, 40 pounds for a Luke Stormtrooper or a pop-up R2. I thought, oh, God, that's ridiculous. But uh, we, we all know what happens. I Yeah, I, I started buying them and the rest is history. So I did have a gap in my collecting between like I say, about age 14 and about age 21. But I wouldn't say I stopped liking it, enjoying it. Like I say, it was all packed away at home. And it was really a case of picking up where I left off. And certainly for adult life, um, I haven't stopped. I'd be really interested in what our listeners think about this. So please, can anybody listen to this? You know, just message, put a post on my Facebook wall, on Instagram, or send all your messages to Chris Port. Yes, that would be fun. Um, but I am, I am intrigued to find out what others uh, think of uh, the, the question, when did you first become a collector? In what age were you? Okay, then, so moving on to collect then. It's been quite a while since we recorded. We've had celebration. We've had... You know, lots of things like May the 4th, etc. happen. So, Andy, um, Andy Preston, I'll come with you first. And so, what items have you picked up this last seven weeks? I was going to say it's a long time, isn't it? Yeah, I've got a few nice bits going through my list. I'll start off with stuff that I've got uh, um, sort of through the post and on Facebook, etc. And then come on to celebration uh, pickups. So, first one is a bootleg mirror. Um, this features um, R2D2 and C3PO. It's a photographic image rather than a cartoony image. It's got the Star Wars logo uh, above the droids. And I think that is the very last in the series of UK bootlegs, apart from the ones that are based on the Pascal stickers. But uh, that's another story. I haven't got any of those. And uh, if, uh, if, if anybody out there's got a spare kicking about, then uh, do let me know. Uh, next one, a badge. And this is a bit of an unusual one. This is from Thames Valley Police. Uh, it says at the top, Thames Valley Police. It's got the Police Force logo, and it says, The Force is with you. So a little uh, addition to my uh, play on words on May the Force Be With You badge set. Uh, 
Uh, another bootleg next. Uh, this is a space battle target game. So, again, I've got a little run of these. Um, this is the third one now. And I had this one uh, off Carl Dix on Facebook. Thank you, Carl. This is a carded game with a blister. Um, and within the blister, you've got a little gun. You've got some targets. What I particularly love about this one is three of the targets are very clearly moulded off the top's candy heads. So you've got a Stormtrooper, you've got Chewie, and you've got C-3PO. So uh, uh, very, very much bootleg, but uh, absolute beauty. Next one, a fan club item, the fatigue jacket, Skywalker fatigue jacket that the fan club produced. So this is a replica of Luke's best bin jacket. Child size, far too small for me, but uh, still a nice pickup. Uh, I got a hand and chewy toothbrush, and this is a uh, British item. It's obviously manufactured in the States, but this one's got a big 10p off sticker. There's the British connection. Two HCF pencils, uh, a tag pencil featuring the droids, and then a square pencil featuring Han and Chewie. I think those up fairly cheap off eBay. A few more fan club bits, one that I've been chasing for such a long time, and this is a UK-exclusive pen featuring Darth Vader, and it's got a little secret compartment feature. So basically, when you turn the pen upside down, there's a little bit inside that slides down to reveal Vader and the Star Wars fan club logo. Turn the pen the other way up, and this little bit slides the other way and hides them. There were three of these produced. There was Vader, there was R2, there was 3PO. Extremely hard to come by, so very pleased to get that one. Uh, Also, the fan club newsletter issue number one from 1977 or very early 78, which, again, been chasing for a long, long time. So delighted with that. A fan club letter written from the United States fan club to a fan in Britain. And I would just love to see the original letter that he sent because he must have been having a right moan. This letter back is saying, you know, very sorry about your experience with the UK fan club. We'll try to do better. We haven't got the you know, this and that in stock, but uh, perhaps you'd be interested in having something else. Was uh, Spielberg going to be directing episode one? I mean, obviously thinking already towards prequels, and uh, no, they didn't know that. And then Cheeky Git, he must have asked if he could visit the set of Jedi, because the uh, fan club lady said in her letter back, uh, no, you can't visit the set of Jedi, it's a closed set. Even we in the fan club can't get on the set. So uh, I expect he was rather disappointed getting that reply. Next one, some more badges. Three uh, badges from the British Toy and Hobby Fair. This is where all the new toys are premiered, um, sold to uh, retailers, and uh, the Star Wars toys would all have been displayed there. So I've got the badges from 1980, 81, and 83. Two more badges, bootleg badges this time, and these are Star Wars badges. There's one featuring Vader and Captain Antilles on the Tantive 4 and it's got the caption, for the last time, where have you put my teddy bear? And then there's Han Solo on Hoth in the blizzard with the dead torn torn. And the caption there is, taxi, taxi. Episode one, a set of nine cast and crew patches. I've got most of these already. I think there was two that I needed, which I've been looking for for ages and uh, managed to pick up a full set for a decent price. So I'll have some of those spare to, to move on. And a chemistry clamp that would have clamped to a stand for you to put your flask in uh, over your Bunsen burner. Now, what's that got to do with Star Wars, you ask? Well, 
This was used as a manipulator arm for R2-D2 when he's in Luke's X-Wing and Darth Vader shoots one of the engines and R2's got to fix it. And also it was one of the appendages from the torture droid on the Death Star. So uh, nice little found prop. Uh, Obviously not screen use, but it's the same thing that they uh, used in the movie. Moving on to celebration pickups. Uh, You'll be pleased to hear not so many of those. I got a first issue Palatoy X-Wing sticker sheet. and That was from uh, Ben. Uh, Ben Potter, pleased with that. Actually still got a couple of the stickers still on there, so that's an upgrade to what I've got already. Also from Ben, I got some correspondence um, written, two letters actually, one written by 20th Century Fox, one written by the early fan club. Um, This was to a lady who'd written in to Fox asking about the fan club, and Fox wrote back to her saying, we've passed your letter on Uh, And the fan club also wrote back to her with details of the fan club and how she could join. So two letters, one on uh, fan club headed paper, one on 20th Century Fox headed paper. And the Fox letter came with an envelope with a Star Wars postmark, which I've never seen before. Uh, Very nice there. Uh, Room sales from uh, Jose del Toro picked up a Lily Leddy hard torso stormtrooper. Nice variant. From Pete, got an Ewoks jigsaw. Um, this is with the uh, the Ewoks all merrily sitting around playing musical instruments, and that's got the uh, the print still inside. And not a vintage item, but still a lovely thing. Couldn't resist it. A blue Snaggletooth cuddly toy. That is my lot, Rich. So quite a busy month for you then, Andy. Pete, go over to you next. Crikey, Rich. Just warm myself up there. Um, thanks. Uh, oof. Crikey. Oh, Jason. But when Jason starts, I might go for a, a long walk. Right. Um, I, yeah, you know what, Rich? Um, I didn't get that much of a celebration. There wasn't a lot of stuff to buy, but we'll come down later. But um, I got some nice things gifted to me. Mr. Porteous himself forced upon me this, this Slave Layer mini post, which I cannot remember the name of the, the firm that, that did it, but it was lovely. Um, he technically got me to pay for it, but he actually paid for it for me. And then uh, I just conned. I just told him that, that English money wasn't worth anything. He just paid it. <laughs> right. Then he also gave me a 7-Eleven cup with Slave Lear on it. And noticeably, Slave Lear, because um, she's only it's only a slightly kind of almost a bust of um, Slave Lear. She's been covered up with like a shawl, a see-through shawl, completely pointless because you can see everything. Very interesting. And I'm sure that the pictures will be online. I also got another Slave Lair item, so the third Slave Lair item of vintage nature. I got the American Marvel comic of Return of the Jedi with the Slave Lair on the front. Um, there's three. I think it's Luke, her, and Lando, I think. I can't remember. Off Mr. Um, the Twist Tatooine, I managed to get the Hand Carbonite Micro um, Collection sealed baggy thing, which is very nice. Um, I got my Gim Crack item from there as well. I also got a sort of modern item, this beautiful hand carbonite ingot uh, from a company, which is uh, very nice. He knocked me a couple of quid off because I gave him a poster, so that's always always amusing. That's a company called Merchoid. Uh, very nice, that was. Um, also, some Shadows of the Empire stuff. So, got the Prince Cheezor um, applaud statue and the, oh, what's the name? Dash Rendar little statue. Very cheap, again, I think, from Toys Tatooine, I believe. And also picked up a Shadows Empire German comic, which is very nice. And then some um, items of Amidala Episode 1 Tat. 
even got a Dutch item as well at room sales, which is very nice. And um, finally, it cost me probably a little bit more than I probably should have paid. It was about 15 quid, I think it was. A little bit hesitant to buy it, but I thought, you know what? You know, I haven't spent much on crap, so I'll buy this. So uh, Return of Jedi Punch Out and Make It book from Random House, which we'll come on to later. But I think I see uh, some swag items. Jason kindly uh, swapped a Death Star for some wonderful Amidala pin, well not pins, they're badges about the size of wagon wheels. Um, really, really big things. Really nice as well. Really nice. So thank you, Jason, for doing that. And um, I think and, uh, there was some, there was a couple of cracking. Swag. I think we come to swag later on, but uh, yeah, I picked up some really nice swag actually. Lovely swag. But I'm not going to go through it because I'll you'll lose the will to live. Then I think you should go to Jason because I need to go and to the toilet or something. Well, considering you said you didn't pick much up you certainly listed a lot of items eh pete i'm gonna to come to me next because i literally did not pick a lot up all i've purchased really is a, a lot of the missing idw and dark horse comics um from the mainly from the high republic series that i'm busy getting into at the moment before the third wave comes out but come on then let's get over to jason come on big boy what have you picked up yeah my collecting bug may have returned with bells and whistles on um may the 4th i I didn't order it from may the 4th but it arrived on may the 4th and it was a watch that i looked at in celebration at citizens watch stand i've got a lovely death star watch which i'm very happy with so that that that, because it arrived on may the 4th i was doubly happy with it moving to vintage empire strikes back metal box cylindrical bespin cloud city tin part of a set i'm putting together so i still need a, a yoda combo bank and um, one of the the space trunks um, to complete the set of that i've got a palator july 1978 general sales division price list now they had two versions of this price list the standard one which came out at the start of the year just has the Palatoy logo on it, but the the July 1978 reprint says July 1978 underneath the Palatoy logo. So there's actually four of these price lists to get because you've got you know both versions of the general sales division one and then one for retail sales division. Um, so I've got all of the paperwork now now for 1978 bar um, bar the the promotions booklet. So I'm still looking for that. I also got a, a cover letter that came along with that price list saying that they were putting the prices up in July, blah, 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 blah. That's a very nice letter. Um, I think a couple of podcasts ago, I said there was a new Palatoy cardback variation 65DG for a Darth Vader cardback. I've picked one of those up off eBay. It's got a little, it's got the name tag, name tag cut out, but I haven't got one, so I'm very happy with that. Now, I've only bought these for the Star Wars articles. I've got a vintage Knave Men's Adult magazine and a vintage Mayfair magazine, which featured in our uh, Best of British collecting track talk at Celebration. I thought, given that they were going to be, everybody in the, in the world was going to see them in the collecting world, I thought, I'll buy those off eBay before other people are aware of them. So I do have vintage... Vintage men's magazines now. Um, and then I got three three badges from um, Argentina 78, uh, the World Cup, when we went to Argentina and uh, Scotland went and England didn't qualify. So that's the May the Tartan Force Be With You badge. I've got one of these before, but this one came with another one that said Ali McLeod has a tartan lining and there was just one with a picture of Ali McLeod and it's saying Magic Ali. 
And for my get-up for the Collecting Track talk, I was dressed as a kind of Scottish CU Jimmy, Rabsy Nesbit kind of character. So I had those badges on. I've got the... Pete mentioned the Death Star. The Death Star was spag that we did back in Chicago. It was a little mini Death Star that went together, and there were like seven of us who sponsored it. It was designed by Mark Daniels, absolute genius. And we just thought for this celebration we were going to do it again. So it's just kind of a reskin of that featuring the Palatoy play sets. And I've got um, a flat of that. So that's before it's all pushed out the cardboard. I've got a nice one of those framed up on the wall. So I've got that next to the one that I had for Chicago, which I've got a flat for as well. So that was very nice. At celebration itself, I picked up a uh, boxed Palatoy Luke doll which I was very happy with. So I'm um, I'm looking for a layer now. So anyone knows of a layer doll in a box, I'll be very happy with that. I Celebration again, I got the C-3PO John Menzies competition leaflet uh, with um, the C-3PO carry case on the front. I'm very nice for that. And uh, from Chronique Vintage, Jean-Francois Roland, I got a copy of his... Vintage 1978 to 1985 Kenner Toyline book. So I'm very happy with that. That's joined my book collection. Then I got a Power Toy Star Wars Remote Controlled R2-D2 in a box with all the bits, all the, the little um, extra, you know, the instruction seat and the thing worn telling you about the batteries. All there. Very, very nice indeed. And then I've got a couple of framed medallion sets. So obviously medallions came back again at celebration this year and we hadn't seen any of those since you know um, back in the late 2000s when there was there was a set for celebration for a set for the first celebration europe and a set for the first celebration japan um and i was uh, i was a sponsor of the uh, the palatoy archive back then so i got two i ended up with two sets of the celebration europe so i thought now that medallions are back in um i wanted the celebration Four and the Japan set so somebody decided to sell up so I've got the original framed versions of those I'm very happy with them I've got a Harbit Landspeeder card back so I've got a kind of set of die cast card backs and I hadn't added to this in kind of quite a, quite a long number of years and I've got the Har- Harbit Landspeeder so um, there's a few more major kind of card backs that are missing but that's another one added to the set and then yesterday, a, pal- a boxed Palatoy Empire Strikes Back Yoda hand puppet arrived. And, ah, oh, it's just amazing. You put them in your hand and little Yoda's there. I was so pleased with that. The collection room's kind of full to overflowing. There's stuff all over the floor. So I got myself a new bookcase with five shelves and figured out that I could, I could kind of fit it along one of the walls with inches to spare. So I got five new shelves which I immediately filled with all the stuff that was lying on the floor. So I've got kind of like, um, I've got a Star Wars beer display now on one of the shelves, which is very nice. And then kind of cinema, pop, modern popcorn buckets and drinks holders and stuff like that on the next shelf. Then I've got vintage books and media and sticker boxes on the third shelf, vintage magazines on the fourth shelf, and then all my Star Wars reference books are on the fifth shelf. So I'm very happy with that. And uh, my uh, collecting room is actually stuffed full of furniture now, and there's just no space for anything else, I think. Uh, that's me. Wow, Jason, a lot of items, considering you've just got the bug back again. You've certainly come back with a vengeance. Andy Norton, come on, wrap this up, then I'm sure you've only bought one or two items, haven't you? Unfortunately not, Richard. It's been, yeah, been a busy, busy couple of months and i've not even bought that much at celebration really so first of all i need to apologize to mike haynes because 
uh, my first couple of items are free gifts. And the first one is an unpainted micro collection Hoth Rebel Soldier from Mike Haynes as featured on this podcast. Yeah, he, he found some extra ones and sent me that for free. So that was really kind of him. Um, and then our pal Old Yoda from uh, Echo Live, who gave us the, the really nice carded micro machine style Star Wars figures. He's made some resin pencil toppers so he did hand hoth one in blue which is like as in the the official pencil topper and one in brown now they don't have any holes in the bottom of them so you can't put them on the pencil not to be confused with real ones uh, they're really nice though, and he's carded those so he sent me one of each of those just free in the post chatting to him on instagram and lastly our friend carl dennis he bought himself a set of cups as used by cassian andor's mum uh, and sent me one of those in the post. So that's in my that's in my cabinet now. That's really nice. Thank you, Carl. Uh, in terms of stuff I bought, uh, I bought myself a set of sealed letter set envelopes. The ones, uh, the uh, the picture of the I think it's C3PO and R2 on the front. I had some loose ones of those, so uh, it's nice to get a sealed pack. Continuing down the awful path that that Pete's led me, these uh, Shadows of the Empire cards. I bought a promo card for those, but not uh, not strictly vintage, but it's very old now. A uh, little uh, special item for me. I've completed my Empire Strikes Back diecast run, so I picked up a Y-Wing from uh, a chap in the States and also treated myself to uh, an acrylic case for it from uh, from Christian. So uh, they've gone together nicely. Yeah, that's a nice, nice run to complete that with the diecast. Just yesterday... Or was it the day before? I've been after one of these for years and never actually pulled the figure. This pulled the figure, pulled the trigger. This is a Polish bootleg Han Hoth, but one of the ones on the sprues that they weren't so essentially was never made after it came on off the production line, which is say production line, it's a couple of moulds in someone's shed. But uh, yeah, I've never never had one of those. Always wanted one. And approached out of the blue. Third party had one for sale, so uh, made that deal. So that was uh, Chris Caswell who uh, who set that up for me. So thanks, Chris. It was yeah, appreciate your time. It was quite a painful transaction at times, but Chris did did great, I think, for me and the uh, and the seller. And a rather odd item: a Steve Scout grappling hook. Now, what's a Steve Scout grappling hook? I hear you say, but well, Steve Scout grappling hook is a Kenner's a kind of like an action man type figure but the grappling hook is what the 12 inch Luke Skywalker's grappling hook is based on and there was one for sale on Facebook and I rather overpaid for it being a little bit of a, a dunce and not noticing that it was uh, not silver but grey um, but I thought actually it's a nice little bit of toy history so uh, I've kept it I put it with my Luke because he's still missing a grappling hook but I'll, I'll get a proper one at some point uh, but yeah it's uh, an interesting item but much more squashy as well than the real one and just this week this weekend uh, finally got a Palatoy Droid Factory R2-D2 with his third leg to go with my set so I'd had a, a spare Kenner one to go with that just to, just as a placeholder so i've got that one now and a few spares which actually i don't know if they've arrived yet at andy um I, i'm not i wasn't listening totally to andy i had to go out for a wee uh, and then thank you jason because we're moving on to celebration europe now one of the few vintage star wars items i have from my childhood is an empty hanhoth 
Star Wars eraser holder. It's the green lime-scented eraser. The lime eraser's long since gone. And Jason was send, selling a little bit of a beta one, no lid, but had the lime green eraser. So I've, I've taken that and put it with my childhood ones. It is complete once more. Uh, also got the... Uh, um, the gim crack which i won't go into now but treated myself to the large size action transfer set the sarlat pit from nick dykes one of i believe that's the cheapest item nick dykes has ever sold i think that one but um so i haven't got those large size ones and from billy galaxy who was uh who was camped next to the leicester vintage toy store i i did a bit of a, a swap and purchase so i got myself a maruka keshigomu sealed land speeder eraser so i've got a few of those loose so it's my first sealed one but that, that's very nice now i almost forgot i've been after gus and duncan's comprehensive guide to star wars collectibles since 2020 but the postage over here is absolutely ridiculous uh, and i was lucky enough to check in on the celebration europe chat on one of the facebook group or messenger groups and noticed that duncan had the last one for sale so i quickly put my arm up and uh, i got got a book of him it's a heavy old thing and thanks to our very own chris porsches for uh, for keeping that safe for me uh, and lastly from there not not vintage but worth a mention because they are absolutely crap i got myself uh, an exclusive limited edition armorous hammer bottle opener from the celebration europe store it doesn't actually open bottles it's absolutely rubbish and uh, they've sent most people to i believe looking at the comments on online and i think that's probably just to get rid of them i also treated myself to a, a 40th anniversary return of the jedi t-shirt and last but not least uh, straight after Celebration Europe was an almost as good and spectacular Doncaster Toy Fair, where uh, I know I know his name. He's an Echo as well. Nice friendly chap. I treat myself to the second issue catalogue, the Star Wars catalogue that goes with the box diecast. So I got one of those to go with my box X-wing, and that is me. I've got to say, guys, it's only been seven weeks, but we've certainly, or yous have certainly, bought a hefty amount of stuff. Um, fantastic, and a great, great mix of different items, and nice to see some toy stuff in there as well. Speaking of toys, I think it's time to move on to action figure face-off, so let's have a look at the list here. Ooh, this is an interesting one, because, um, well, let's face it, they're all crap, um, with possible exception of one. So... We've got Andy Preston with Greedo. Well, Andy, because you're like the British kind of, you know, collector, do you refer to it as Green Greedo or do you just call it Greedo? You better wait for my uh, talk, Rich. Oh. We've got Andy Norton with the Emperor. We've got Jason. I call him, I call him Grey Emperor. Dear Grey Emperor. We've got Jason with Anakin Skywalker. And we have Pete bringing up the rear with 2-1-B. That's where his stick is pointy stick if you don't, like, get cheeky about it, Richard. Oh, right. Come on, then. We'll start off with Andy Preston, and we'll just go in that order. Take it away with Green Greedo. Thank you, Rich. Yes, indeed. Green Greedo, as he's known to British Pelotoy collectors. He was named Green Greedo in the Palatoid Retailer product catalogue. In the comic advert drawn by uh, 2000 AD artist Brian Bolland, 
Uh, also, Brian Bolland's Palatoy drawing competition in the comics. And also Green Greedo on the Palatoy Cantina special offer box. So, uh, yes, to a generation of British kids, he is not Greedo, but Green Greedo. In the States, he was originally included in the Cantina Adventure set. Uh, one of the first figures from the uh, next, from the uh, eight second Star Wars release to be sold there. But his first card appearance, as we know, was on the Star Wars 20-back card. He appeared on so many cards in the States. He was on five different Star Wars cards. He was on six different Empire, sorry, eight different Empire cards, three different Jedi cards, but he did not make it to Power of the Force. In the UK, Palatoy cards, he's on the 20-back Star Wars, the 45A-back Empire, the 45B and C Jedi, and the hybrid Jedi Front Tri-Logo back card. There's a bit of an oddity. Also to be found on Kenner Canada, Meccano, Clipper, General Mills and Harbert cards. There's a lot to get your teeth into if you're a Greedo collector. On those card backs, or certainly the early ones, he's pictured with a Stormtrooper blaster. Those naughty chaps at Kenner, they got that wrong because, of course, he was packed with the Smuggler blaster. Now then, vintage Greedo. He's got a very accurate head sculpt. He's got his pointy ears, his radar antennae, his pouting lips, his spiny mohawk, his lumpy skin. The rest of his sculpt also, uh, well, no, not so accurate. But you can't blame Kenner for that. You can blame Lucasfilm for not providing better pictures. And Kenner did their best. Look at him, his snazzy green jumpsuit and his blue-green space boots. Now, all vintage figures have got some variations, as we know, but Greedo has only got one major variation, and this is what you often see referred to as the Tri-Logo version, available in many parts of Europe. This was moulded in a richer green plastic. Not too easy to spot with the untrained eye, but you can pick it out by its lack of COO stamp. I hear there's one documented example of Greedo with blue spray application as opposed to the regular aqua green, but we don't know whether that's legit or how scarce that might be. So Greedo, the cantina character that had the most to do in the movie, a scene with Han Solo, a speaking role. But Rich, did he shoot first? I'll leave you to decide. Green Greedo for the win. Did you just say Greedo had the most to do in the movie? When you what, what are you comparing that to? Of the of the Cantina characters. Ah, right. Yeah, you, you should have qualified that. I'm not going to couple of points off you for that. Yeah. Right, Andy Norton then, the Emperor. The Emperor. Now we are talking about a proper character. Did you know that the Emperor as a character is as old as time? He's been around since before the films were even released. A little bit of a history lesson here. In 1976, George Lucas wrote Star Wars from the adventures of Luke Skywalker. And we got a sneak preview of the plot of The Phantom Menace months before Star Wars came out. Rebel Scum says the book's prologue was the Journal of the Wills, which we all heard of, but I didn't know this, which for the most part is all about pug ugly here. 
facts are kooky. That's very much rebel scum words rather than mine. Now, we all love the Emperor. I clearly remember him arriving as a mailway. Mine came, from, I think, from a flyer in a shop, maybe. Andy might be able to help me here. Possibly a comic ad in Whoopi. But he arrived in his signature white box. But did you know the mailway was first off an offer on the US Return of the Jedi 65C and the Canadian Return of the Jedi 65B cards before it came out in the 77 back? But... There's a thought that he was so in demand that some of the orders were fulfilled by sending out carded figures. I didn't know this. Spaceclub.com, to my research, says you can find 77 back emperors with a proof of purchase blacked out in marker or void stamped on the back. So they think that they were sent out rather than the uh, the baggy figures. Very interesting. Now, the emperor was produced using at least two different sculpts. Got the dark grey robes, hence he's known as the grey emperor, like Green Rito, with vague hands or light grey robes with detailed hands now the robe is great the face is great he's got his piercing yellow eyes and wrinkly face it's really well done and can the emperor dance yes he can the boy can move check out the images on rebel scum richard he's amazing now no peace loving kid wanted their action figures to come with a gun they wanted a walking stick and the emperor didn't disappoint unless you were mexican Fun fact, Lily Leddy Emperors came with Chief Chirper's staff. Must have been a spoil of the Battle of Endor. Now, there's not too much variation in the cards, but an Anakin offer sticker on the Emperor card is a very good combo. Now, the Power of the Force cards look the business too, and for lovers of ships or lovers of our live podcast at Celebration, check out Palpatine hitching a ride on Vader's shuttle on the shuttle box art. But for me, it's the Tri-Logo that wins. Big regret selling a total beta that i got a car boot in the early 90s as we first started collecting as we were talking about before now it popped up on facebook a couple of years ago it's guaranteed the same card it was so battered recognize it anywhere i was really see pleased to see it hadn't been new graded but i'll let this emperor sum his figure up he's not just good he's excellent that was really really passionate there andy i did like that considering you had quite a tough sell uh, but yeah well researched i enjoyed that andy Jason, is this just the Emperor's lesser half? Anakin? Oh, little orphan Annie, as we should probably uh, refer to him as. What can we say about um, Anakin? Um, It's a figure that never actually existed in the film. Um, The the only time you see this particular action figure, he's he's a kind of forced ghost. Maybe it should have been one of those blue see-through kind of action figures. What might have been more fun is if they'd actually done, instead of doing the Anakin figure, if they'd done Darth Vader with his helmet off, which is the only other time you see this actor. But then George Lucas decided to replace him in one of the special editions and they stuck Christian Hayden in. So he kind of disappeared altogether. So um, a bit of a loose figure all, as, as it goes, but he's still, you know... He's he's little orphan Annie, and you've, Rich, you've got to consider that, you know, if you if if he doesn't win this action figure face-off, you're you're basically saying that you don't like orphans or people who've come from a disadvantaged background. And and little orphan Annie, how how disadvantaged was he? You know, he is 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 kind of teacher and mentor, chopped his arms and legs off, and then roasted him like a barbecue on a on a lava planet. You know, so. You know, we should we should really kind of look out for little Annie. And uh, in terms of what what you can get as a collector, it's a very kind of small, neat focus. You've got your tri logo because he's one of the last seventeen, or you've got your power of the force with a little coin, and um, that's really it. As far as the figure goes, 
Yeah, you don't need blasters, you don't need little walking sticks, because Annie's just got the force, or he's just an orphan and he can't really afford anything else. So, once again, little orphan Annie, you know, everyone needs a bit of sympathy, you know, and, like, you should really vote for little orphan Annie, and if you don't, you don't like orphans, Rich. Consider that. Well, you're going to lose quite quite a bit of points here, Jason. First of all, you're losing points for seeing Christian Hayden. Uh, the actor's called Hayden Christiansen, but you you, you know you, you had a good you had a good attempt at that. You also ripped into him at the start before you even started to build him up. And um, orphan Annie, I'm pretty sure he had a mum. So sure that's he, harsh. Yeah, he's he, 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 he died. <laughs> he, he had a mum. Yes, fair enough, they were both slaves, but I don't, I don't call this, them an This orphan. is the best takedown ever, Richard. I mean, yeah, keep going, Rich, it's quite fun. He's an orphan. <laughs> he had me be an orphan who's got a mother. And, <laughs> you're, just... thinking of, you're thinking well, of. I think, um, well, I think you'll find all orphans have mothers. Film, isn't it? With tomorrow, what's the. It, it's probably called Annie, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. He, he's thinking they're Annie. Are you, are you talking about the right character here, Jason? But, it's sorry. hard, not life. When he took Vader's helmet off, Luke took Vader's helmet off, and there was a shock of if ginger ringlet. <laughs> In fact, Pete, that's the image. That's the image for this the one, right? <laughs> ginger hammer. <laughs> right, quite disturbing. Pete, take it away and wrap this up with 2-1-B. 2-1-B, Richard, the medical droid. Robot surgeon the alliance programmed to perform operations with precision that is on his coin um he was anyway i'll come to it in a minute but he's one of the leading leading characters in star wars that we have forgotten about um originally packaged apparently as 21b as in the letter the number two dash and then a one and a b on a 41 back i'm sure jason will tell me i'll forget this wrong and then 21b on a 48 back but spout TWO, 1, and then B. And then spout on a, a Return of Jedi 48 back, 2, T-O-O, 1B. So someone obviously got that badly wrong. Um, of course, we all know he has a lovely medical staff, a medical staff, not a pointy stick. So just remember that before you uh, get excited, excited about it, um, which is a unique weapon, obviously. And he also has his mouthpiece, which I remember using as a... Um, a kind of an oxygen tank, really, because obviously a see-through middle part. But if you wanted to put him into uh, various bands from Star Wars, in the Cantina Band, maybe, or Jabba's Palace Band, it does look like, if you pull it out of his mouth, it does look like an old-school microphone. So he can get out there and be very, very groovy. Also, here's a fact. Did you, How many eyes does 2-1-B have? The answer, four. He, if you look into his sockets, he has two little eyeballs in each socket. So there's something for you to go and have a little look at. Absolutely amazing. Found out today. So I've never really looked at my 2 on b figure because that's one of those things. He's also been as a character around since the Old Republic. So around for years. Uh, voiced by Denny Dalk, who also played Wicket the Ewok. So there's a, there's a thing. And um, the big question on T1B, does he have legs? Well, the answer is yes. If you do a bit of searching around, you will find that the original model did have two legs, but he didn't have feet, never had feet. 
and kind of like skirting around kind of like a skateboardy thing uh, from uh, production pictures. So poor lad, never had feet, so they made those up for the action figure. But I just want to put the case across for 2-1-B as a character. Now, we dismiss him. How many times do we ever talk about 2-1-B outside of Jason acquiring 2-1-B merchandise? Uh, well, if you listen to the radio dramas... He has a lot of lines with Luke Skywalker and he's given advice. He's having a chin wag. He's the go to guy throughout the, 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 the last two films. This guy knows his stuff. He's a he's a brilliant. He's a philosopher. He's a philosopher of Star Wars. You know, don't underestimate 2-1-B. Also, of course, he didn't just appear in Empire Strikes Back. He also appeared in Return of the Jedi or his model did being torn apart in Jabba's Palace. But yeah, I just want to put it out there. 2-1-B is not some side character. 2-1-B is a fundamental character in Star Wars. Pete, it's supposed to be 90 seconds, not 90 minutes. Yeah, well, I don't care. He deserved it. He deserves it. I, General I can see, 2-1-B. I can see Jason and Pete have colluded, haven't they? Wow. Jason wanted 2-1-B I, I, to win. I, I didn't say anything to Pete about this. I, I did. I he wouldn't give me anything. Show. That was it. Right, well, I'm, I'm, I'm wiping Jason out for a start because I'm not having that Anakin to be classed as an orphan. You me out, then you're I'm not having that. Shmi, you don't, you don't Shmi like died when like Anakin was like 24 years old, right? So I'm, I'm not having the fact that he was an orphan. So wipe it out, Jason. Now, Greedo, <laughs> I don't know, Andy, normally you're really passionate and into it, but I just didn't feel it this month from you. So... Yeah, and plus you also try to stick the boot in there right at the end, so yeah, we'll take you out as well. Oh, so that leaves Andy Norton and Pete, and I've got to say both of them were really, really passionate, but, 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 oh, and really well researched as well, which is always a bonus, but I'm going to have to go with Pete on this one, oh, because course. I think the radio dramas, and he, he's absolutely right, the interaction between 2-1-B and uh, look on the radio dramas, it just brought back lots of happy memories for me, that one, and I think Pete, you know, you really sold that character well, and I have to say, I actually liked 2-1-B, even as a kid, I liked these mouthpiece and the fact it was detachable. Yeah. Rich, did you ever try Philip's middle? I didn't try to fill up his middle, no. Oh, I, 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 for a little while, I tried to fill up his middle. I remember breaking it <laughs> by trying to fill up his middle with water because I thought it looked really cool with like a fish tank mm. in his middle part. But what do you never. do when his little mouthpiece pops out of your mint on cards? I've got quite a few that have done that. You just took like hanging there. Just, quite annoying. Yeah. That, 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 that would annoy point. me. And that little that little mouthpiece, Pete. You say it looks like a microphone. It is a microphone. Well, that's exact. That's exactly what they yeah. used on the prop. Well, exactly. That's why I said as, it. As I say, we used to play him out. He was called Elvis in our house, and he was always singing with that. So that's exactly how he was played in the Norton household. The Norton household enjoying their two one B singing fascination. Yeah, my brother. I think he was my brother's figure, but he was equally loved by both of us. So I've no, no objections to two one B winning. He's a good character. He is a great. He, well, he is, isn't he? It's underestimated how good two one B is. It's, it's amazing how much he is in Star Wars, as in in the you know the wider aspects. Right, moving on then. So not going to go to quiz just yet i oh. think we need to get a bit a bit serious for a little bit let's move over to newest acquisitions that we've seen out and about i'm going to come to mine first because i i, I find this really really fascinating i don't know if, if you guys saw this um on the baggy tastic collecting corner and it was a post by sean lemcool on april the 25th and he was he wrote there good afternoon 
I wanted to share something pretty interesting that Ryan Lemcool turned up recently from an estate. Found locally, these were alongside cut card figures as well. Speaking to some other collectors, there's a chance these may have been packaged like this and sold at the Kenner employee store. Typically, we'd assume that labelling such as this was done by a second-hand store. However, the use of these names, in brackets, some obscure, with safety information, copyright information, and Star Wars Stroke Empire Strikes Back release figures only in the backies, and the location of where these were found may point to something more exciting. I believe the price point written on a couple of them, also notating as is and no card, allude to them being sold by a business entity of some type, which would make sense for a Kenner employee store purchase. We are working to figure out what the baggies match, as you are closer to the baggie that Jabba came in. Not for sale, but I'm interested in hearing any thoughts or feedback. So, the first picture that he showed was a baggie with um, Zuckus inside, but what's really interesting is the packaging or the label that is clipped to it and it's actually got written on it rancor uh that's trademarked and it has action figures and accessories so that was you know a really really good little label that one now some others get a little bit more odd so we've got the bespin guard and he's packaged in a skiff guard label and it's written on there as is no card 99 cents the next one is Jabba the Hutt, but inside the baggie is a Jabba, so very interesting. The next picture is Rebel Dignitary, and inside there is an Imperial Commander, and it says as is, no card, 99 cents. The next one has Hydro Spanner written on it, Toy Vehicle Accessory, but inside is R2 Sensor Scope. This one I love most of all, Woof, with three O's, and inside is Chewbacca. And now, the, <laughs> I thought they were absolutely brilliant, but the, the conversation underneath all of these was really, really good. I think, guys, if I was wrong, isn't Chewbacca referred to as Woof on some really, really early drafts? I'm sure I've seen the Woof um, written before next to some production items. You have, Rich, but Woof was the onset name for Klaatu. Klaatu, right, okay. I'm sure I've seen it with, alongside Chewbacca as well, mind back. I could be wrong. Absolutely could be wrong. Now, somebody obviously queried the Rebel Dignitary, and the only thing that turned up was a picture of a guy, an extra from the movie, um, a photograph with Imperial Dignitary written underneath him. Um, so that's the only time that that one's turned up. Andy Raymond on their posted i guess these may not be an employee store thing the phrase as is no card sounds more like dealer language but he said it's still a really really cool find and a couple of people are comment on there saying yeah possibly but chris joe gullius who as, as you know you know knows a lot about stuff he thinks that having things like have no card except written on them makes perfect sense and um, they would often sell bull figures like that so there's no real reason why this could not be legit Gary Borbridge had said that perhaps this would have surfaced before if it had been um, a Kenner store thing. Uh, Mike Smith agreed and said, yep, I expected that. 
But Chris Jogulius again reports on there. It's possible that someone at the employee store just put together. Could have just been a small batch of them. Uh, they the are early names and they were all Lucasfilm limited trademarks that applied for. And the 1998, 1982 date shows that they had stuff like this printed for a short while at least. There was some really, really good information on there. But a great find, Ryan, and hopefully um, some of these, you know, can be sort of, you know, authenticated in some way. But yeah, brilliant. Well, well done, and thanks for sharing, Jason. Let's come over to you next. Sure. This was a post on the Star Wars Pal Toy Collector Facebook group by Lee Bullock, um, and he says. Only a couple of purchases from Celebration. One was an upgrade I won't bore you with. The other was an amazing piece of Palatoy pre-production product photography of the mock-up, unproduced, Destroy Death Star game. Um, and uh, pre-production stuff in Palatoy, there's hardly any of it. And it's a lovely uh, photo of the inside, the, the top of the box, and then the inside with the game in it. And... The, the artwork on the box is uh, considerably different from uh, the, the one we see. It's a more kind of clean, uncluttered version of the image that looks absolutely brilliant. And that's such a nice item. I'm uh, Congratulations, Lee. Yeah, that is a lovely item. That. Nice to see. Any present? Thanks, Rich. Uh, this is a post I saw a little while ago now, but uh, this was on Echo Base Vintage from Mark Crawley. And he says, uh, please delete if not allowed, but I thought these could be of interest to the community. <laughs> Is an understatement. My great uncle worked as a set designer on all the original trilogy. In way of thanks, most of the crew were given a photo book and my aunt recently gave it to us. Interesting cover logo and some pics I hadn't really seen before. He also received a signed thank you note from George Lucas, but my aunt is hanging on to that. I had asked him actually for a bit more information. He said uh, his great uncle's name was Harry Barnes. His favourite story apparently was regarding the paint for the C-3PO suit. This would crack a lot due to movement of the actor and the extreme heat in the Tatooine scenes. Harry came up with the idea to use a little bit of latex mixed in with the gold paint to create elasticity. And he saved the 3PO suit from needing to be constantly repainted. So uh, there you go. So he's showed pictures of what is a Star Wars glory book. This was, uh, as he said, a cast and crew item. It was a photo album uh, with black card covers and a uh, triangular The Star Wars sticker on the front. Uh, some lovely, lovely photos inside, um, some quite rare images. It's not got the plastic comb binding, but uh, that can fairly easily be replaced. And then he's also put a picture up of the couple of other bits that his aunt is hanging on to, one of which is... The thank you note, uh, which says, Henry, not Harry, Henry Barnes, thank you for your contribution to Star Wars. And that's signed by George Lucas and Gary Kurtz. Uh, anyone who's seen these before will know that that's a full George Lucas signature, not a GL, which makes it exceptionally rare. And that's actually the last page from the glory book. So I hope that one day he manages to get that from his aunt to put that all back together. The other thing that uh, auntie's got is a ticket to a cast and crew screening at the Dominion Theatre in London. Uh, this was an early screening uh, I believe around about May, June uh, 1977. Uh, again, the ticket's got the, the Star Wars triangular Ralph McQuarrie image on it, and they've even got the envelope that it was uh, packaged in. 
lovely, lovely uh, memento, especially having that family interest and uh, a fabulous piece to display. Thank you, Mark. Yeah, absolutely. We covered those glory books in detail a couple of years ago, but they are absolutely amazing items. Um, it's wonderful how so many have survived. Andy Spoons and Well, this is something I saw on Facebook on the Imperial Commissary, uh, 1977 to 1985, uh, quite a while ago now. So it's after we last recorded, but you know, it does feel like a long time. So this is Eric Corley Ehrlich, and this is what he says. He says, awesome Friday mail call. I've seen and have an insane amount of oddballs, and I've never seen this one. Now, it's a 1977 never-worn leather belt with the coolest box and, without a doubt, one of the most unusual packaged items I now have not for sale. Now, it is totally amazing. I don't know if any of you saw this. It's um, I've, I've, I've seen a few of these belt buckles for sale since... I saw the uh, saw the post. Now it's in a in a clear box, so that you can see the the belt through the box. And the box has got pictures on the top, on the side. It's it's like clear, um, not cellophane, you know, clear plastic. Uh, R two and C three PO on the top. Uh, Star Wars official belt, uh, made by Lee, as I say, Lee Company. X wings on one side. Uh, Darth Vader. Stormtroopers on the other side. The belt buckle is really nice. Uh, so it's metal, but paints like enamel paint, blue background with C-3PO and R2-D2 on the, on the side. The size of the belt is large, 28 to 30. Now, that doesn't seem very large to me, but maybe maybe we've all grown a bit over the years, middle-aged spread and all that. But really beautiful item, really beautifully displayed. I want one. It's amazing. Yeah, again, another very nice item. I don't know. It it looks tacky, but isn't, if that makes sense. <laughs> I, know, I know what you mean. It isn't tacky at all, is it? It looks no. like a really quality item. But it should but... be tacky. It should be. Yeah. <laughs> Great items out there in the community. Lots of different <laughs> things that we've been uh, looking at. It's a wonderful celebration pickups for many of our listeners. Thank you for sharing. Wonderful to see. And I think it's now time for the quiz. This quiz is going to sort the men from the boys, the wheat from the chaff, the trek from the wars. Yes, I have gone there. I am bringing Star Trek to a Star Wars podcast. How well do you know your trek? This quiz is all about names. Now, I am not going to be talking Captain Kirk. I am not going to be talking Darth Vader. These are characters drawn from the obscure ends of the fandom. Some you might have heard of, some you might not. But uh, very simple. All I want from you, in turn, is Wars or Trek. So I'm going to give you a name, Wars or Trek. No particular order, but we're going to start with Pete. Oh, thanks. You're very welcome. Okay. Pete, your first name is Trip Tucker. Oh, that. Wars or Trek? Trek. Trek is correct. Trip Tucker was a commander in Enterprise. Yeah. A chief engineer. He was a nice bloke. Ah. Andy, your character is Jan Ors. Jan Ors? Yep. That sounds like a Star Wars name to me, but I have no idea. Well, I'm going to need an answer. You've got 50-50 chance. I said a Star Wars name. Ah, you you said a Star Wars name. You are correct. Jan Ors is a mercenary for the Rebel Alliance, Kyle Katarn's partner in Dark Forces uh, and other computer games. 
Oh, I played I played that. Maybe I knew subliminally. Yeah. Jason. Yes. Your character is Malakili. Malakili. That's Star Wars. Do you know who he is? Um Rancor Keeper. Malakili <laughs> is the Rancor Keeper, correct. Come on, everyone knows that. Uh, not everyone. Not everyone. <laughs> okay, Rich. Your character is Mora Pol. Oh, never heard of it, so I'm going to go Star Trek. Uh, Star Trek, you are correct. Uh, a resident of Bajor, a scientist in Deep Space Nine. Okay, back to Pete. Oh. Uh, Pete, your character is Tasu Leech. Oh, that's Star Wars. Wars. That is Wars. That is correct. Tasu Leech was uh, one of the pirates or whatever they were who were after Han Solo in The Force Awakens. Yes. Andy. Opaka Sulan. Oh, that's a... What? I'm going to go for a Kirk-loving Spock sucker. <laughs> you would be right. That is a Bajoran religious leader in Deep Space Nine. Okay. Jason, Arden Lynn. Ooh, Arden Lynn. Arden Lynn. I'm going to say Wars. You are correct. Uh, from Ooh. Star Wars, a master of the ancient fighting style, Teras Karsi. Apparently her right arm has been replaced with a droid arm. Oh. One from the, the more obscure end there. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Rich, your character is from. Uh, oh, I'm, I'm going to give it away there. Yeah, that um, would help. <laughs> <laughs> your character is Lon Suda. Lon Suda. Never heard of it, so I'm going to go Star Trek again. Uh, you are correct. Played by Brad Dorf, uh, a an engineering officer in oh. Voyager. Yeah, I've never seen Star Trek, you know, so. <laughs> <laughs> well, very good. That's uh, eight for eight so far. Okay, back to Pete. Pete, your character is Zek. Z-E-K, very simple. Zek. Z-E-K? Z-E-K, Zek. Crikey, I'm oh, a Zek. Zek? I, no, I've absolutely no idea. That sounds ridiculous. Uh, I reckon... Oh, God. Oh, oh, I'll probably just go Star Wars. Pete, you are wrong. Uh, Zek was the leader of the Ferengi economy in uh, Deep Space Nine. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that, that guy. There you go. You remember him well. Oh, yeah. Uh, Andy, uh, Team Toe Pagalies. <laughs> can, you, can, you, can you repeat that, please? Team Toe Pagalies. Team Toe Pagalies. That's got to be a disease. That sounds, to me, that sounds like an obscure Ewok. So I'm going to go Wars. You are correct, but he's not. He's a pod racer, isn't he? He is a pod racer, yes. Yeah, a pod racing Ewok. (laughs) He wishes. He's a Vecnoid, apparently. Didn't you know that? What's a Vecnoid? Everyone knows what that is. A Vecnoid. There's probably a Uh, comment that Richard has about him. Richard okay. has a bit of an advantage here, having read every word ever written about Star Trek. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, if he's not heard it, it's definitely Star Trek. Uh, and, he's ne- and he's never seen Trek. Uh, okay, Jason, uh, I'm going to give you Esri Dax. 
Esri Dax. Esri Dax. Oh, see, that's tricky because there's a Dax in Star Trek and there's an Esri in Star Wars, I think. Ooh. I'm going to say Star Wars. You're wrong. Esri Dax was a counsellor in Deep Space Nine. And a bit of a fox. If yeah, one of, one of the better known characters, I believe. Spot, spotty face. Yeah, uh, you're that's thinking that's of her sister, Jadzia. Isn't, isn't, oh, is isn't, okay. isn't there an Ezri in Star Wars? It's Ezra. Ezra. Oh. Ezra, indeed. Dax was that. Dax was that. There was two. There was. I think. I think they were sisters, but they were very nice looking, and uh, they had little creatures live inside of you. The trills. Yes. Wasn't they, they? Trills. I am a Trek fan, so I was aware of that. Yeah. yeah. Rich. Trills. Rich, your character is Ayala. 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 <laughs> Could be anywhere. Yeah, well, considering everyone remains being Star Trek so far, <laughs> um, I think I'm going to go with the wars on this one, Star Wars. Uh, well, Ayala was a helmsman and a security officer in Voyager, oh. so oh. you're wrong. So we've got only Andy now, who has all his answers correct so far. And we're, back, is. and we're back to Pete. Come on. Pete, your name is Clegg Hold fast. He looks like a cloak hold fast. <laughs> That's got to be Star Wars. It's too ridiculous. Clegg Holdfast is a no- Norsarian pod racer pilot. Star Wars, then. You are cor- <laughs> Yeah, you've already said that. <laughs> you are correct. Yeah, uh, okay. Andy, your character is... Is a good one. Nog. N-O-G. Nog. <laughs> Nog. Nog in the Nog. Yeah. Uh, Nog sounds like a Ferengi. I'm going for Nog uh, for uh, the Trek. Uh, Nog was a Starfleet candidate and a student and an operations officer in Deep Space Nine. Four for four. Very good. Jason, your character is Shakar Edon. Shakar Edon. Sh- Shakar Edon. Sounds Star Warsy to me. Shakar Edon was the first minister of Bajor uh, in, Deep, in Deep Space Nine. Did sound very Star Wars to be fair. I'd have yeah, said Star Wars. I would have gone, but, I'd gone uh, Wars on that one. Well, this is where we're trying to cut you out, you see. <laughs> yeah, you're awful, Andy, you are. Oh, tell me about it. <laughs> Richard, your character is. Kanan Jarrus. <laughs> that one's Star Wars. That is Star Wars. Yeah, I told you some of them were a bit more obvious. Okay, Pete. Go on. Are back to you, and your character is Ulik Keldroma. <laughs> what? Ulik? Ulik, Ulik Keldroma. What? You just made that up, haven't you? <laughs> you just literally made that up. Oh, uh, I don't know. It could be anything. Uh, I'm just going to go Star Wars. Yeah. Yeah, I thought Rich might uh, from, be smiling yeah, at that it's one. from the golden age of the Sith Empire. Yeah. Uh, I wouldn't fall- know. It was a 50-50 and no idea. A fallen Jedi who became the apprentice of Exar Kun. He could have easily been a, a Vulcan with a big nose. Well, there you go. Exactly. Andy, your character is Ben Quadrinaros. <laughs> ben 
Ben Quadrinaros. Oh, that's a toughie as well. So Ben's very uh, Star Wars-y. Quadrinaros? That sounds quite trekky. But then also, they like their uh, re-yees kind of thing. I'm going to go Wars. You are right to go Wars. You should have known that one. Rebel Force Radio will go on about that non-stop. Who goes on about it? Rebel Force Radio. Ben Quadrineros. He's a big big face. He's the one that's all face, isn't he? Yeah. I don't know about Star Wars. What is Star Wars, anyway? Okay. And we are back to Rich. Rich, your character is Maura Pohl. Maura Pohl. I've never heard of that one, so I'm going to go Star Trek. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's, a, it's a good tactic Rich and it's paying off Maura Pohl was a scientist on Bajor in Deep Space Nine Deep Space Nine uh, can I just say right that you said Star- every question you've come up so far has been Deep Space Nine is that Star Trek as well or are you just making this up now and changing the rules to suit yourself yeah, <laughs> no, Deep Space no, Nine no. had loads of cats Rich yeah it Deep a, Space, space Nine yeah it's one of the best best series there is yeah no they're they're, they're, they're from all over Okay. okay, Pete, your character is La'an, it's L-A apostrophe A-N, Noonian Singh. Of oh, Star Trek. Correct. Okay, Andy... I want some of these easy ones. You've had loads yeah. of easy ones. Ages. Andy, your character is Jodo Cast. Jodo Cast. <laughs> That sounds very trekky, but it could be uh, war. I'm going to go Trek. Jodo Cast is a bounty hunter who is often mistaken for Boba Fett. Can I just say, has Jason been eliminated or something? (laughs) I haven't had a question for about two rounds. (laughs) Have you not? Did did I miss you? Yes, you did. Ah, right. You can can have that one, Jason. I'll give you two two questions to make up, Jason. Sorry about that. Okay, Jason, your first character is Sacy Tin. Sacy Tin. Star Wars. Correct, a Jedi Master active in the Clone Wars. And then to bring you bang up to date, your next character is Lorel. L apostrophe R E L L. Well, I haven't had a Trek in a while, so I'm saying Trek. Lorel is the Chancellor of the Klingon Empire in Discovery. He's seen through your plan, Andy. He's just seen through right through it. He has. He has. <laughs> and we're back to Rich. Uh, Rich, you have got Baze Malbus. Yeah, that one's Star Wars. That is Star Wars, correct. Okay, and back to Pete. Yes. Uh, Pete, your character is Alina Nechayev. Alina Nechayev. Well, it was made. You just again. That's just made that up, isn't it? Alina, made up names. Nechayev. Nechayev. Alina It cannot be Star Wars. It's got to be Star Trek. It's a ridiculous name. Alina Nechayev was. It sounds too Ad- Russian. Admiral of Star Trek, Star yeah, yeah. Fleet. Yes. Next generation and Deep Space Nine. Yes. Okay, Andy. Uh, right. I'm going to give you to Paul. T apostrophe P O L. I will go Trek. You are right to go Trek, a Vulcan first officer in Enterprise. <laughs> she was lovely. Friend, friends of T'Pau? I thought she was a singer in the 80s. <laughs> <It's terrible. laughs> close, close. Uh, Jason, not forgotten you this time. Your 
Your your uh, character is Jerek. 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 I'm going to say Trek on that. You're wrong to say Trek. Jerek oh. was a Dark Jedi Master in the second Dark Forces game, Jedi Knight. Mm. The big bad. Rich, your character is Montross. Montross. So I'm going to go with Star Trek. <laughs> You're wrong. Montross was a bounty Ooh. hunter recruited by Count Dooku Ooh. to uh, compete against Jango Fett to be the prime template for the clone army. Really? Oh. Really, really? Never heard of him before. Okay, Pete. Yes. Your character is Morhonic. Uh, that is definitely Star Wars. Morhonic. Star Wars. Do you know who he is? Or what um, he is? It rings a bell. Yeah, I've definitely heard the name. It's either some creaturey thing. He's a grand pod racer pilot. Uh, pod, really pod, you can have a pod racer list. Yeah, I've got, got, a, got a few pod racers in here. Uh, Andy, your character is Tora Zayal. Oh, that rings a bell. Tora Zayal. I'm going to go for wars. Uh, you're wrong. Tora Zayal was an artist uh, on uh, Deep Space Nine. So that is incorrect. Jason, your next character is Bodhi Rook. Bodhi Rook. <laughs> Sounds like Star Wars to me. Do you know who he is? No. Neither. Oh, Come on. Yes, yeah, so Bodhi Rook was the pilot in Rogue One. But you are right to say Star Wars. Okay, Rich Barrel Antos. I mean, that sounds such a Star Wars name, that. But I just haven't heard of it, so I'm going to go with Trek. Trek is correct. A helmsman and security officer on Voyager. Ah, you see, because it wasn't Deep Space Nine, that's how I was. Yeah. <laughs> right, we've got two rounds left, just totting up the points. Pete, you've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Andy, one, two, three, four, five, six. Jason, one, two, three, four, five, six. And Rich, one, two, three, four, five, six. So Pete, Ooh. in the lead by one. Have four, I done that? <laughs> Have you only got one wrong, have you, Pete? Yeah, we've got one wrong, I think. I think oh, it was that, that early on, wasn't it? It was. You said wars and it was trick. It was uh, Bullock and Kel's Robot that you didn't get back. Uh, still never heard of it now. Okay, Pete, your okay. next name is Cal Kestis. Oh, that's, that is definitely Star Wars. Cal Kestis is Star Wars. Do you know who he is? He's that guy from that computer game. He is Jedi Padawan who survived the Clone Wars and the fall the, of the Jedi Order. The only ginger Jedi, I think. Uh, is that... Uh, I don't know, don't know whether that's a good thing or not. I've just made that up. I think you're forgetting Little Orphan Annie. <laughs> 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 Technically ginger? Yes, probably is. I think Prince Harry was uh, ginger as well. He was a stormtrooper in um, Force Awakens. Not a Jedi, though. Yes. Not a Jedi. Oh, that's true. Andy. Gara Zeb Aurelios. Hey, what I actually know. That's the wars from Rebels. It is. That is Zeb, better known as. Okay, Jason. Uh, your character is Brunt. B-R-U-N-T. Well, Brunt. doesn't sound Star Warsy, and just by uh, statistics, the last few have been Star Wars. I'm going to say this one has to be Star Trek. Uh, Brunt is 
a Ferengi commerce liquidator. Again from Deep Space Nine. Well done. Obviously Very a great good. character that one. I do not remember that character. Your character is Mother Talzin. You'll know this one. Yes. Star Wars as well. I would have I would have been furious if I didn't know this one. <laughs> that, is, that is indeed Star Wars. Uh, right, final round. Peter, Ooh. I think if you get this one right, then you've won anyway. There's pressure. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Lots of pressure, lots of pressure. Oh, okay, your character is Evek. Evek? Evek? What, with an E? E-V-E-K, Evek. Oh, I don't know. Um, Evek. Oh, it's more Star Trek than Star Wars, isn't it? Uh, oh, it's probably a Ferengi, so I'm going to say Star Trek. Close, Cardassian. Oh, yeah, well, not really, not really close at all, in fact. In Next Generation Deep Space Nine and Voyager. He's been about a bit, as that fella. Well done, Pete. Yes. Uh, Andy. Right. Uh, your character is Sarvik. Sarvik. Sarvik with a TH? Sa- no, with, with, a, with an S. Sarvik. Sarvik. That sounds like uh, a Vulcan to me. Sarvik is a Vulcan, Vulcan science officer uh, from uh, one of the movies, played by Kirsty Alley. Yes. Oh, okay. She get double, double points for that. You named the race. I, would, I wouldn't have known who it, it just sounded like a Vulcan name. That was all. I, I, I do know that character. I've got the box set of the uh, Star Trek Those movies. I need to great. watch point. Yeah. She passed away recently, she? She did. She did, yeah. She did. Uh, Jason, your character is Narissa Rizzo. I didn't quite hear that. Was that, was that Han Solo you said there? <laughs> Narissa Rizzo. Rizzo. Narissa Rizzo. Narissa. Rizzo was in the Muppets, if that's any I was going to say Rizzo was oh, a yeah. bright, wasn't he? Yes, I, I think I'm going to say Star Trek on that. Star Trek, you are right. Narissa Rizzo was a Romulan in uh, Picard. Yes. Picard. Best. Picard season three, people. And rounding off Rich... Zev Seneska. Never heard of it, so I'm going to go Star Trek. What? Zev Zev Seneska is a member of Rogue Squadron. Rich. Rich. Really, really. Zev. Zev. I cannot believe you didn't get that. And he's he's in a lot of the X-Wing books as well, I believe. Yeah. Yeah, I've been reading about him. Uh, I'm shocked by that one. It's probably the part of the I think you should deduct all his points. So we have Pete, Pete first. Yeah. Equal, sec- equal second, Andy and Jason, and Rich bringing up the rear. Very good quiz. Well done, everybody. Pete, you are... needs to read more Star Wars books. Pete, you are clearly a Star Trek expert and therefore not allowed on this podcast. Off you oh, go. Okay, I'm off. Bye. Well, I love the fact that Andy has reviewed his quiz as that was an excellent quiz. Um, <laughs> that's a, that, you're just a sore loser, Rich. <laughs> it was a, it was well, a good, so enjoy that. That's a good question. Jason might have won that. We don't know. I we, think we, it's time to move. Yeah, that's you. That that's what threw the order out, isn't it? I think it's time to move over to Rebel Briefings.
bigger and better than ever. Celebration Schwing. The case for casing. Modern proto madness. Gimcrack roundup. May Torquay be with you. Pally Toys playsets purchased. Kickstarting Bob's Palatome. Bassa Badass. Moldy old lady. The rebel base is on the moon on the far side. We are preparing to orbit the planet. Star Wars bigger and better than ever, Richard. Surely it's not getting bigger. Well, following on from Star Wars Celebration, there have been lots of new announcements of official and unofficial events. And I think this is starting to show now that we're recovering from the general sequels disappointment. Now, I don't want to bash the sequels because I, I did actually enjoy them. But overall, there were just missed opportunities that I think we, I wouldn't say deserve, but were kind of expected, I think, which was lower. You know, the, the feelings of sequel enjoyment. But uh, I was watching Red Skywalker again last night uh, and I enjoyed it. Good movie, but it could have been far better. But that's just my opinion. But... I've broken this up into different sections, so the first section I want to look at is cons. Okay, and just look at the slew of cons that's coming up in the next few months. So starting off with a Fathers from 10. Before we go too far in the next story, I just want to say that Dave Tree has announced a change of date for Fathers From. So any date that references May is now incorrect. The new date of Fathers From is the 30th of July and many of us from the Vintage Rebellion will see you there. So just to reiterate, any mention of May is now incorrect. The correct date of Fathers From is the 30th of July. So what Dave uh, Trey has done for this is released five exclusive action figures. So Andy Norton, I guess you followed these action figures as he's been revealing them. The No More Heroes exclusives. And, and some of these are actually really pretty cool. I really like them. Andy, have you seen these action figures and what can you tell our listeners about them? I have and uh, I, I can tell you that they've been re- revealed in a very vintage way. So they've been very much like the Black Tower Ewoks. So the first one was the B-Wing pilot, but it gosh, a few days since I've seen it now. Who is it? It's a different. He's it's been a different... put in the X-Wing pilot colours because it's based yes. on the German advert. That's it. So that was the first one revealed, and then there were two blacked out shapes either side of it. And that I think of all of them, that was my favourite one. I wasn't aware of the German advert before. Same, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was it was a bit lost on me. And I must confess, the significance of the other ones, I'm not aware of, of that either, but I've quite enjoyed them. So they're just like a nice nice paint job on a clatu. That's one that jumped out to me. They look, they look really well done. I'm not a massive custom fan. Uh, I'm still sort of 50-50 on whether I'm going to Fathers From. Uh, I think it's one, one too many weekends for me in May, but I might be able to find an excuse to be down in that part of the world. Uh, but I, I probably these are lovely, and I've got some of uh, Dave's other oddities. He, he he flocked a few things years ago, and I've still got my Ewok carded in one of my display cabinets. But I, these probably aren't for me. But I, as I've said before many times on this show, I really admire the uh, the skills of these customizers. Yeah, absolutely, really, really nice um, items, nice touch. And if anybody wants those, I'm I'm sure that they're available to buy at Father's Farm, but. I'd imagine you might stick some up on his um, online store if they don't all sell. 
Also this month, although actually it's this weekend, um, so I just want to briefly cover this one, the Star Wars Fan Fun Day is back again at Blackburn. Um, if anybody's never been to Star Wars Fan Fun Day, it's certainly well worth checking out. You have um, a number of the Echo base lads um, will be up there with stalls, and Darren Simpson's often there with his stall as well. But what I particularly like about this one is, apart from it being nice and small, you can walk up to the guests because... You know, there's no queue and they're just sitting on tables and they're not hidden behind screens or anything at all. And you can walk up the guests and, and have a chat. But also on the evening before, you can have VIP dinner with one of the guests. Um, so if you've never been, um, and obviously this year's is probably um, a little bit too uh, short notice. But certainly if you look out for 2024, um, certainly well worth uh, checking out. I think I'm possibly the only one of us who's been to a Star Wars fan fund day. Is that correct? I believe so. I keep being yeah. tempted, but much the same. Yeah. It's just another weekend in May. That's mm. a busy month. Cer- certainly for me, Blackburn a little bit long of a trek. You just need to improve your commitment there, Andy. I think. <laughs> but, um, it's far north for me. Yeah, and it's, it's you're not going to get a lot out of it from vintage. It's definitely for Star Wars fans as opposed to vintage toy collectors. Although you, you will see some bits and pieces there. And then, obviously, Celebration Japan 2 has been announced for May 2025, quite a long time since Celebration Japan 1. Now, what's interesting to note is they did the same with the last Japan, where instead of going US, Europe, US, Japan, they're following the same pattern of last time by giving the, the... United States a break for a couple of celebrations which I find is quite interesting I don't know if that's just completely coincidental or whether they purposely did that um, I think uh, Richard aren't they, aren't they the theme park uh, ride is being released or mm-hmm. whatever it is. I think that's why they're doing it because it's going to coincide with that release I believe right okay but yeah interesting and uh, somebody posted on one of the Facebook book groups collecting all of the tears from the americans for my popcorn or something like that. it was a pretty funny post that he put up there but i'm, I'm sure 2026 will be in um, america somewhere as will probably be 2027 and 2028 I, I have no doubt who's going to japan yeah so japan may 2025 i've heard you know quite a, a number of our friends are interested in going and, and certainly think of going equally i've seen a lot that say they're not going as well so initially i was all for it was i said at the start of the show i'm 99.9 certain i won't be going to it now jason you're definitely looking forward to japan aren't you yeah i'm gonna go any 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 of you other chaps coming for a soiree in japan I'm, I'm very tempted, very t- I've always wanted to go to Japan, so this is the excuse I will have to go to Japan, so I need to start saving up. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be a big cost, but I do, you know, it, it, it's the ideal thing for me to go and do, because I said I wouldn't go back to America until I've done another big trip somewhere, so this would meet with that. I don't agree with anything Richard said about uh, not being a tourist place or not being a place to see. Um, I'm going to hopefully go and do like a three or four day tour beforehand, and then do celebrations. So, uh, you know, I've, I've, I might have a friend who might come with me as well. He, he's up for Japan again. He's been to Japan once, so he'd be a useful bit of knowledge. But um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm up for it. I'm well up for it. And I want to try and do a panel. I want to, I'm really tempted to do an Amidala collecting panel if they'll accept me. For me, much as I'd love to, there's no way I can justify that sort of money on a, a, a foreign trip just for myself. So, uh, no, I'll, I'll be looking forward to following it on Tinternet. 
And I'm similar to Andy and I couldn't justify it for myself unless perhaps if I was going to do a panel. So like Pete, if I, if I went, I'd be quite tempted to do a, a diecast panel. But on the flip side, I'd also quite like, certainly me and Heather, if not maybe the youngest as well, turn it into a bit of a, a family holiday because it's something I've always wanted to go. And like, like Pete said, it's it's the perfect excuse to do it. But I suspect cost-wise it's a big chunk of money to get out there. And uh, certainly if it's more than just me, I suspect it's going to be uh, out of the question. But, you know, no, it's a couple of years' time. Lottery well, tickets could come in. And you've both got collections you could sell as well to fund it. What? Yeah, wash your mouth out. <laughs> right, moving on for cons. And um, obviously there was a major announcement in new movies. I was really interested to see that obviously Return of the Jedi was released in selected theatres, but it actually it became number five in the box office in the States. And I thought that was an amazing statistic, that for a movie that's been out only 40 years, you know, to, to, to come out as number five. Wonderful. Did any of you guys go and see it? I think Spoons, you did, didn't you? I did indeed, and uh, I'm, I'm surprised at that, because I, I don't think it's had much of a release here. So I saw it in Sheffield... On the, it was the, was it bank? It was bank holiday Monday night, so I think it came out on the Friday, didn't it? So only three, three days later, cinema was half empty. And this is at the big kind of multiplex on the on the edge of Sheffield near Meadow Hall. Uh, so cinema was half empty. They had no posters. They'd run out of uh, commemorative cups when you got get your pop before you going in. So I was, I was, yeah, surprised that it did so well in America. But it was absolutely brilliant going to see. I know lots of people don't like the uh, the specialised editions, well, the de-specialised. But just being back in the big screen with the the opening sequence of a star destroyer flying over your heads just takes you right back. It's what it's all about. And so I I loved every minute of it. Fantastic opportunity. I, I wish uh, was uh, Empire Strikes Back was over COVID, wasn't it? So we didn't. We didn't get released. I don't remember the Star Wars, going to see Star Wars, and that was re-released, but really pleased I went to see this anyway. So three new movies were announced, and I would like your take on which of the three you're most excited by. So the first one was Dawn of the Jedi, which is going to be directed by James Mangold. Second one, the New Republic Mandoverse kind of movie, directed by Dave Filoni. And the third one is a post-sequel Ray movie, Directed by Shemaine O'Bayeshinoy. Now, guys, come to you, Pete, because I don't think it'll be too much a surprise which of those three you're most excited for. Well, I, I'm going to surprise you, Richard, actually, because I think I was initially very excited, but then the information has been coming out recently. I've become less excited because I thought it was going to be a, a Ray move, but they seem to have shifted it slightly and said, oh, she'll be in it, but she won't be the main character. So, like, okay, so now we're backtracking already. So whether it was just uh, you know one of these daft things or just you know well let's get Daisy Ridley and she didn't do much at the moment let's get her on stage, but you know I hope we don't get death by a thousand writers and directors being sacked every five minutes. Just do a story, make it decent, get an old writer in, someone who's reliable like Star Wars, and write a good old yarn. You know you've got a Jedi Order film, and oh now it's not going to be a Jedi Order, it's going to be something else. They just need to you know uh, you know we know what's happened with Star Wars in the past. We just need to just to be. A good old-fashioned story with Jedi's and bad people and all sorts of stuff. But yeah, I am excited by it. Definitely the one I think will probably definitely get made. I think the Mandoverse one will probably get made, but I'm not convinced on the James Mangold one. 
Well, for me, the Mandoverse is the one I'm least looking forward to because I think a lot of Dave Filoni's area is, is I don't know, it's helmed in at both sides, isn't it? We know the start, we know the end. And I, there's not going to be a lot of surprises in that one. I think it's going to be quite predictable. Dave, it's a big, big, big risk of it just feeling like an extended episode, isn't there? Yeah, it, absolutely. And I, and I think Dave hasn't got the ability to kill off characters who need killed off. And I, and I think that's part of the weakness of many of the things that Dave Filoni does. Um, I think some of his characters would be stronger if the ad actually died. I think I think that's a, 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 a endemic of what we have at the moment with TV series. You know, mm-hmm. you look at the CW versus all the DC characters and stuff. They can't kill anyone off. Mm-hmm. I think if you've ever watched the series Gotham. I mean, characters get killed, literally get killed off in a bat the next episode because of something happened. So you know, a lot of these shows do struggle to to kill characters. I think it's just a thing that happens these days. But you are right. I mean, you need a big death to kind of motivate characters, don't you? You need a big Absolutely. instant. But if you just keep churning out the same thing but i mean I, I, you know it it could be fun i mean if they if you're going to end all these threads with some kind of you know big event maybe another you know clone wars style mm. battle or something you know something big to have to end it off it could be fun but uh yeah it's it's not one i would kill for i'm gonna nah, say he's not going to wrap everything up everything's going to be left open-ended and, it, and it'll be one of those weak endings where where you'll see ah it's open to the viewers' interpretation and I, and I hate movies like that you know sorry less rich unless they follow you know the the kind of threads of thrawn you know that's yeah. already established and written it's a good character yeah um if, if they do follow air of the empire or all those sort of uh books and kind of assemble something where you've got a really quality baddie who does go around killing a few characters off that would be a good way to go yeah, I would agree with that, although it's unlikely to be, obviously, as we know, that there's on trilogy, but some, yeah. some themes and plot points out of that, absolutely. Are, are well, awesome. actually, which I was reading, because I never actually read The Air of the Empire, I just read the comics. Mm-hmm. I was, I've been reading it, I've been reading it recently, and uh, it's unusual for me to read books, and there was actually a lot of themes that have been borrowed from those books that have been in you know, recent shows and films. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't actually realise how much you know had been taken out of those books. Could you go down that route though and not have the original trilogy characters in there? The Luke Leia Han, they were so integral to those stories. But you've run the risk that if you bring one of those in, then they completely steal the show. Well, yes and no, because because if you know if you're using, I mean they've already had Pelion in Mando, yeah. so they're always going to bring that side of things in. I yeah, I think they could because it, I mean in those books they just kind of run around and get involved in daft Jedi adventures. So yeah, I mean you you, you want a military power. That is not attached to you know the current kind of empire or empire rising, and you know the fact that they they've got this heir to the empire kind of thread already starting in Ahsoka, then yeah yeah I think you could probably do it with different characters. But one one of the problems of the EU, especially with Han, was that Han didn't do anything. He just seems to drink cough and complain about being tired. <laughs> You know, so yeah, yeah, Luke absolutely was central to him, yeah, yeah. you know, in his exactly. relationship with Mara Jade and all that kind of stuff. Well, Leah to a, a lesser extent, but yes, also from the politics side, but Han, Han was always a secondary character, I think, in the EU novels, other than the Han Solo trilogy, of course, which were, which were fantastic. The one I'm most excited about, I think, is the Dawn of the Jedi. I think there's a, a good opportunity there to really get your teeth stuck into really crazy Jedi who are experimenting with their powers, 
you know, perhaps push it too far? Um, how was the Sith in it? Perhaps, you know, did, did the Sith come out from Jedi, perhaps losing control of the, you know, um, there's some real huge world building um, that can go on in there until obviously the Jedi Code and the Sith Code was developed uh, much later on. So I'm really looking forward to that one. Have they um, ever um, covered that in books, which, you know, like, yeah, uh, that kind of era where before the, the two orders or the two, what do you want to call it? Have you never heard of Ulic Keldrama? <laughs> No, funny enough, no. Clearly, clearly not. Yes, Star Trek. You need to read the Adventures of Ulic Caldrama, but yes, um, the Golden Age of the Sith, which was written by Kevin J. Anderson, that was set uh, about five thousand years before New Hope, and that basically, I think the way it was introduced from memory was you had Sith who were like completely in one part of the galaxy, and you had Jedi in the other part of the galaxy, and because they were initially inventing or discovering hyperspace lanes. They end up meeting that way. It was almost like, whoa, who are these people? And huge battles commenced. But uh, they have explored it, but not to the level that I'm hoping they're going to in this movie. Or hopefully series of movies. I'm yet to be convinced on that one, to be honest. Early Star Wars going away from the sort of Empire era doesn't really interest me. I mean, it might turn out to be brilliant. As you say, you know, that they've, they've got nothing to lose. You know, they're, they're not there's no established history they can go wherever they want with it they can have completely new characters completely new setup uh, and if it's done well then yeah it could be fantastic but it's gonna have to win me over i think that one the one that i am looking forward to but again it depends how they do it is the post-sequel one the sequels as we all know were a bit of a train wreck something's got to be done to pull star wars back and you know there's a hell of a lot riding on the shoulders of that movie but if they do it right and they can bring star wars back in you know as as mo- you know the must-see movies, then, uh, you know, it could be fantastic. Who knows? Well, I'm looking forward to the, the Ray movie as well. Maybe maybe Mary Sue will actually get her come up and, and they'll do a snook on her and chop her an arm. I mean, that, that that's, that's Star Trek again. What Star Trek? Mary Sue, that's where it came from. Uh, and Spoons, have you mentioned one or not? I don't know. I've not, and I, I don't really know. Actually, on paper, the Ray one would probably be the one... I'd be most keen to see because it's a continuation. Well, you can't watch a paper movie. Stop being so ridiculous. We're on about seeing them on the screen. What? Jordy humour. Jordy humour. I missed that one. I'm right over my head. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, the uh, the Ray one because it's a continuation of the story. But it could be utter pants. It could be great. The uh, you know. Uh, we're surprised, aren't we? So when all these things were released on TV, I think it's fairly unanimous, Andor's being the best. Would anyone, before these things were announced, thought, right, Andor's the one for me? Not many, really. So, yeah, I'll give them all a go and make up my mind at the time. So, obviously, along with the slew of movies, we'll have some new TV shows coming out as well. So we'll have Skeleton Crew. Jury's out on that one for me. Obviously, Andor Season 2, which we're all looking forward to. Acolyte. Guys, which of those three are you most excited about? Andor season two, yes, yeah, definitely Andor yes. season two. Yes. But you've you've forgotten, Rich, the one that I'm most excited about, which is Ahsoka. Well, yeah, again, I mean, I was talking to who was it? I mean, David Quinn, yes, from um, Star Wars Pre Production Prototypes podcast. He sees Ahsoka as his favourite character in the whole of Star Wars, and I, and I just can't get my head around that. I enjoyed Ahsoka. 
I didn't buy into the whole fan backlash when she was first introduced in Clone Wars, but she's another character who should have ended by now for me. Oh, Soka's dead. Oh, no, she's back again. Oh, she's dead. And she's back again. You know, and, and I think that's part of the weakness of Dave Filoni. I mean, but I am, I stand, I'm, I'm going to watch it and I'm sure I'm going to enjoy the movie, but it's... I'm, I'm with David on that one, actually, Richard. Ahsoka mm-hmm. is one of my favourite characters it's... in the whole time because she's the most well-formed Every everybody else is a snapshot of them and then kind of messed up in, in older age. So it's a very limited time span. If you think, think films only, we've got Darth Vader as uh, an orphan and and, he's, and that's not a very good portrayal. And then as a moody teenager, not great. The main characters from the original trilogy, we see them in that snapshot in time and then they get reintroduced for the... Uh, the sequels and generally not done very well was ahsoka we've seen from padawan to this basically ronan which she is now i think it's, he's a really well-formed character and it's done really well so actually i, I would I, I am looking forward to andor but i'm also really looking forward to ahsoka as well uh skeleton crew <laughs> we saw the saw the trailers for yeah. those I'm not sure. I'm not sure on that one. I'm not sure on myself. It looks a very kid-friendly movie. And I don't know about you, um, Andy, but when the kids came on the stage at Celebration, I found them extremely irritating. Yeah, but I think that's... uh, I think if you're... uh an actress in that kind of thing at, at that age, you've got to have a certain personality, haven't you? So. <laughs> That's your teacher side coming out, Richard. You just want to beat them up. Well, I thought sticks. Vivian Lyra Bray was brilliant, you know, when she came out. Okay, I didn't... Did I see? No, I don't think I saw that. What, what panel was that on? She was on one of the main stage panels on the first day, but she also... Kenobi. The, yeah, Kenobi. Oh, okay. no, she also was that. out on the podcast... Just with um, yeah, with Hunter wasn't you know? I've, I've uh, I listened to that on uh, online, but I've not, I didn't see the uh, not didn't see the footage of Kenobi. Yeah, she I'm... was she was wonderful. She held her own completely with Ewan and uh, Hayden. I've I've said I've said it before. I'll say this again. If Carrie Fisher was still alive, she would have adopted her because <laughs> I think she really would have looked after her. Oh yeah, she would have loved at the bits. Jason, what? any of those tickling fancy other than Andor? Other than Andor. Not really, Andor, Andor for me. More, more Andor. That's all we need. Really good quality Andor. So I think, I mean... Whoa, 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 whoa. You've got to introduce me there, Richard. I don't know if I say it. Well, go on then, Pete. Take it away. I was just about to introduce you in a sort of convoluted kind of way, but go for it. Okay. Uh, Yeah, um, I'm actually looking forward to Acolyte because I think it's one of these shows where, a bit like Andor, we didn't really... You know, no one's that frenzied by it. You've got a creator who's allowed to sort of get on with it. This Leslie Headland woman, is it Headland? Yeah. Yeah, so she's been allowed to sort of get on with it and go and do it. And the cast looks very interesting. Some very interesting actors in there. We've never heard some, some we've never heard of, some we have seen in other things. And some of them thinking, okay, that that looks good. So definitely a different looking looking cast to what we're normally. And then I managed to catch a glimpse of the trailer you saw in your special panel that only special people could go to. And it, I think it looks, it definitely looked intriguing. I'm actually, that's the one I'm, I think could be a, another surprise in the style of Andor where you're not expecting much and what you actually get is a decent shaped story. And I think we're going to get some real twisted stuff as well. I think I'm hoping they go to an, an, a, you know, a slightly more adult level where, where the mm-hmm. Skeleton crew might be more of a, kind of Goonies style film this might be a bit more adult 
for a different audience i'm hoping you know a bit more sort of religion in there uh, a bit more kind of um samurai looking stuff I'm, I'm i'm actually i'm actually look actually secretly looking forward to that one i hope I it doesn't disappoint and get too silly i think that one's going to be the visually best one I think the choreography and the special effects are going to be stunning on that show. I just hope it's not at the cost of the story. Yeah, I mean, it, it, uh, I think when the Star Wars allows one writer to get on with it, or one creator to get on with it, I think they do tend to do a little bit better than when they've had, you know, like, like we've seen in Mandalorian, like we've seen in Book of Boba Fett, you get directors and writers all over the place. And I don't think that, I really don't think it works. And I think that's why Andor was such a big, well, I'd say a big hit. It wasn't a big hit, was it? But I think that's why it was really loved because it was one guy's vision and he just was allowed to go away and do it. Um, and I think that's why we got a good good quality story with, you know, it, and, you know, and it did build up really nicely. So I'm hoping we get a similar thing, Acolyte. You know, but I mean, you know, it, so far I've not, I've not, there's nothing there where I've gone, oh, that looks rubbish. I've actually quite have enjoyed it. So. And on, on top of all this, there's been obviously lots of new book announcements and comic announcements, and uh, I'm really looking forward to the High Republic Season 3, so much so that I've actually started to pull the High Republic Season 1 stuff out that I've been re- very, very um, hesitant to, to get my teeth stick into, and I'm actually really enjoying it. So is it, Yeah, I mean, is it, is it good? Because, I mean, it, it always yeah. looked a bit naff when it came out, so I kind of avoided it. Is oh, it no. worth it? Would you recommend absolutely it? absolutely is. I absolutely would recommend it. To be honest with you, I read the first novel about two years ago, and I just... Well, could it be that long ago? Maybe eighteen months ago, and I put it on one side because I just couldn't get my teeth into it. Came back from celebration, picked that novel up again, devoured it, and I thought, "Oh, yep, got it." And then, obviously, I've been going through the Marvel comics, the IDW comics, and I'm really loving it. I think it's it's really good stuff. So they've done a really good job. Um, Get you I back into Star Wars, Richard. It does. It has. I, ha- I had such a buzz. What I don't like about it is the fact that if you read it in chronological order, you're going book, comics audiobook, children's young adventures novel, main book again, comics, and it's just, I get it, the tying all these different, you know, multimedia things together, but if you're reading just the novels and not reading the comics, then there's bits referenced in the novels that you think, what? What's this talking about? And I know they're saying they've done it in a kind of way where you don't have to have picked up all the comics to get to get the gist of it, but you really do. That's a little bit disappointing for me how disjointed it is, but yeah. the actual story of it is really good. Whenever they say those sort of things, Richard, you don't need to. What they really mean is you need to. You need to exactly. buy more things. That's exactly what they mean. The moon with the rebel base will be in range in 30 minutes. Celebration swing! So, uh, this sounds a bit saucy, Richard. I remember the Schwing was that. What was that? Wayne's World, wasn't it? Schwing. Yeah, it was Wayne's World, and yes, there was um, a lot of sauciness to celebration. I think it's fair to say some of the photographs that I've seen post celebration. But I thought, let's just rather than go through celebration like what other podcasts have done. It's been six, seven weeks now since celebration. Perhaps we can just give a quick roundup and a focus on celebration as a whole, but perhaps with an emphasis on how does this fit in with previous celebrations. Who's probably been the most celebrations? Jason, Pete, you must be tied there round and round. I'll come I think to Jason, Jason first. Yeah, there. we'll go to Jason first. So Jason, celebration you how do you think how do you think that fit in with your experience of previous celebrations? Yeah, I mean the the, the kind of ones which aren't in America are always struggling to compete with the ones which are in America. So um, I, th- I thought this one was okay. Obviously, they don't didn't have as big a stars as they had in the one in Hanaheim last year. 
and some of the the exhibits and stuff weren't seen as being as good but celebration is what you make of it and i had a great time with this celebration meeting up with a lot of collecting friends and doing lots of star wars stuff and having a great time so for me it was probably one of the one of the better london ones that i've been to i would say so yes i, I had a thoroughly good time now Pete, you've been to, obviously, two Celebration Londons now, and you've been to um, a couple over the States. How do you think, focus on the, perhaps, the Star Wars side of it, as opposed to vintage toy collecting, how do you think that matched with previous Celebrations? Well, obviously, the last one we did, we were in a booth for three days. So I only got to see bits and pieces of it. So I think there was probably less stuff on this one. But it's it's a hard thing to say really because I said I, I didn't really I didn't really get out and about. I mean I had great interactions with people. I think you know it, I, I think that's well, that's what makes a celebration for me is 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 interacting with people. You've got to be a little bit out there and just start talking to to random human beings. But I think it was a little I I think it was probably a little bit on the downside considering the, the one in 2016, even though we had quite a few years. But I will say that was more Star Wars announcements. You know I mean in london we had what rogue one and i think thrawn was announced going to appear in was it rebels i can't remember i think that was the only big things this time we had you know series after film after series being announced yeah there was some big yeah that that lucasfilm panel was a a much bigger uh event than we had before so i think from lucasfilm's side of things it was a much more seriously taken event I think in terms of yeah the show floor not great. I think it was much better in 2016. There was a lot more stuff to look at and buy. There was more exhibitions, but I mean it's kind of one of those things. You, you know, some bits weren't as good as they were in 2016. Some bits are probably better. I went to a lot of panels this time, the smaller panels. I didn't do any big panels this time. I had a whale over time. Met loads of crazy people. Sat down, chat with everyone I sat down next to. I went to some, you know, really good informative panels. So I had a, I had a different experience this time to the, the, the last time I, I went to one, and I had a slightly different experience than the ones I've been to in the states as well. And also yeah. being part of the show is obviously a real highlight. I mean that, you know, the fact that we were on early doing our panel, uh, the collecting uh, track, that really for me kicked it all off and got me in the mood because it was like, wow, that was fun. Absolutely. Yeah, great points there, Peter. I couldn't agree any more with you on that. Um, Andy Preston, I'll come to you next. I got the feeling that Lucasfilm are intentionally sweeping away or certainly making it lesser our generation of Star Wars because we're not the cash cow for them anymore. So I think it was probably unlikely that Mark Hamill and people like that were going to travel to London anyway. But I think there were there were people of that generation, you know, like you know your Dennis Murins and your, your cast and your crew who were of those original trilogy movies that just were not there. And I think partially that was a conscious decision because they are looking at the next generations. Did you get that feeling, or am I just talking nonsense? No, I think you're spot on there, Rich. That was a particular disappointment for me because I was hoping they would get some of the ILM crew uh, over to this one. I think, you know, I was thinking this would be the last opportunity that I may have to meet some of those guys. Like you said, the Dennis Murins, the Ken Ralstons, uh, Joe Johnstons, et cetera, et cetera. And I don't think they had 
anybody um, behind the scenes, um, certainly not signing. I mean, there, there were several behind the scenes people doing panels, etc. But uh, yeah, you're right. I mean, Disney have to promote the product they've got going out at the moment. But I, I think they have really captured the majority of interest in Star Wars these days. And I, I think it's leaving old gits like us behind. Just looking at the cosplayers, there were so many... I mean, Ahsoka's crucky. How many Ahsoka's were there? But, um, you know, Darth Maul's and Bounty Hunters and Mandalorians. And, Ray, loads know, of Rays. Loads of Rays. The vast majority of cosplayers, I would say, were from the sequel trilogy or from the TV series. And original trilogy cosplays were, you know, fairly thin on the ground. An awful lot of young people there, which is fantastic for the future of Star Wars. I think it's got a big future ahead of it. But... Uh, the vintage side, the original trilogy side, I think it's down now more to the fans, the people like us, uh, to keep that going uh, with the collecting and the buying and selling and the collecting track. I don't think we're going to see much more of that from uh, from the likes of Disney. hope I'm wrong, but I think that is very much the way they're going. But Andy, uh, look, look, look at the meltdown that happened when Hayden Christensen and certain other actors appeared on the live stage. Now, we were... I can't remember where I was when he came on. I think we, I might have been in a collecting track at the time, not ours, but he came on stage and the place, it was packed. People were running up the, up the main concourse into that room and they were stopping people getting into the room because there's so many people wanting to get a glimpse of Hayden Christensen. I mean, now you're thinking what the, st- the status of him a few years ago. There seems to have been a very sort of sympathetic kind of like U-turn on him. I'm not saying he was hated. It just wasn't a big deal and now oh my goodness it's like it's like a beetle or something absolutely well i think a lot of the fans now and the people who got the spending power are people that grew up with the prequels exactly um, so they, they were kids in the in, in the 90s and early 2000s they've now grown up they might have kids of their own and the likes of hayden and ewan are you know they're they're, they're the stars they're the big names is, is that uh, christopher hayden we on about there <laughs> <laughs> that's the boy this is uh hutchinson richard <laughs> Now, speaking of thin on the ground, Andy Norton, I'll come to you next. So, realistically, Andy, with your age, you've probably only got, what, 10 years lifespan left? But you were there with your family, and that's going to be the target of the next group of, you know, the, the Lucasfilm, the merchandising, all that kind of stuff. What did your family get out of that Star Wars celebration? And at the end of it, did they go, Dad, I understand... See, they, that's really because going, going to your comments about you know being loads of rays, loads of Ahsokas, for them, Star Wars is as much about all the newer films, you know, including the prequels, as it is about the, the, the trilogy. And, and actually, and really, for a large part, for me these days as well, we watch so much of the TV series. That's what's fresh in your mind. And it was only in retrospect kind of after it finished, I think I saw one of uh, Ed Jedi's posts on Stars 4 in UK talking about that that issue that actually there were very few vintage cosplayers, it's all modern stuff that it dawned on me, and and they all had a really good time, they would all love to go to Japan, the, the older two, you know, they just kind of you know, they they enjoyed themselves they're, they, they're interested in what's going going on, um, not massive, massive uber fans I'd say, they, you know, kind of free weekend in uh, or free week in london they, they're going to enjoy it olivia my youngest she absolutely loves it all uh you know all the the droids the people dressing up the atmosphere 
you know, she, she's hooked, and I can imagine long after I'm gone, hopefully in more than 10 years, Richard, but long after I'm gone, I can see them all still doing celebrations and whatever new Star Wars is out there, they'll be looking at those those youngsters enjoying their new Star Wars. And it's it's, it's the beautiful thing about it. It's, there is something for everyone. You know, the, the meeting the stars and the autographs has never been my thing. I'm, I'm, I admire them all, but I never really know what to say, and I'm not into queuing. So, you know, that, that just passes me by. If you were... If you wanted to do everything at, at celebration, you'd need another four days, wouldn't you, to actually fit everything in? It's um, you know, it's something for everyone. Long may it continue. There is enough for us vintage people. The, you know, the collecting panels. That's what it's all about. But you know, even you know, my, my lot sat through at least one collecting panel. I think, or did they? Yeah, one, maybe one. Uh, and they they find it interesting. That's that's not their bag, but all the other stuff is. And actually, and you, we were both at the opening panel weren't they and you uh, you ducked off for some reason so missed the uh, the clip from indiana jones good chase sequence in there even that was good i'm glad you brought that up andy because you nearly didn't make our panel and we're considering putting a tannoy men- message um, <laughs> I, was watching, for you. I was watching indiana jones you didn't get a chance <laughs> like that very often well, yeah Jason... i have to mention that Jason, I'm going to come back to you now. So this is very much a Star Wars celebration. It's no longer a vintage Star Wars original trilogy Kenner Palatoy celebration. But there was still plenty going on for the vintage collectors. So what were the vintage collecting community getting up to and what did you get from them? Yeah, so there are obviously the collecting track panels are very vintage uh, orientated. And I think there was a great selection of panels this time um a lot of them very entertaining Um, on the shop floor there was a number of vintage sellers there i don't think vintage wise on the floor it's been as strong as previous celebrations even in london and the room sales got shut down again uh and uh, i had my hand in that um that's the kind of nature of the room sales it's kind of like an organic event that just happens so you, you can't kind of go and book a room for it and start charging people ticket entry fees because it's it's not the roots of where room sales can come from so it always has a risk of being shut down the last time we were in london it was 2016 and we had it in the Novotel, and it was kind of there was a lot of people there it was very hot and sweaty um i was asked to help out and and organize a venue for it this time and i kind of got the the feeling people didn't want to have it in the Novotel. So um, I looked at the Crown Plaza, which was just up the road from the Novotel and kind of new since 2016. It's where all the Americans were staying. And I went and did a recce a couple of weeks before celebration. There's kind of a nice big area up the stairs, kind of businessy kind of meaty place with lots of tables and chairs and stuff. And it looked ideal. And um, I kind of told Chris G about it, the guy who organized the room sales, and he was like, yeah, this looks okay. But it's just one of those things where you, you don't know how the hotel staff are going to react to an impromptu uh, bring and buy sale. So I kind of put stuff out saying, well, you know, you know what you what you need to do is go and buy a drink at the bar and then you know bring your drink upstairs and we'll just say we're swapping stuff and we're buying lots of drinks. So the hotel staff won't mind. And um, so on the day we did the room sales, which is on, we did it on the first Friday this time, because that's Friday's traditionally the day when the room sales are, despite the fact celebration started a day earlier. So it was, we'd been underway for about half an hour, and um, 
some very stern lady um, with the name badge on came um, stomping up to me, and I, I was like, oh, we might be in trouble here. And uh, she gave me the, the telling off of my adult life. And uh, she was like, you enjoyed it, Jason. You loved it. You were smiling. You're holding an event here. And I was like, um, no, we're not. We're just sitting around. You know, we've bought drinks at the bar and we're just swapping our doubles. And she kind of looked at me and went, no, you're not. I can see price tags on those ones. And I was like, ah, we might have been rumbled here. So then I just cheekily went, can we have permission then? And that was entirely the wrong thing to say. She got very cross indeed at that point. And um asked me and all my friends to uh, promptly leave the hotel, uh, which we did. I think the other thing was they were they were shutting down the bar very early in that place. So the, the, the night before they shut the bar at half 11, they said they wanted to shut it on Good Friday at half 10. In practice, they shut it at half nine. So we went up the road. I looked in um, the Ibis. The ground floor there would have been nice, but it was full of people. So we, we ran home to Mama and went back to the Novotel. And I, I thought it was fine. It wasn't particularly hot. The bar, I went down and asked the bar when they shut, and they said, um, oh, we'll, we'll, we'll review the situation at 1 o'clock in the morning and see if there's still lots of people kicking around. So the bar stayed open. And, um, you know, the room sales happened. And funny enough, the guy who was in, who was kind of like looking over and asked, telling us later on when we had to clear out was the same guy who did it in 2016 and he remembered yeah. us and so he hadn't aged he hadn't aged and i ended up fist bumping this guy at the end of the night we were like best mates it was just hilarious and the other funny thing with the room sales was when we got there there was this really old bloke um, asleep in a chair and he just didn't move and then people started trying to sell him as a kind of uh, ex-kenner employee but anyway that never happens but i thought it was okay but yeah, the the adult telling off of my life. I, you know, you were right. I I I thought if I laugh at this lady, she's going to go absolutely berserk. So um, I, I didn't. So there you go. Now, obviously, you mentioned room sales there, but other things happen as well with vintage collectors, and there seem to be a lot of good quality items this year. Andy Norton, I'm sure you picked up some items as you were going around for trade. Yeah. So at the at the room sales. I had a few actually had a few items with me for sale. In fact, the uh, Stefan Forecourt nearly walked off with a couple of my Factors key rings, thinking they were swag. Sweet. <laughs> <laughs> had to uh, had to get them back off him. Uh, so ended up trading a Takara Wood Tie Fighter with Billy Galaxy. So that that was good, but that was actually, you know, it's kind of almost advertising the wares there. Duncan was quite interested in the, the factors key rings as well, but I ended up sell, selling them to Jason Joyner. Uh, so yeah, it was, um, there was a good, good lot of vintage. I didn't, didn't buy too much from the stalls there, but just, you know, there was some really nice items and everybody on the stalls was saying how well they did with sales, a lot of modern stuff actually. So uh, just restocking and restocking, what we call modern modern star wars but again it's the power of the force two things from the 90s so chatting to the leicester vintage toy shop guys just selling loads and loads and loads i don't even know if you watch any of their videos they've got no star wars left in stock anymore uh chatting to nick dykes had a load of stuff from vectis for show but was also selling some higher end items on on the end there it just i mean lots of familiar faces from from echo uh luckily 
Ben Potter was there. Otherwise, our Gimcrack challenge would have uh, fallen at the uh, the first hurdle. So that he did well out of us for uh, for the Gimcrack and a big big box of junk. Essentially, it was great. And just just loads and loads junk, of vintage junk candy. Junk. <laughs> um, junk. There was, there was too much. collectibles. There was too much to see. And me with my terrible sense of direction as well. I was looking for uh, GW Acrylic one day. It was completely the wrong side of the uh, the aisle. Oh, they had a really good. They had this. Ro- they had a rotating Death Star stand with a a plastic dome cover on it. it Prototype that they were that Christian was knocking off. That looked really good. It was, and he, and also he he'd made those custom harbour fets which sold like hotcakes. I was humming and harring whether to buy one, and Peter Lee had bought one. Was telling me about it, and I just wandered over, and I said, right. I suspect there might not be any left. If there is, I'm going to buy one. But if there's not, I'm not going to be too upset. And literally the last one was sold as I arrived. Really nice. I get, bet your secondary market they're going to go for go for big money. You know, nice custom backs to them. So you, you wouldn't mistake them for original uh, rather than just, uh, you know, a reproduction version. But really nicely done. They're just, just loads and loads of good stuff. Too, too much sound. But I bet you, oh, Jason Joyner's store was there as well. Loads of really good things on there. And, and people having all that stock just to just to keep on uh, turning it over and over and over. So uh, And uh, Darren Simpson as well. He actually had some great swag, Darren. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, just everyone was there. Fantastic items. Andy Preston, Andy Norton completely missed the point in your question there. But certainly you might have been trading a few things um, like we all got. Do you want to talk about that? Trading a few things? What swag do you mean? Or? Yes, finally. Uh, oh. It doesn't matter, Andy. I make allowances now again for you. I'm getting old. 50 now. Aren't we all... No. Nope. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, swag. There was some amazing swag there. I mean, I came back with absolute bag full of stuff, so I'm not going to go through all of it, but uh, some of my favourite bits, some of it in with the sort of stuff that I collect, love the stuff that Mark Daniels, Craig Spivey, Grant Criddle, uh, the guys from Beyond the Toys produced, that was a set of six, like store display stickers, what might have been from various British products from 78. So there was Clearo Bubble Baths, um, there was the uh, ice creams, there's the helix erasers, wool sausages, tree bore, chews, uh, and the, the marshmallows from Taverner Rutledge. Uh, also, Letrosex, the, the, there was a Letrosex um, panel, and they did some stickers in the uh, shape of the Letrosex characters, Vader, Luke, and Obi-Wan. So they were fantastic. Jason has already mentioned the Pelotoy Death Star, uh, which was wonderful, um, the sort of second iteration of the mini Death Star. And then the, the other bit of swag that really stood out, which I love, there were a family there cosplaying as a Rebel Fleet trooper and Princess Leia, and then their little lad was a stormtrooper. But they'd got swag done, portraying them in the style of um, Bill Waterman, uh, uh, the Calvin and Hobbes. So the father and mother were... Um, like father and mother of, uh, of of Calvin, the little lad was like like Calvin. They've got some stickers done portraying them as as I say as these characters. Uh, they've got stickers of the uh, um, the little data disc uh, that was handed over to Leia in Rogue One. And they they were wonderful, um, really nice people, uh, and uh, as I say, uh, lovely swag that tied in with their cosplay. So those highlights among many as i say far too many to mention but uh, they're, they're the ones that stood out for me our own swag tvr we had posters which uh, pete had done 
fabulous posters based on the uh, uh, the original Star Wars um, Star Wars Weekly cover and the uh, the first issue. Uh, we had some vintage Rebellion rulers. We had bookmarks and beer mats and stickers and all sorts. So uh, those, those those went down very well. Um, able to uh, to do some good trades in the uh, collecting track there in the morning session. So, uh, yeah, swag certainly alive and kicking more of it than I think I've ever seen before. Really good quality. Onwards and upwards for the for the swag collecting, I'd say. Andy, you didn't mention the uh, the pork scratchings uh, from was it Mark Baker and Stephen Callier? Uh, so well, I said I couldn't mention everything. That's you know, you have to mention those because those certainly I, one of the I, highlights. I'm leaving room for you to jump in, Pete. And you've done so admirably. <laughs> <laughs> they, they were quite tasty they were actually you know proper for americans pork scratchings like i don't know what deep fry kind of pork rind things you know completely unhealthy but fantastic when you're having a beer but they came in a little suit complete with hair complete with hair yeah exactly and uh great with the beer and i mean they actually put them into seal proper sealed bags but i wouldn't leave them too long you're gonna eat them i'd eat them now but they were they were just you know uh gamorian guard snacks effectively but just a fantastic i mean things like that just just make the event for me they're just brilliant i'd be tempted to eat mine whilst this whilst we've been doing this but uh yeah, they're still they're still in their pack some of the swag that he's making the, the patches were out in force again i mean and again there were the the ice cream patches beer mats and capture log which i thought were done really well that was a really popular set Twin Sun Brewery had another patch set, which I managed to complete on the last day and then immediately swapped for a set of uh, 20 medallions. Did I say medallions? Yes, the medallions were back again. I think we've already mentioned that. From the, all the American collecting clubs, there was an Admiral Akbar puzzle patch jigsaw of about 12 pieces that everybody's still trying to put together. And there were some really excellent uh, toys of the former here. The classic kind of uh, poster, that was a kind of patch with another couple of patches that came along. And then putting in the hours, the one with C-3PO, uh, Bill Cable and Darren McLeese, General Medine. They did another one of those two-part patch, which was really, really good. Other things we haven't really mentioned, there was the the Rando Pleb zero-day no-access lanyard um, from Ross Cuddy. He did one of those last year in Anaheim. There was Turn of the Jedi sticker album from uh, Generation Skywalker guys, a little mini book. Then you put stickers in it, which is very good. There was Turkish R2-D2 pop-up matchsticks from... Uh, Michael the... Thornton and Nick Reese, I believe. Yeah, was it? Yeah, okay. I mean, and there was a little matchstick that was the replacement for the pop-up the pop-up saber. One of our own, I think it was you, Mr. Preston, the Spice Girls postcard. Uh, Mr. Preston did a really nice set of three die-cast badges featuring the little name tags. Mr. Norton. Mr. Norton, sorry. You you did those, which were very nice. I think that's it, actually. That's all the the, the kind of uh, swag I had to cover. uh, Who were the guys that came to our panel? Well, I've got them on my my list. So I just picked um, three. Sorry, sorry, Richard, I'll talk about the proper things now. Um, So they were nerd (laughs) matters. And yes. they absolutely showered us oh. in um, swag after the podcast. So the the key ones were carded candy head badges. So the um, the most Jedi characters aren't there? It's candy candy heads were the were the items that turned them into badges. Really nicely done. They had a a double decker bus at at. Just loads and loads. Oh, the um, the blacked out was it blacked out Ewok badge? Was that them as yeah, well? Yeah, that's it. On on a piece of card. I was carrying it around on yeah. my lanyard for. The whole day, because I mean, let's just get into perspective around it. This was quality. This is these these guys. We need to get them on because they're just 
their output of stuff and you look go and look on their instagram page i i, I uh, you must go and look at their, if anyone who's not gone and looked at their instagram page you're missing out a treat their stuff is a different level i don't know what if they make money out of this they did for fun I think they, yeah i think they, they sell it on instagram don't they because I follow, I follow them now and it is just it's oh, such good quality brilliant but it's just the ideas as well it's just you know i mean yeah, so we we will get them on because they were very keen. They were really really good people as well. I mean, they were lovely to come to our panel. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I don't think they were aware of us, were they? They were the ones that you sort of corralled in with posters. <laughs> I dragged them, but they were just you know great guys, and you know those people you meet at celebration. You just you just. Yeah. I mean, like a bit like you, Andy, with your your new husband, Billy Galaxy. I mean, these are just great guys. You just you always want to chat to and uh, and talk to and just you know, I don't know, just share ideas. They're just top people. I love that's what I love about celebration, meeting people like that. Well, that's funny because my top swag, you know, there's so many wonderful things, and and you've all you've all mentioned so many of them, but mine all relate to meeting random people so they mrs do. spoons jason mentioned the akbar jigsaw patches mrs spoons love that and i've been trading with people post celebration to finish off her set i love the the ice cream ones because that was meeting all those uh, us collectors to get that one and, and also i love a good hat so having a hat at the end so one of my favorite bits of the whole celebration was going to see ash and blues harvest and darth elvis at the o2 and Heather and I were there to start with, and Jason came in. But just before Jason arrived, there's this, there's this lad, a good chunk younger than us, I'd say, who was, who was there on his own. And we just stood near him enjoying Blues Harvest. And he said, oh, it's all, I don't even think I was wearing my lanyard with my badges on. And he said, oh, yeah, I've got some swag here. Do any of you do swag? And I said, yeah, yeah. And I, I just had some die-cast badges on me. And he'd made these lovely data cards, like the sort of Death Star plan data cards, but Rogue Squadron. Yeah, and remember, Mister uh, Mister Andy P. It's data, not data. <laughs> is he not? A, is that not a Star Trek character? Yeah, exactly. Death Star approaching. Estimated time to firing range: fifteen minutes. The case for casing. What are we sticking in cases now? Well, as we know, grading's been around for a very long time with mixed opinions from collectors as to whether it's worth it or just completely pointless. But all the display cases have been out have been action figure related for, you know, the figures, the vehicles, places, etc, etc. But this month, I was absolutely bemused to see the introduction of cases for books. And I kid you not, one case advertised that it actually allows books to be stood up now i just i i just can't get my head around why anybody would be perfect for you richard you're more mr book yeah but know this. stand up because i've got a bookcase i've got a bookshelf yeah you know, books books all your books up. lying down on those shelves <laughs> this is the next evolution for you richard it will look really smart in your room when you've been all your star wars collectibles <laughs> We are t- trying to take the mickey here, but they do seem ones do seem to be getting. Uh, there seems to be quite a big take up on mine for those. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm not. I'm not taking the mickey. I'm just saying Richard should invest in this stuff. <laughs> well, two cases I briefly want to mention. So there's one from BFS Displays, uh, and they will uh, they will provide a case for the Kellerman book and for the new uh, Read Five Designs book. And they're priced £35 each, which, you know, if you wanted to case your book and make it all pristine and whatever else, you know, then that's all about you. £35 is not a lot of money. But the, the one that I'm not even going to mention who's selling these, 
£175 for a case with lights on that will display your Read 5 designs with LED lights around the side of it. You don't need a special case for Read 5 designs. You just use the one that you put the at at in. That's <laughs> just absolutely crazy. £175. Uh, briefly, guys, what, what, what are your thoughts on casing books? They're difficult to read if they're in a case. Yeah, unless they case each page. It's gone mad, isn't it? These books are no longer books. They're now collectibles, which you could always argue that's the same with the toys. They're not toys for playing with. They're toys for sticking in acrylic on a case, on a shelf. It's not really any different to that, but I know that I don't own a single collecting book because of its value. I own them to read them. Well, my concern is what happens when your graded case gets all scratched and dirty and messed up you know, should you be getting a case to put your graded case in? <laughs> That's a good, good I point. Think, I don't think they're graded or sealed. They're just cases you can put your book in and stand it up and then you can open your case and you can take it out again. Oh, I'm pretty sure that some of these are being graded, Jason. Yeah, but is that not so dissimilar to, to comic grading? Comics, yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Go for years. Um, I mean, graded, I mean, book collecting has been going for donkeys, you know, longer than all this stuff. People will go and look for vintage books and you know keep them in all i i think you're being mean you lot i think this is a great idea for book collectors stop them reading them stop them bending their spine no one reads books really just richard death star approaching estimated time to firing range 15 minutes modern proto madness this seems is this a bit of a scandal richard or is this uh, legit I don't know. I, I, I do. Me gut, me gut feeling is legit, but always, you know, there's something, isn't there, where there's no, there's no fire without smoke. And these are, well, this story is about a lot of images and a lot of sales that appeared on Buy, Buy It Now or whatever it's called, Make Me an Offer. can't remember the name of the page now. But there's a guy who lives in China at the moment who has basically had a find of modern items. And a lot of these are pre-production or certainly non-standard as you've changed some of your descriptions now. So just give you an example of one which I think is utterly bonkers. So you know the Boba Fett that came out that had, you know, 27 different colours on it. Its arms are different colours to its head and all that kind of stuff. You know the, you know the figure I'm on about? Yeah, yeah. Yeah? So he's selling a Boba Fett of which no combination is known as to the one that he's got. So he's classing it as a kind of a test sample or something along those lines. And once he clarified his wording on that, a lot of people pulled the bids on it. So that one I'm kind of thinking, well, you know, who's to say it's a new combination? You know, this I don't know how many of these modern figures are made, but I'm pretty sure it's, it's a well, lot. Well, Richard, did you see yeah. all the memes on that oh, thread yes. of boiling kettles? Yes, people absolutely. The boiling pop. pop and all sorts <laughs> yeah. of things, yeah. But then there's other things that he's posted, which I think some of them are genuinely interesting. So, for example, he had a, a modern Jawa, but it had a, a, a white cape or certainly a very, very light cape. And there's, I can quite honestly believe that there's a chance that that is a genuine pre-production cape um, that's perhaps being designed and... You know, they're just testing it before the the, the fully dye the capes to get the correct colours, so that's possible. And the, there's been a couple of other figures like that as well. 
But then Stefan Callier again made a great post. He posted on there, by any chance do you have a, a Yoda with a, I can't remember what he put now, do you have a Yoda with a Jawa game or something? Pretty much indicating that or some of these perhaps put together to you know make them look better than what they were. So I just wondered if you guys had seen those posts and what are you thinking of them? So um, obviously Spoons, you've seen them. So what are your thoughts on these? And certainly what do you think of the prices that they're fetching? I'm, I was blown away by the prices that they're fetching. My uh, kind of sprue tree, unproduced Polish bootleg. Okay, not they're, slightly, they're a bit later than actual vintage, but they're still that sort of vintage era. That's cheaper than than these prototypes. And I, you know, people collect what they want to collect, and I'm not knocking it. But because they're these modern prototypes coming from China, I've got no idea how many there are. And, you know, you, you spend a grand on one one week, three more appear the next week. You know, that's, that would be my, my fear on it. I, they're not for me, much as I like them. I'm just a bit sceptical on provenance. Not necessarily these ones, but then the next batch that arrive. You know, it's, uh, it's a bit of a minefield. I think the interest in them comes because they're the retro collection, aren't they? So they're the vintage figures, but obviously produced new. Those that either have got figure focuses uh, in the vintage line or those that are never going to afford a genuine vintage prototype. I, I can see these being of interest. But what these would... but these are close to prices of genuine vintage ones. You know, not as much. But when we're talking over a thousand, if you're spending over a thousand on a prototype toy, you can save up and spend two or three in my in my book, it's um, yeah, it's a, uh, it's not like you know when when the Power of the Force two ones came out, or the was it Power of the Force two, no, or the sort of I can't remember the the the, the modern ones anyway. There was a series, yeah, and there was and there were other ones as well, the sort of carded vintage lines, but not the sort of vintage figures, but sort of modern sculpts. Um, they were they were going for sort of forty fifty pounds when they came out, which was absolutely fine for what for either someone churning them out at night from one of these factories or for what they actually were which is uh, for prototypes but they look to be made because all the colors that are used as well they look to be made for the collector's market that kind of money it's not a big gamble yeah when it's when it's hundreds off not thousands that's a lot of money for something that we've not really understand where it's coming from you've just hit the nail on the head there which is that these could be churned out by the factories. I'm sure the guys in the Chinese factories have cottoned onto the idea that prototypes are worth a lot of money. Yeah. And it's not hard, I imagine, for a, a dishonest worker to run a few more off the production line or to put a different batch of plastic and run a batch through and uh, and, and sell these off to gullible collectors. I'm not saying that's what's happened in this case, but uh, that would be my concern. Yeah, agree. When they do, do they do something similar with Lego and some of the knockoff football shirts, it's the same kind of thing. So you're, you're actually buying some of the knockoffs are actually from the genuine factories, just produced on the night shift when they shouldn't be produced. And uh, yeah, that would be my fear for these. It's sometimes the colours are just a bit too convenient, or even if you know when if they are a prototype, they're they're being very creative with their colours rather than just using whatever's to hand. 
So, yeah, I'm just I'm just a sceptical person. I agree with that, and I, I think I agree with everything you say, but some of them are really interesting, such as the ones that perhaps have got, like, test paint colours on them, or certainly, you know, that Lee Bullock and Chris G were having a conversation about some metallic paint that had been applied as to whether that was a test to see if it was going to take. But equally, you're right, Andy, somebody could go, oh, you know what? We've still got some of that paint. We've still got some of these figures, you know? We'll just put some dabs on them, test them here, then sell them out the back door to somebody who's possibly completely innocent who buys a box of you know figures from the factory flogs them online you know there's just it could just be continuous this thing it might never end we might get prototypes coming out them for the next 20 years but then i suppose i suppose the closest parallel to that would be the blue harvest yeah, stuff. The blue harvest yeah exactly yeah but which, which now limited though aren't they yes that's true and they and they fetch good money now there was um mm. the droopy Max Rebo or Droopy McCool, one of the two, was for sale at the room sales. A hard mm. copy Blue Harvest. So, you know, they're you know they're interesting. And again, I'm not knocking people for paying money for what they want to pay money for. You know, it's interesting and it, it suits your focus. Go for it. But yeah, it, it's the old, the vintage stuff is down to sources and is in is in definite low quantities. Whilst yeah, as we say, X, Y, and Z could be uh, could be churning these ones out. Death Star approaching. Estimated time to firing range, 15 minutes. Gim, crack round at Rich. Well, um, as you know, uh, we are when we go to a show now, we do a Gim Crack Challenge. Now, we did this on our panel on the Monday, so we all went out to buy a Gim Crack item. So it's got to be something which is, you know, a bit tat, uh, you know, the, the lower end of the collecting world. We gave us our budget, what was it, 10 quid, was it? It was 10 quid, wasn't it? And we all brought something to the table. We presented it on our panel, and then we got people to vote on it. Uh, the winner on the panel was ridiculous, so we took it to the, the, the general public. Now, let's go through the items very quickly. Jason, what was your gimcrack item? Um, it was... I'm trying to remember what it was now. It, it Darth Vader on it, and it was a thing to do with. It was a clip along. Uh, a clip along. What did? Oh, it was to do with sharpening crayons or pencils or something, wasn't it? I'm trying. <laughs> Brilliant. Let's move on to the next one. <laughs> something like that. Yeah. Spoons. You had uh, I could describe laces. describe mine in the same way as Jason. They were sort of things for putting on your shoes or something yeah. like that. Yes, yeah, Star Wars shoelaces. Star X-wing shoelaces, in fact. They were lovely. They were quite nice. Maybe too much for Game Crack. I don't know. Andy can't believe. I think it was the description it won on the day. Yeah, the uh, Princess Leia soap. Hey, there's nothing wrong with the Princess Leia soap. Yeah, this was Omni Cosmetics. It was a boxed Princess Leia soap. Uh, the blurb on the back was something along the lines of Princess Leia is a feisty, heroic leader of the rebellion and her heroics can help you to lather off that dirty grime and make you feel like a princess. The skull- Yeah, that, that's what got people excited. They were thinking of Princess Leia and soapy bubbles. That's, yeah. what, that's what won it on the day. I just, the, saw, I just saw that collectible. on. Uh, I was watching Wishful Drinking by Carrie Fisher and she highlights five of the most ridiculous things that she's featured on, and that was one of them. So oh, they, yeah. yeah, well, it, it, it doesn't look like Carrie Fisher, Princess Leia, so much as something like Queen Victoria with a sort of bun hairdo and, uh, yeah, a, a bit old lady. So, yeah, the, the sculpt lets it down a bit as well. Top okay, but the, the moral winner, the moral winner, because I think we all got our items from 
uh, Ben at Toys of Tatooine, didn't we? But he he had a special item for me that when I was going through his stuff, I said, "Come on, you got to have something out the back that that is quite yeah, are, that is ridiculous." Are you saying you tried to rig the competition, Pete? Well, to, no, I said, you know, is is it? Have you got anything better than what? Yeah, you know, you got anything out out the back kind of thing, you know, that you haven't put out yet? He said, "Well, I think I do. Actually, he said, I think I do. You got to come back tomorrow and pick it up." And when he described it to me, I was like, "That is perfect, perfect." So what it was, a Boba Fat vintage figure had been chewed and destroyed by a dog. Now, the, I can't remember whether he said it had been through the dog, but it might have been. But it, it the, maybe some pieces had. So you, you, think, okay, you paid so, money for this, did you? Oh, I paid money for this. Yeah, oh, indeed. And uh, so it had been you know, destroyed, but someone some kid had lovingly re-glued it together so this is a very deformed and you know some kind of horror show boba fett but it looks it's just so good and the glue is is proper gluing right this thing is very hard to i thought it was going to break to pieces when i brought it back but it actually stands on a figure stand it's only got one leg or one foot should we say the rest of it is kind of mangled but you've got to look at the pictures of it. It is just so good. It, it looks like it's been in, in a few accents. But, hey, some kid put that back to go again because obviously his mum and dad didn't want to buy him another Boba Fett. So he kept it in that condition and probably played with it. But it's got all its bits there. It's rocket still on the back and it's got most of its arms, but they've been glued back together in stumpy paid, versions. You paid money for this. I paid money for this, Jason. It's a piece what? of quality art. It is quite, And uh, the, the public vote technically might have voted for it to win so chris has shown me the stats there's a bit of a tie at the top between uh, myself and leah soap but i think andy was cheating there and was voting getting his whole his family to vote but it finished level at the top i got the deciding vote and i've gone for my own item funny enough so boba fett is the winner of game Crit challenge thank you very much let's move on richard the only winner of gimpack Pack challenge is ben potter i think he wins well i think he does but uh, <laughs> that's a very true well, congratulations, Pete. If you can't award yourself as the winner, what can you do? Exactly. What a great win by me. Thank you very much. will be in range in five minutes. May Torquay be with you. I think this is an Andy P adventure story. Yes, it is. Uh, well, I was contacted by our friend Matt Fox. Have you all been to his exhibition? Um, the May the Toys Be With You. It's been touring the country for... A few years now. Yes, I went to the one okay. last A couple yeah. of times, I think. Yeah, fantastic exhibition. Well, it came to Torquay five, six years ago, and it's back now for the summer. And Matt very kindly invited me down, because he knows I'm reasonably close, to the opening, uh, which was a week or two before celebration. Uh, went down with my two kids, because um, they managed to wangle invites as well. And it was a really good evening. Started off with a little introduction, a little talk from uh, Matt uh, and from the, uh, the, uh, the the museum director. And we were then split into two groups. Half went to see the exhibition and half went into a side room for some lightsaber training. And uh, so me, me and the kids went off and uh, we, we had our, our lightsabers and we were instructed in the art of lightsaber combat. And we put a little routine together. And that was really good fun. I thoroughly enjoyed that. And then went up into the museum itself. 
had a little look round Matt's exhibition. Not too dissimilar to what you've seen before, but he's got some uh, some nice new pieces in there. And uh, the content of that exhibition is absolutely fantastic. Matt, as we all know, is a poster guy. Uh, there are some wonderful, wonderful posters in there uh, from his collection of British movie posters, including a nice Empire Strikes Back pre-release Beware poster, which uh, he acquired from me a few years back. So nice to see that uh, nicely restored and on display. He's got action figures, carded loose. He's got variants. He's got foreign stuff. He's got some wonderful displays, very, very rare items. Uh, He's got lots of cinema-related paraphernalia he's got videos playing he's got stormtrooper mannequins if you've seen the exhibition before go and see it again because you will see stuff you didn't see last time if you haven't been to it and you're in that area of torquay uh, if you live down that way uh, or if you're there over the holidays absolute must see for any fan of vintage star wars really really good exhibition while i was down there managed to get a little bit of audio with matt uh, firstly his uh, his little talk to all the assembled guests and a little uh, interview with matt himself so i think we're going to cut to that now these are my star wars toys are you depicted with a mixture of pride and shame? However, um, a recent survey suggested that actually one in three Britons will admit to collecting something. So um, perhaps I'm not the only one afflicted by this malady. In fact, can we have a show that if you collect something, or if you've ever collected something, however modest, however informal, raise your hand, please. Any, any collections at all? Um, <laughs> Lego. Lego, okay, okay. What have you collected, sir? Uh, money boxes. Money boxes. <laughs> what a weirdo. Right, I've got some money boxes. Badges. Badges, okay, yeah, that's pretty lame. Right, what have you collected? Star Wars, okay. Uh, uh, what have you collected? Doctor Who. Oh, you're the, yes. And baby figures. And baby figures, okay. So usually, usually when a collector, you hear about someone's collection, you think, what, what a strange person. But so I'm glad to see that I'm not the only person afflicted by that strange sickness. But um, if collecting is a sickness, then sharing it is surely the best and only cure. And um, that's why I have to thank uh, Talking Museum, and in particular Basil, uh, for uh, taking this remedial action on me. Um, and, uh, it, I'd like to, uh, well, I'd like to say it's been hard work doing uh, this setup as well as doing my, my day job at the same time. And uh, this weekend, I will be uh, medicating myself with a bottle of Chateau Neuf de Pat. Um, <laughs> as you know, that, that's a lie. Not, not about the Chateau Neuf de Pat, that is definitely happening, but um, about it being hard work, because I've actually really enjoyed every minute of it. It's been a real pleasure to be here in Torquay and uh, to spend a bit of time uh, playing with my Star Wars toys. Uh, and I hope you enjoy the collection when you go in there. Um, collecting Star Wars started for me uh, back when I was five years old and I saw the movie. And I got my very first figure, which was a Darth Vader figure on a Palatoy card. And uh, one of my earliest memories, actually, sitting in the back of Mum's car and opening that figure, and this pungent, vinyl-y smell coming out from the Darth Vader's rubber. And uh, I was hooked after that. And um, on the back of the card, you could actually see all the other figures in the toy line. Mm-hmm. And it said, collect them all. And I have <laughs> tried to obey that simple statement <laughs> to this day, as you can see. I'm still trying. Uh, 
I did eventually, you know, uh, sort of grow out of the toys a little bit, got a bit older and interested in girls and video <laughs> games and those sorts of things. Um, but then in the 90s, I had an aspiration to be a film director. I thought this would be a career for me. I didn't know how to do it, so I got a job in a cinema. Quite tangential and uh, mm. in retrospect, really not going to help at all. But, um, so I was working in a cinema in 1997 and the special edition versions of Star Wars came out. Uh, so, you know, I could pop in every now and then and sort of watch a little bit of Star Wars and think, well, better get back to work and, you know. And uh, at that time, I, I went up into Mum and Dad's loft and all my Star Wars toys had been boxed away. Unlike many people, they weren't sent to a charity shop or jungle sales. And uh, so I got this box and I opened it up. And it was a bit like in Pulp Fiction when they opened the suitcase, this golden glow of nostalgia washed up with me. And I took my figures all back downstairs and I cleaned them up. And I saw, well, I've got a lot of Star Wars figures here, but I haven't got all of them. And um, there was this amazing thing called the internet that hadn't been around in the 80s, and that showed me the ones that I was missing. And I started collecting more seriously. And um, so I was collecting Star Wars toys, and then in 1999, a couple of years later, um, the Phantom Menace came out, a new Star Wars movie. And uh, because I was working in a cinema, I actually uh, had a ch chance to take one of the posters. We weren't really meant to, but we had three copies of the poster, so I thought, then they're not going to miss this. So I took my first movie poster, took it home with me, put that away, and that was my very first movie poster. And um, when you go to the ex exhibition, you'll see that the exhibition is a mixture of toys and movie posters. So uh, that's kind of how I began my road, and uh, uh, it's something I'm still continuing. I'm still adding extra pieces to it. And I really hope that you enjoy having a little look around. I'm going to hand back to Basil now. Um, Um, Matt will be in the exhibition space, uh, so able to ask, answer your questions uh, that you may have. So joined now by Matt Fox. Hello, Matt. Lovely to meet you at last. Been friends Hello. on Facebook forever, but uh, <laughs> we've never actually met, have we? No, actually, nice to meet you. That's great. Yeah, that's a pleasure. And thank you very much for asking me down to the opening of May the Toys Be With You in Torquay. Well, I knew I was coming to Torquay, and I thought I can't come to Torquay without seeing Eddie Preston in some shape or form. So <laughs> I'm really pleased you're able to come along with your, with your children tonight. Yeah, well, that's very good of you. Thank you. So we're actually second time in Torquay, aren't we? Because I, I looked and I can't believe it was six years ago, the last time that... Uh, that your exhibition was here? I know, it has, um, time has flown. This is actually the very first venue that has had my exhibition back as a sort of repeat thing. Ah, that's not right. So I, I don't know if sort of six years is going to end up as sort of the sweet spot when museums think, or oh, we can have that exhibition again and have it back. But uh, yeah, it's really nice to come back and um, I, I do like talking to town. It's rather nice. Yeah, it's lovely. And uh, um, so what, what's, what's new, Matt? Anybody who might have come in in 2017, what, what, what would they not have seen? Well, from last this time. year we've got, it's not strictly vintage, but it's kind of vintage, is the Jabba Sail Barge. Yeah. I don't know if you're going to show a little clip of that, but uh, we've, we've got that sort of on the sand. Obviously, it was um, painted by Ralph McCoy uh, back in the mid 80s to be a toy, um, but they didn't produce it because it was going to be crazy expensive to make something that large and that plastic. So um, uh, we managed to get the, um, you know, the crowdfunded Hasbro version, and I bought one of those back when they came out and got it shipped over here and the shipping was actually the, the killer which I think is probably why 
a lot of UK guys haven't got them, but um, it really displays really nicely with vintage figures. In oh, it, so, it uh, does. Yeah, yeah. Seeing those vintage figures on it, you, yeah. yeah I, I wish I got the space for one. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. No, it's a big thing. I mean, so it, it's quite rare to actually find a museum cabinet that's big enough to take uh, the sail barge. Ah, uh, um, wonderful. There's some other nice bits of cardboard. If you're looking for cardboard, there's the uh, La Guerre des Etoiles early bird French stand uh, from Cardo. Yep. There's the um, the slave one um, sort of hangar backdrop, which I'm really fond of. Yeah, that was one of the special offer kind of boxes, was That's that right? right in the yep. special offer set. Uh, I, I rather like that. And there's some, you know, nice bits and bobs of uh, paper and movie memorabilia with um, Polaroids from the Argos catalogue, um, old tickets from the, uh, the early cast of crew things, and a little bit of pre-production with um, hard copy and uh, some of the yeah. stuff. Yeah, I was going to say, you've got something rather special from Palatoy over there in one of the cabinets. I have, yeah. Then, yes, um, a hot, hot, nice, nice hard copy, um, which is, um, you know, a, a very nice thing to have to be able to sort of show you know, the, the actual production process behind them. And, Absolutely. Yeah. That's the one that uh, Roger Morrison found in his loft, I think, wasn't it? It is indeed. Yes. It's, a, it's a Roger Morrison find. So um, we really didn't have a lot of pre-production coming out of the UK. Um, so I'm, I'm glad that Roger managed to sort of find this, this little batch. Um, you know, most of it, sadly, was destroyed back in the day. All the moulds and all of those great things. So, um, you know, we've looked with envious eyes for many years at the American collectors who, Absolutely. Uh, who, who you know, who, who found all the Kenner guys and... Uh, did the, uh, the, the footwork and managed to get all the pre-production stuff there so there's not a lot over here but it's nice to have some and to have it um, all shaped in public Excellent and uh, otherwise I mean, it's just a treasure trove of vintage toys you've got uh, is it two versions of every figure just about? I've displayed them that way because I think it's interesting to see the variants Yeah. And even the um, non-collectors who don't know anything at all about variants they can still go around and play spot the difference Well this is it you've got vinyl plates and cloth capes you've got uh, blue snag and red snag but some of them you've got to look a bit more closely, haven't you? Yeah, I mean, it does get a little bit obscure. But um, yeah, as, as you said, the, um, it's very easy to spot a vinyl cape jar from a cloth cape jar. And, uh, a little bit harder for people to spot what the difference is between two lobots. Uh, you know, there's a little bit of extra stuff on the fly, detailing actually on the, on the variant for that one. But <laughs> yeah, yeah and lots and lots of other rare and wonderful things, things that I've never seen anywhere else. Got some lovely customs as well. So uh, yeah, thoroughly recommend anybody who likes a bit of vintage or, or even just likes sort of retro toys, collectibles, cinema posters, of course, because that's Matt's speciality. Get yourself down to Torquay if you're down this way. Come and have a look. Uh, is it free entry? Well, I actually, believe. you do have to pay for this. Region, oh, you I, do. Once you've paid one, Very good you can value, come back sure. to the museum for the whole year. So oh, well, there, there, there you go. There you go. 365 days worth for, yeah. <laughs> for the price of one. And can Wonderful. I say, Andy, to, um, to yourself and to also your fellow podcasters, thank you so much for doing the Vintage Rebellion. Um, I was telling Andy earlier, I listen to it in the bathtub quite often, try not to picture that, or, or a non-car gym, and it's, it's just brilliant. It's such, such an entertaining podcast, so thank you. That's wonderful. Thank you, Matt. Appreciate that, and uh, I'll look forward to catching up with you at Celebration. Thank you, Tom. Cheers. There we go. Thank you very much, Matt, uh, for the invitation and for the, uh, the interview. I hope everybody's enjoyed that. Back to you, Rich. I've got to say, Andy, that Matt is one of the loveliest people ever. <laughs> he's always smiling. He's always friendly. I mean, you know, he always deserves a lovely hug and his stuff needs to be supported because he is a top, top bloke. He certainly is. Yeah, first time I met him in person, actually, which was lovely. He is a lovely Facebook guy. For a long time, but uh, yeah, great to meet him. If, uh, if you're listening, Matt, I know you do listen to the podcast. Great to meet you. And uh, yeah, thank you again. We love you, Matt. I love him anyway. Then that star will be in range.
Pally Toys playsets purchased. An update on, on um, Lee Gregory's Pally Toy stuff. Uh, well, our, our friend Lee Gregory, we had him on the show uh, oh, way back when now. I think at the time he was developing a Bespin playset, which hasn't seen the light of day just yet. But uh, what has seen the light of day and what has now gone into production and he sold his first, I think, 100 units is his Palitoy, or Palitoy, I should say, detention block. This is a playset done in the same way as Palitoy's playsets, the Land of the Jowers and the uh, Cantina, a vac-formed base cardboard walls and this features uh, a little um, detention block area it's got a desk um, that the uh, the, the um, detention block officers the star destroyer commanders death Stalk, death squad commanders stand behind there's a little doorway through to a catwalk um, that uh, ben kenobi can go and uh, inch his way around to shut down the tractor beam lovely vintage style graphics and uh, it really is good. I've seen some wonderful feedback from people who've uh, now received these and are very, very pleased with them. And he got a, a a really good review from none other than Bob Breakin himself, Palatoy designer. Bob said, really excelled yourself. Great product, which would have sat perfectly in the Palatoy range. Uh, you can't get a better recommendation than that. Lee's next project, uh, the Death Star Detention Block, is currently in development. He's put some images up of the prototype. Looks like another wonderful set. And he's also been ever so kind to give us a detention block playset, full boxed playset, which uh, I've got here with me. And uh, we will be giving that away in a special competition next month. So do look out for that one. In the meantime, if you want to find Lee, if you've not seen his work yet, uh, he's on Facebook, Pally Toys, P-A-L-E-E-T-O-Y-S. Go and have a look. Uh, it's a wonderful product. And he's another lovely guy. Got lovely guys <laughs> all over the place. They are. They're, they're coming out the walls, aren't they? These I know. Guys. Rebel base, one minute and closing. Kickstarting Bob's Palatome. It's a very exciting story about a new book. I'm very excited about this. This, this How excited? On a scale of 1 to 12? 1 to 12, about 13. It's going to be... It's it's Bob Brecken doing a book about Palatoy. I mean, who who else? I mean, we, there's been various people over the years who said, oh, I'm going to do a Palatoy book, but bob's doing a book and this, this is going to be it and he's got a he's going to have a, a kickstarter for it and everybody needs to get behind bob and get bob's book made because it's going to be awesome did you know when it starts jason when the kickstarter starts it's, it's on kickstarter so there's a there's links on facebook at the moment so the book's called my palatoy story an illustrated history of a famous british toy company and brian hickey's involved he's the he's the creator behind it uh, so if you click on the Kickstarter link, you can't do anything yet apart from express interest. It doesn't. There is a date that's given somewhere. It's not on that Kickstarter page. I think it's 19th of May, so it's not far away. We'll be um, probably it'll be out when this podcast goes out. So yeah, we'll, we'll see where it goes. Got to go back in time and uh, and listen, and then go back in time again. Is it going to have a free Bob Breakin uh, hand with it? <laughs> yeah, so cut into the into the pages think, like they're doing like Lego books. Under Bob, they're going to yeah. do stages of of kind of how much you pledge, and if you pledge the maximum amount, you 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 get a kind of afternoon hot tub with 
you and Bob, basically, I think will be how it will work. It's I hope be- that's true, because he's another lovely guy. I would like to be in a hot tub with Bob. Yeah, Brian Hickey, another lovely guy. We had him on the podcast yes. uh, back along. He's done the recreated the Star Wars trilogy with action figure photographs. Superbly talented chap. Um, so, uh, yeah, a book to look forward to. It's not a Star Wars book, interestingly. Uh, it's covering the whole Panatoy range, everything Bob was involved with. I'm sure there will be plenty of Star Wars, but it's uh, it's not the sort of the the, the, the sort of focus on Panatoy Star Wars. Um, that we've talked about before, but I'm thoroughly looking forward to it. I'm, I'm intrigued by the hot tub bit now. So we're going to get Matt, <laughs> so we get Mr. Fox, we're going to get Bob, we're going to get Lee Gregory and Brian Hickey in a hot tub. There we go. Sounds like fun. And maybe Jason as well. Rebel base, one minute and closing. Bassa badass. Who's done this? What, what's, what's, what's going on now? Well, this is someone you wouldn't want to have a hot tub with, Pete. Oh, uh, but that's a bit harsh. Well, you might want to. Pat O'Brien brought brought this to light, so you might want to have a, a hot tub with Pat because he's very nice. Yeah, there we go. Uh, so this, I saw this on the uh, Twelve Back Collectors Group on Facebook, and essentially Pat was scammed by a uh, a faker called Luis Mendez Gonzalez uh, a few years back, who was basically faking Bassa cards. Uh, it's basically making very convincing Bassa stickers, which then go on uh, on vintage Kenner cardstock, because that, that's that's the main difference. Now he he was found out at the time, hounded Pat, lost a bit of cash, and he noticed that on the cardback collecting group, uh, there's a post by Caesar V. Jacques, and uh, that a, a character called Ed De Toke, MJ, that doesn't, that doesn't sound like a real name, does it? Ed De Toke, MJ, have been selling a lot of Bassa. And essentially anybody, you know, this is really rare. This is rarer than any other collectibles, essentially, in the vintage Star Wars world. So anybody that suddenly appears out of nowhere, completely unknown, with armfuls of Bassa, is suspicious. So, well, we won't go into to all all the details there. But Pat Pat says, as many of you know, I was scammed on some Bassa stuff a while back by Luis Mendez Gonzalez. There's some murmurings in other groups about new Bassa stuff that's coming out of Peru. Has anyone else bought from this new Bassa seller or have any insight? At the risk of seeming petty, I'm obviously keen to try and make sure that Lewis has not come back with improved fakes after being caught out. The timing of his disappearance from Facebook and the emergence of so much new rare Bassa stuff from a single new seller does seem odd. So I'm asking the question, is this a new scam or is it just happenstance? Now, there's loads of comments after this, including on the use of happenstance, actually. He gets congratulated for that because that's a, that's a good word. But probably the most pertinent one is from uh, Tanzi Ng, and he says, sorry to be a bearer of bad news, but I've ascertained that obsessive collector, so that's, that's the same character as Ed Toke MJ, is indeed Luis Mendez Gonzalez. And aside from this account, he has six other accounts. There's either linked to his shipping address and or by name IP address. So you've got to be a bit careful about uh, slander on this. Um, so that's that's Tan that's that's done this work. Looked into, found all these linked accounts, and it's and it's telling that obsessive collector has completely disappeared again uh, after all these IDs have been outed. But um, for I suspect there's you know, it's, it's fairly niche area collecting. But if anybody is thinking of buying from these characters, the the names are Burbanavide Thirty, Juguetes Retro Peru suspended. Uh, Luis Mendez Gonzalez Zero on hold. Perquinla One, 
link address name different and vicona one and stormy angel another suspended one so just yeah just watch out there fakes are getting better and better there's work going on looking at these uh, these stickers now to see how the, how they're printed that's the way to tell the difference you need sort of microscopes and experts but it's it's yeah it's scary stuff it's big money star wars so as long as things are worth big money people are going to fake them perfect thing to fake it's it's a really simple little sticker and you can slap it on a cheap kenner card and it's worth thousands it's just like and the thing was back in the day these were rare as rocking horse doodah and now they're appearing everywhere but I, I i just wouldn't buy one of these things now because they're, the stickers are at the point where you can't tell so yeah. i mean is there a rhyme about basser jason there is do not bend do not fold. Bassa card backs are made of gold. <laughs> Featured in a presentation I did quite a number of years ago, before all the fakes appeared. Yeah, it's, now, it's scary, isn't it? Now, we covered Bassa in our licensee section not long ago, and I think this guy, Luis Gonzalez, came up in that. Um, he got quite a lot of information that was on various forums back along, and he, he, he is quite a Bassa expert by all accounts. It's just a shame that he seems to have gone rogue. I suppose he's made a decent bit of money from his original Bassa fines and needs more. That sadly seems as if it might be the case. Rebel base, one minute and closing. Mouldy old lady. That doesn't sound very nice. Well, this is another one you'd want to have a hot tub with. Oh. The mouldy old lady or Jacob Burzinski who has uh, who's posted this so this is a story in star wars bootlegs and knockoffs on facebook now jacob is the foremost polish bootleg person and this is a really really sort of heartwarming story actually so at the end of 2010 he'd seen some pictures of what he's called two blurred stamps and essentially it's the it's the molds for making um weapons for um the uh the wojowinik imperium cards i'm butchering my polish there uh, and essentially said a very hard to read name and city but there's a sort of a polish version i'm guessing what was what was it called was it friends reunited that was pre-facebook so the polish version was called yeah. uh nas Klasa, our uh, nasa Klasa, our class and he did a load of research on there and discovered two ladies with the same name linked to that city. So he, just on the off chance that they were linked to essentially the people making these bootlegs, he, he wrote to them and one of them wrote back, bingo. She was the wife of the maker who passed away some time ago. Uh, no production remains survived. And he tried to arrange a meeting to hear all the stories about the figures, but it didn't happen. So 2012, nothing happened, but the, the, the lady's daughter took over the conversation and she found the mould uh, for one of the guns, which she promised to give to him, well, present to him when, when they met. Uh, 2015, still no meeting. So she's thinking this isn't going to happen. Um, their city was 26 kilometres from the centre of Warsaw, but he had no car. He's got, you know, these are just random people. He couldn't, didn't feel like he could just turn up, visit people. He could been emailing, but he didn't, or writing to them, but he hadn't got an official invitation and didn't, didn't want to just turn up. But in April the 19th, 2023, he went to Krakow 
to pick up this promised card found by Matus earlier that year. So Matus hears the story about these molds and forces him. So basically, this is a different different item, this promised card from Matus. But for, Matus forces him to go and, and I promise him that he'll go and visit the ladies and the mold. So on April 21st, he wrote to the ladies again and he said he's going to visit them this Sunday. No response. April 23rd, he's taken by a friend in his car to their town, Okinuu. I'm sorry, God, I'm, this is terrible. Sorry, Polish people. Um, and under the address on the, on this stamp, they find a completely different lady. Uh, but fortunately, she knows the name of the original lady, shows us the way, takes them to a few houses away. They ring the bell. There's no answer. But a little dog comes out sort of greeting them and it's all friendly. The neighbours cross the street to say if the dog is here, then the owners are there too. We ring the bell again and again. And then suddenly, two beautiful ladies come out of nowhere, like in a slow motion movie. And the rest was an amazing conversation about the past, showing pictures of the deceased husband, the remains of the shack where they were making these bootlegs. Uh, they ate brownies, took family pictures, and uh, most important, they did receive the amazing part of the mould. Uh, so they could actually make a new mould of the rifle if they wanted to. So it's a really, really nice story. Uh, they've got an actual date for when production started, so no earlier than 1987, which is really good for putting a date to these bootlegs, which is also the year when the daughter was born. And she used to play in her playpen in the garden next to the production shed. Uh, they distributed the toys themselves. So they'd basically take them to the local shops around there and at the seaside. Uh, they didn't sell anything in the south. And they only sold well for one year. Then the interest faded away. And uh, and really sadly, the, uh, the, the husband, Jacksick, passed away at 46 about 20 years ago um so he really thanks his friend matthews for encouraging him his dream came true the magic is happening i remember this day to the end of my life and there's some really nice photos to go to with this story which we'll, we'll put up on our uh, on our various links and on facebook and whatever but just a really nice story and a great bit of uh, collecting history to welcome Davine Anderson to the Vintage Rebellion podcast and uh, for Thunder Tracks. Um, good day to you, Davine. Hey, thanks, Rich. It's great to be here. Thanks so much for the invitation. Now, Davine, the reason why I've asked you to come on this show is because we were both recently at um, Celebration Europe 4. It still doesn't seem right calling it Celebration Europe 4 because for such a long time it was CE3, but now we finally had a CE4, so it hasn't quite stuck yet. Um, oh. But <laughs> I saw your standard celebration and I was like, yes, all the stars have aligned. I've been wanting to go to Tunisia for such a long time. I'm delighted to have you on your show. So first of all, can you just give you an introduction about yourself and what Galaxy Tours are? 
Absolutely. Thanks, Rich. I appreciate it. First, I was really glad to see that you were that you, among so many other fans, were excited to see our stand at Celebration. It really was a, a groundbreaking effort for us. So my name is uh, is David Anderson. I am originally from Utah in the United States. That's where I was born and raised. Uh, I haven't been back to Utah for quite some time. I've lived uh, overseas for most of my adult life uh, with my family. Uh, and the for me, the engagement with Galaxy Tours has been the fact that over the past eight years, I've worked intermittently uh, in Tunisia, and it has, it's allowed me to understand and really grab a hold of the wonderful Star Wars history that's connected to Tunisia and look at a way in order to be able to solve the problem for fans in terms of how to deliver a research-free, stress-free, all-inclusive holiday to Star Wars fans that can bring them to Tunisia and allow them to have all sorts of Star Wars immersion coupled with the Tunisian history and culture that is inherent in all of the Star Wars sites to give this complete all-immersive, all-inclusive package and allow fans to simply say, yes, let's do this. This has been the adventure and a dream of a lifetime. Let's make this happen. That is really in a nutshell Galaxy Tours itself. It really began as an effort back in during COVID as a research project. I've already been living and working in Tunisia, but I said, you know what? There are so many, there are so many different travel logs and different pieces of information scattered over two and a half decades of pioneers who have gone in their in the mid-90s and late 90s, and then other travelers who followed to Tunisia and made their own travel logs. But there was so much different type of information, most of it correct, some of it blatantly wrong. And so I really sit there and said, why don't we create galaxytours.com to become the authoritative one-stop source for all things Lucasfilm, specifically Star Wars franchise filming in Tunisia. And so that's why when you open up galaxytours.com, especially if you look at the film site areas that we have or the scouted site areas that we have, it's very well researched. You have exact dates that were filmed at every single film site, the exact scenes on those dates that were filmed. And so it's really heavily there. And so we have that one-stop shop for that. Now, as we grew that during COVID, and we said, wow, we've got something really fun. We've put in a lot of work here, a lot of meticulous hours looking at archive data, but also on the ground field work in Tunisia. We said, we now have the ability, we have everything in place. We've done all this research and we have all the contacts on the ground. Why don't we've solved the problem for Star Wars fans to be able to come here? Why don't we bring Star Wars fans here as a business with Galaxy Tours and create this very niche exclusive travel company to bring Star Wars fans to have uh, this experience in Tunisia? So that's that's really where we're at currently as a company. We are incorporated in the United States, but we are registered to be able to do our tours in Tunisia. So everything is on board and, and uh, that, that's the way we roll. Everything's gotta be legal and correct, right? So we do that space and, and we really just bring, we, we bring that, that enthusiasm, excitement for Star Wars fans to be able to have this experience in Tunisia, which is by far the gem of all Star Wars filming locations. I'm a little biased just because that's my area of expertise, but anyone who goes there and has this experience, they will say, yes, this is the ideal real world location to have 
the ultimate Star Wars immersive experience. Yeah, absolutely. And there's a couple of things that I'd like to pull out there. So you mentioned the amount of misinformation first. Um, when yeah. I first started researching Tunisia about seven years ago, I, I had to give up. I, I was just getting such conflict information. So how have you managed to, to get that research done? It must be nigh on impossible task. No, thank you so much. It's great, fantastic question. So I'm a big believer in team play. Uh, there are so many individuals who have bits and pieces of information. And so I, I, I spent the, the early years of Galaxy Tour, especially that first year, of reaching out and connecting to all the original pioneers like Philip Bunny, David West Reynolds, Jeremy Beckett, Gus Lopez, uh, um, and uh, there's others across the board. Uh, and, and what I wanted to do is, is talk to them and say, hey, can you, what access of information did you have? And let, let's, let's form some consolidation. Through that, I was then able to gain access to uh, uh, shooting records, production records, call sheets, all those types of things across the films in order to be able to aggregate the data and fill in the holes. It really was a large puzzle project. And then obviously, I've spent so much time on the ground at the film sites of being able to fill in the missing gaps where we didn't have information from and talking to locals and understanding uh, their experiences. Now, for A New Hope, that's a little difficult because there's not that many locals left that were to really remember that. But for the, the prequels, there still is a good bit there. So it was really this connecting, this teaming, this research uh, effort of bringing all this together and then just organizing it and framing it in a way that made sense and that followed uh, through uh, through 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 the, for Star Wars fans to be able to process. I have an academic background. I have a Hebrew Bible and Greek New Testament studies master's degree, and so all these things kind of clicked. There was this there was this archaeological bit, this puzzle making bit, this research bit, this building connections bit, and it really just flowed into allowing all this information to flow and be able to provide that type of product for Star Wars fans. So that's that's how we got there. But it really, as, as uh, you're not alone, uh, I, I, this was a three, four year research project. So many individuals would just stop and quit because it is so disparate and there's so many different streams of information. They just say, oh, looks like I can't do Tunisia. It's just too complicated. So that that's what we, we again, that's the, the, the problem that we solve for fans with galaxytours.com. Now, Galaxy Tours, I think, are the only company that I've done any research on that actually get the ethical side of what a lot of Star Wars collectors want. We don't want these kind of going there, spend the money, all the money gets taken out of the local community and it disappears. You do seem to be really integrated and care about Tunisia. And I think that's one of your USPs from, from any of the companies that I've seen. No, I, I appreciate that. And thanks for highlighting that, Rich. We, we really do. That is... That is a core part of our model. We look at the Star Wars film sites as national treasures for Tunisia of worldwide historical heritage value. And so although it's Tunisians innately are not Star Wars fans, it's not necessarily part of their culture. Um, probably 5%. It's growing among the younger generation. But uh, the majority, you can, you can ask, well, nine out of 10 Tunisians, do you like Star Wars? Do you know what it is? And usually the question, the answer is, nah, I, I think it was filmed here or, or they know it's filmed there, but it's like, well, okay, it's Star Wars. And we try to, we try to educate them and say, do you know, do you understand how large the global Star Wars phenomenon is? And they'll say mostly, uh, sure. Yeah. But, but it's just kind of 
acknowledging that there's something there. And so what we want to do is, is bring all of that Star Wars goodness back into Tunisia. So some of the key things that we do in order to make sure that Tunisia and especially the local communities associated with the film sites benefit from the Galaxy Tours operations is we train, hire local guides that we personally, I personally will train and let and, and give them that Galaxy Tours type of expertise and professionalism. Part of that training actually entails watching and having conversations and even quizzes about Star Wars films, just to make sure that they are conversant to be able to talk about Luke and Anakin, all the characters that, that we know and love. And then in terms of partnering beyond the, the, the Tunisian guides themselves, we partner with local, uh, both private and public sector entities in order to make sure that uh, we are when we when we bring our customers to our guests to the to on tour, they're able to we, we fill up hotels, we fill up restaurants, uh, we're able to our transportation vendors have that type of business. And so the money is going back to the local communities. And then what we also do in our partnering uh, aspects is we uh, proceeds from our tours go towards the restoration and preservation of the film sites in order to keep them uh, keep to sustain them and to keep them as these historical landmarks as they are. Many of them are actually uh, buildings, actual landmarks themselves. Many are in the middle of the wilderness, deserts, salt flats, but all of them require upkeep. And so we, we actively engage with different partners, both private and public, in order to be part of that scenario. We're not alone in doing that. Again, we, we, this is a team effort, uh, but we like to contribute in that way and to be a leading voice in the community to say, let's make sure that we keep these things, uh, these landmarks uh, properly maintained so that all Star Wars fans can enjoy them. And really also that Tunisian uh, individuals who just like Tunisian history can enjoy them as well because you do get both aspects of that as you as you enjoy all these different film side areas. So we've got a couple of listeners then who are perhaps interested in Galaxy Tours and seeing what different options you have. So about seven years ago, I spoke to a couple of individuals about Tunisia and one said, oh, you need three weeks. Another person said, you need nine days. Another person said, you could do most things in one day. And I just was completely baffled. So what different tours do you have? What would be your recommendations? And how could somebody go and have a look at the packages that you've got? Absolutely. So first of all, all of our packages are available on galaxytours.com. Right when you open the website, the very first link button underneath that says book your adventure. Just click on that and it'll take you to all of our Twin Suns Expedition packages. Those are multi-day packages. And so we offer three different Twin Suns Expedition packages, a four-day package, a six-day package, and an eight-day package. What we do is we the, the Star Wars film sites, we cover the film sites plus scouted locations. So we actually give individuals 22 different Star Wars locations to look at. The scouted locations are something that my team that I've led in order to identify different locations that Lucas either visited in 1975 or that McCallum and his crew visited in 1995 prior to the prequels. These sites were visited by uh, the, the Star Wars uh, heads, but they weren't used ultimately as Star Wars locations or Star Wars filming sites. And so we actually incorporate, though, 
the history of the scouting locations uh, with our, our tour itself. And that's where you have 12 film sites and 10 scouted locations. So what we do then is the eight, you the four-day tour is the fastest, most quickly paced one. It starts in Jerba. It ends in Tozer. We don't do a pickup in Tunis or drop off in Tunis. It's a different type of model, different type of concept. Those are private tours run by the locally trained Tunisian guides. The six-day tour is the same concept, a private tour run by locally trained Tunisian guides. It adds a few extra benefits and few extra sites as well. So uh, it will include all of the film sites and all the scouted locations and a few other additional landmarks that look and feel very much like Star Wars, especially in the island of Jerba, but were not filmed and they weren't used in any way for Star Wars itself. But we like to bring fans there to these different film, these different areas so they can see, wow, if you just walk around, especially the island of Jerba, it feels like you are walking in the Star Wars universe because so much of that architecture is what inspired Lucas to create the Tatooine architecture, which is then cascaded throughout the Star Wars universe. Our eight-day package is the one that we're currently really promoting. Those are the ones that I currently lead. I go twice a year, every October and every April. Those begin and end in Tunis. So we pick you up at the airport in Tunis. We have eight days we bring you down to Tunis to southern part of Tunisia and then we take we go through the whole entire process and get you back up to Tunis at the end of eight days all of these are all inclusive and what we do then is we the reason why it's not we don't do a lightning speed of here's the next site let's go here's the next site let's go we actually spend we spend a good bit of time at every site to be able to allow uh fans to experience every single scene angle, every single frame shot, because those are the things that we've researched with, with all the, all the uh, meticulous research we've done to allow fans to be able to immersively experience every bit of cinematic nostalgia at these sites themselves. And then we have special events as well. And so we'll do a Tuscan tent dinner experience under the Saharan stars. It's fantastic. Mm -hmm. We have it. We have an experience. Obviously you have multiple sunset experiences, one at Tashi station on the Island of Jerba, which is fantastic. And then we, we can't, we can never not have the binary sunset experience, which is really the last part, the last day of our tour. We also have ATV pod racing experiences. So you, you hop on quads or ATVs and you actually visit the different most ESPA and prequel sites in the in the desert north of Nefta on ATVs. It makes it a fun experience to get to, and you can you can pretend like you're pod racing as well, which is really really fantastic. Uh, we have an experience in Star Wars Canyon called Magar Gorge, in which we we actually call it a scavenger hunt because there are so many film angles and scenes shot inside that the interior. We give reference material to our fans, our, our guests that are with us. And we say, hey, take an hour and just explore without a guide and see how many of these you can find. And it's really fun because it makes it a game and, and it's really that interactive type of experience. Obviously we're there to be watching and making sure everything's fine and, make, and at the end of the hour, we explain any places that were missed, but that's kind of the experience that we do. So it's, it's, it's truly immersive. It's not just drop off. And then what we do, the eight-day package as well, is we add a, a, a very exclusive Star uh, Indiana Jones tourism day on top of that. In the center of Tunisia, there is a city called Kairwan. It is the fourth holiest city in Islam. 
and one of the most historic cities in Tunisia. It doubled as Raiders of the Lost Ark Cairo. And so we bring in the, at the end of the eight day tour, the very last day is an Indiana Jones focus day where we explore the entire old city of Cairo. We see all 17 filming locations inside the old city, uh, including the Cairo swordsman uh, standoff, including all the different alleys that were chased down where India is trying to find Marion. And then we end that day with a sunset experience on Salah's Terrace. It is the actual rooftop that was used for Salah's home, we have made a special arrangement with the owners of that property, and they allow exclusively our guests to come on top and they and for a sunset experience. And they actually provide a very light meal and refreshments for our guests and get to know the guests all at the same time. So those are those are just the kind of I wanted to really emphasize all those different points to answer the question of well, can I do all this in one day? Can I do this all in two days? You you could theoretically do it. Our, and in our shortest tour, the, the bare minimum you need is that four days. Absolutely. Shorter than that, you're not going to get to all the sites. But we like to extend to that eight-day tour to give all those extra goodness things there, all those extra bonus a- activities and events, and to make sure you have the unforgettable holiday adventure of a lifetime. Well, you need the time to absorb everything, don't you? Because the amount of times that we've been, even a celebration, at the end of Thursday in celebration, you're, you're dying, you're on your knees, and you're, you're rushing from panel to panel, or you're rushing from, you know, um, cosplay to some other kind of thing. So having that time to sit down with a drink and a light snack and a chat with, yeah. you know, lifelong friends you're going to make on these tours. Um, uh, very, very true. You're exactly right. And that is a difference. So the eight-day tour is a group tour, the ones that I lead. And so you do make lifelong friends, individuals, just like a celebration that you that you never knew before. And, and you have these these real experiences. Now, something else that we do is this. I, I'm not a, a camper. I, I, I was never a Boy Scout. And so like uh, when I travel, uh, we we I like to travel and stay at the best locations. I don't like the camping aspect. And so something else that we do is we partnered with the best hotels and restaurants, either resorts, five-star resorts, or boutique hotels, to make sure that at the end of the day or in the morning when you wake up, you're having these Star Wars immersive experiences, but you're doing so in complete comfort and luxury. That's that's the goal behind it as well. And that's how we merge the two worlds uh, in that space uh, to really give that complete type of, of holiday package. Okay, Devine, before we go too much further into this interview, perhaps can you allay some of the fears of our listeners in that, is Tunisia now safe? Absolutely. Thanks for the question, Rich. Uh, It's a great one for sure. So, yes, I can, without a doubt, uh, tourism travel in Tunisia is unquestionably safe. Uh, This is something of where I would not be doing this or running this company or pursuing this effort and bringing fans to Tunisia if I did not feel confident in that statement itself. Uh, Petty crime, uh, pickpocketing, even violence uh, towards uh, foreigners is very, very rare uh, in Tunisia. So there's no safety issues in that realm whatsoever. In terms of the terrorism issues that a lot of, of uh, non, non-Tunisians will look at and say, hey, I heard this in the news or I read this in the news, an article here. What's really important to understand is that ter- the, the terrorism problems that really occurred in 2015 and 2016, really, really the, the, the climax of the terrorism issues that were there, 
in Tunisia. That was a terrorism problem, not a Tunisian problem per se. Let, let me define what, what I mean by that. So the majority of Tunisians will view terrorism, especially Islamist terrorism, as something that is directly contradictory to the standard of Tunisian values and morals and ethics. And so the when in 2015, when you had the two major mass casualty attacks that were ISIS or Al-Qaeda-inspired in Tunis and then near a beach near Sousse, that really came uh, shocked a lot of Tunisians of saying, what, what is this? This is not a Tunisian way of doing things. Tunisians are innately very kind, very out, uh, forthcoming and very generous towards uh, non-Tunisians and especially tourists. That's, a, again, a very important part of their, their, their society and their makeup and who they are. And so that came as a real big shock in that in that case. And so w the way I define then what we're looking at here, and, and to be clear, I, I'm I'm not a security expert in any way. I've just spent a lot of time in Tunisia and studied a lot of these types of things. So I'm not an authoritative voice on, on these types of things. However, I have connected with a lot of individuals who do have uh, specifications and, and expertise in this area. And what we're really looking at it is this type of situation. As ISIS and Al-Qaeda reached their peak in the 2015-2016 era, at that same time, you had the downtrend in terrorism and a obvious and very aggressive uptick by the Tunisian authorities to uh, render aggressive uh, security actions and measures in order to contain the borders on the Libyan and uh, Algerian side in order to make sure that uh, checkpoints were secure, checkpoints were installed throughout the major cities and the, the major roadways between different governance, different regions. So a lot of effort, intense effort was given in that, in that era, and it still is present in order to make sure to secure Tunisia as a safe place for anyone to travel to. And so that, that's a, a real important point to stress. Uh, as I've stated, I've worked intermittently the past eight years in Tunisia. There hasn't been once as I've traveled around where I felt unsafe in any way, uh, that I felt as if there were any issues that, that could be problematic for me. Females can travel around the country uh, very safely. There's no need for females, especially uh, females, uh, you know, that are not uh, is uh, that are not Arab or that are not Muslim. There's no need for them to have to wear any type of of special clothing. Uh, it, the Western modern dress is totally acceptable. And so it's as as you're traveling through Tunisia and you're feeling this, you'll just get the sense that it, it really does feel very open to all starts of of standard and modern non-Tunisian way of doing things for the non-Tunisians to be to be in the country itself. So ultimately what we're saying is Tunisia is open for business, it's welcoming for everybody, but I think ultimately the proof is in the pudding of Galaxy Tours, their whole ethical nature. You would not be promoting anything like this. You would not be visiting Tunisia if there was any doubt in your mind whatsoever that it wasn't safe for families. And, you know, you've mentioned the eight-day tours, you know, luxury and, you know, high-quality apartments, fine dining. I mean, that is the Tunisia experience that you're going to get at this moment in time. Absolutely, Rich. Exactly right. Well, well summed up. Uh, you, you should you should come on board. We should we should probably hire you as our spokesperson. <laughs> that was that was fantastically said. Exactly right. <laughs>
So I've, as I said, I've looked at flights to Tunisia a number of times. And mm-hmm. for most of Europe, my mother lives in Gozo, which is a tiny little island of Malta, which isn't too far away. And all of the flights I've seen to found go to Tunis. Uh, mm-hmm. It's very difficult to get the gerbar, but on your website or perhaps on some Facebook post you made, I believe there are possibly one of our flights from Tunis to Gerba. Is that is that correct? And if so, uh, how, uh, what's your advice on that? Exactly, exactly. So Tunis Air Express does run, uh, is the domestic airline inside Tunisia. And they do run flights between Tunis to Gerba daily, usually three times a day, or to Tozer about three or four times a week between Tozer and Tunis. Tunis to Jerba is because they do three times a day. That's the one that the, that's why we always start our tours, the four day and six day tours, the private tours. We start those in Jerba because it's much easier to get there. That flight is 50 minutes. Uh, it can be booked through travel agents or through any type of, it can be booked directly also at Tunis Air Express. So it's very easy to be able to do that. And, and for the four and six day tour, Although we don't cover the cost of that domestic flight, we're definitely obviously there to help in order to uh, make those arrangements and to help assist in that space. The eight-day tour, the beauty of it is it all starts and ends in Tunis. So any other type of arrangements completely are taken care of. We'll pick you up at the airport and then drop you off at the airport. and It's done. That's the nice thing about it. Which film locations are the most, what are the most popular and what are people asking when they're on these tours? So the most popular locations are the, the Hotel City Idris in Matmata, which mm-hmm. is doubled as the Lars Homestead Interior. Mm-hmm. This has been a hotel since 1968, so prior to the initial filming. And it is a, it is a structure that has five subterranean pits interconnected, and they formed a hotel that was founded in 1968, as I mentioned. And so that the fact to be able to see the pit number two, which is the film site pit, to see it still dressed up mostly from original Attack of the Clones era props that were there for set dressings, to see it there is one of the most immersive experiences you can possibly have. We up that by overnighting at the hotel which then allows you to wake up right in the morning to be able to see sunrise over Luke's home, to sleep in Luke's home, and then to be able to sip blue milk in the, in the morning for breakfast in the, in the Lars Homestead dining room itself. That is one of the most, uh, it's the only non-luxury location we stay at. It is a bit rustic. You do have your own room and you do have a mattress, which is great. So that's fantastic. There is a, a community area for a shower and for uh, bathrooms and restrooms and things of that nature. But but that is our only rustic location. However, we obviously do that as part of our premium travel packages mm-hmm. in order to allow fans to have that experience. So fans love the Lars Homestead interior. They also love the, uh, and no, no surprise, on the Chote Jurid Salt Flats, which is about 265 kilometers away from Hotel City Idris, uh, you have the Lars Homestead exterior. That is, those are really the two biggest draws 
that everyone wants to see. And we always line up our time at the Lars Homestead exterior with the sunset experience. Uh, there's only one sun, but you, we can do in post later. You can add your second sun there. A lot of individuals love Jerba Island because you have within 15 kilometers of each other on the western part of the island, you have Moss Eisley, so the cantina, with the um, stormtrooper checkpoint scene. You then have three kilometers away, you have Obi-Wan Kenobi's original house uh, that was part of the film until the 1997 special edition, removed it with some CGI modeling uh, effects. And then just 12 kilometers or 10 kilometers up the road, you have everyone's famous or favorite Tashi station from the deleted mm-hmm. scenes, which is really fun to do in, the, in that space. And then finally, for me, one of my favorite locations, you, you've got the most Espa set, which was built for the prequels mm-hmm. in 1997, 1996, is still there. That is in the deserts north of Nefta. It's about uh, 35 minutes or so, for maybe 40 from the Lars Homestead exterior set on the Salt Flats. And so they're, they're all relatively close by. But for me, one of my favorite locations is the uh, Magar Gorge, or it's also known as City Bulel Gorge or Star Wars Canyon. I've mentioned that already in this interview. I love it because you can, every turn, you can be immersively part of the experience. And mm-hmm. you, you get to see, you, we hike up all the way to the summit and we look over the wretched hive of scum and villainy mm-hmm. below, which is fantastic. That's really an experience for sure for all fans. The hike isn't difficult. It's, it's definitely doable. Uh, and then I would say for me then, uh, in Indiana Jones part of it, uh, I really enjoy the Well of the Souls and the Map Room oh, area, yes. which is at the Tannis Dig site, which is actually just right outside of Star Wars Canyon. They're very close by. And then... The Kairwan experience, as I described already, the 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 Kai, Indies Cairo is that that full entire day is 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 for me is one of the best parts of the tour because you are in a city, in an old souk, wandering around, and every corner, every turn you make is a new part of Raiders that that you've seen and lived with your entire life. It has it has that same type of every corner a new discovery feel that you get at star wars canyon as well so so that's kind of a, a, an overview of those and 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 again the, the two biggest draws that that fans are most familiar with are going to be the hotel city address lars homestead interior and then the salt flats location for the lars homestead exterior but as they start looking and understanding what else is there and that's what we love doing at celebration in london as we talk about what else is is visitable you could see eyes just light up and people saying, I want this. I didn't mm-hmm. know all these locations were there. And that's the cool thing about Tunisia. And that's why really it is that, that, that gem of star Wars destinations. Well, there's still a lot of the prequels was all CGI and that's not, you know, true. And the prequels have got a new appreciation now, you know, true. we've had them for what they must be pushing 25 years, 30 years. Now. Yeah, exactly right. exactly right. So you've got yeah, a whole yeah. new generation who will be interested in that kind of aspect. So do you, do you see the prequel kind of locations becoming more popular than perhaps you initially thought? But without a doubt. Now, the, the most Espa set, that one's always super famous because it is so rare to have an actual real Star Wars set preserved in the middle of the desert. Mm-hmm. So that one's always been famous. But as you're right, as the prequels now are gaining a better, a well-deserved, a better appreciation for what they are uh, among, uh, among the fans 
and fans, the prequels fans are now, uh, you know, getting that point of where they want to be doing traveling and are at that point in their lives where they want to have that type of experiences. There, we, we are getting a lot more attention from prequels era fans of saying, hey, let me focus specifically on what the prequels will offer. And they are blown away. They love every aspect of it. Uh, and especially, you know, they love the fact that we, we've hunted down, identified the certain parts of the Bunta Eve classic. So there is the starting grid valley in which, or Dune Valley in which the, the, those, the, the, the pod racers were brought. There was actually nine life-size pod racers that were brought and about four different cutout pod racers that, that, that were there. So we've identified those locations. We have, there is a spot in the Mos Espa set itself that was used for uh, the uh, pit area where uh, you had R2-D2 uh, and friends cheering on Anakin. There's, we know where the viewing platform area was. We also know where the grandstand area was. Mm -hmm. And then we also, just very close by, we're able to take fans to be able to see the, the very unique uh, open field structure. It has these wind-blown sand structures called Yardangs. These, the, the Yardang field is where you had the Qui-Gon versus Darth Maul uh, lightsaber duel. You had the Naboo spacecraft ramp that was there. You did have a smaller set that was uh, there previously, but started being buried, completely buried now. It started being buried about 2004. And then a little bit further from there, we're able to take you to the location where Darth Maul landed on Tatooine and sent out his Sith probe droids. So you do have that very prequel heavy thing and then the last the one that really gets prequel fans excited is taking you to Anakin's home, uh, the exterior of his hovel. You can actually knock on the door itself and to be able to see where Anakin lived uh, in that in that fictional context. That's a beautiful location called Kassar Omarcia, which is away from the desert. It's actually closer to Jura Island. But those are those are great prequel uh, era film sites themselves that really do get the prequels fans excited. Excellent. And on your website, I've, I've checked most pages, but I've read something I've never seen before about somebody called TK1. So yeah. who is TK1 and how did you connect the galaxy to us? TK1 is an absolute legend. Uh, I'm going to show for the, the viewers that are here, I'm going to show a photo. The viewers are watching a video, not just listening. So this photo is an iconic photo of the first six stormtroopers ever filmed in Tunisia or just franchise wide on the 25th of March, 1976. This photo is fantastic because all six Tunisian extras who were put in the Stormtrooper costumes are locals and they have their helmets off so you can actually identify their faces. So as part of our all-encompassing research to create the Galaxy Tours operations on our website, and also as part of our effort to give back to Tunisians who contributed to Star Wars production, we initiated the campaign to start identifying the original six stormtroopers. And last year, actually now 2023, so the summer of 2021, we initiated the campaign on May 4th, 2021. By August of 2021, we were able to vet and identify and interview the very first of these, uh, of these six original stormtroopers. So he was the first one we identified in this group. His name is Taher Kawa. He is from Nefta. In or since he is the first one that we've identified from the original six, we gave him the honorary name 
of TK1. It's a great name for him Absolutely. to have. And it, it, it's great. He, he totally owns the name. Now, you can watch, we can go watch the interview we did with him in August of 2021 uh, on our YouTube channel. And what you'll see there is he absolutely hated everything about the experience. Uh, it, it's really funny to see him talk about it. Uh, the putting on the costume was horrendous. Um, it was very Anakin-esque in that the sand was everywhere and it was rough, right? It wasn't a fun thing for him. He was hot. They didn't like that. We even asked him, would you do it again? He says, absolutely not. He would not do it again. But what we did is we formed a good relationship with him. And Galaxy Tours is now actually uh, contractually his agent. And so we then sell his autographs online on our website and we give a percentage of the profits back to him. It is the only way that he would ever gain economic benefit from his very historic role as the first identified film stormtrooper. And we want to give back to him. And every time we're able to see him, or uh, I'm able to give him his percentage of the profits. Uh, and he, it, it's just a great experience that we have. And he's very grateful. He's very humble. Uh, he's just a class act individual. And I find it to be uh, to, to know him is really a privilege and, and allowing the rest of the Star Wars community to get to know him uh, is something that that really is high on our list to do. That is why in our eight day tour exclusively, we actually uh, have a session with TK1, we call it tea with TK1. You actually sit down, enjoy tea or coffee with him in his hometown of Nefta. You chat for a half hour, 45 minutes. We have a translator there to help with, with, with the conversations. He speaks only Arabic. And uh, it, it's, it's a great experience to really firsthand get to know who TK1 is. Uh, obviously, he, he will sign things as well for our guests that are there. And so that's part of the way that we're, we're giving back to him, but also allowing Star Wars fans to to delve into a really historic and unique thing for what is the most iconic in terms of stormtroopers and clone troopers, the most iconic Star Wars costumes that you can have that really are the, you know, you had the 501st Legion and all the garrisons, mm -hmm. all that goodness. I like to say that it began with TK1 in the yeah. original six. So, yeah. so that's a great moment for Star Wars fans. You know, you're missing a bit here that I think we've really got to know when you first went to him and said, I could sell your autograph, his reaction must have been, what on earth are you talking about? He thought I was a crazy American, right? He's saying, he's saying, he was saying, this is absolutely crazy. He goes, why would anyone want my autograph? And I simply said, Tahir, trust me. People will want your autograph. People want to get to know who you are because you may not understand how large and global this Star Wars connection is but it is there. And the more we spread the word, the more people get excited about meeting TK1. And again, I always offer everyone, if you want a chance to meet him in person, uh, join our eight-day tours. And that's the connection you have had with him. Brilliant. Now, I've done the Visit Hoth experience in Finns, um, you know, being on the battle planes, amazing experience. But that was quite different in that it was an organized over a certain weekend where you had mm -hmm. cosplayers and you had cast and crew and you had storyboards and pre-production items, things like that. Uh, are there any plans to do something similar? Certainly I'm thinking, you know, we've got lots of opportunities for Stormtroopers and Tuscan Raiders and cosplayers um, in Tunisia. Do you have any plans or anything to look at that kind of thing? No, really great question. 
we openly invite all cosplayers to join our tours. They enliven the, the tours, especially on the eight-day tour where it's a group. We are actually very actively marketing and, and, uh, and, and engaging with Star Wars fan groups of all types. We offer special discounts for our eight-day tour in order to give uh, cosplay uh, fan groups the ability to come in mass and enjoy as a group, which is the only way cosplay should be done mm -hmm. in, in a true sense. Mm -hmm. So they can really play off each other. And we, we, we carve out time for at all the film sites to make sure that they can have those photo moments and engage in that space. And so we, the beautiful thing about Tunisia is there's no, we don't have to bring any other props. The sites themselves already are innately yeah. the props. They are the locations. And so it is perfect cosplay background for all of those Star Wars fan groups that want to be able to have that experience. And so what, what I do is I invite any, any leads for the Star Wars fan groups. If you want to create a very special anniversary type event for your fan group, contact us. You can contact us through galaxytours.com. There's a contact us section. Go ahead and reach out to us or reach out to me personally on uh, via Facebook or the different uh, social media platforms. And we will we'll, we'll make sure that we give a special fan club discount for those large group type of scenarios because we want to really make this as as doable as possible. And that's something that a lot of a lot of fans, especially in, in London, that were talking to us is as we talked about our pricing. Uh, the the eight day tour, the one that we're currently really focusing on, that is four thousand dollars U.S. dollars per person. And when we talk about all the things, the all inclusive premium travel that you get with that, as for for an entire eight days inside Tunisia, so many fans said, you know what, that's a fantastic deal. You know, in terms of what what individuals will pay for the Disney type experiences, and that, that, that's a different type of construct. And by by no means am I comparing the two. Mm -hmm. But what 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 you're paying here, though, is is to have an immersive Star Wars experience in a real world location. That's that's the beautiful thing about what Galaxy Tours provides in Tunisia. And so, for fan groups to be able to have that experience in a real world setting that feels and looks like Star Wars everywhere you go, that you can visit the actual location of Tatooine, which inspired Lucas to create fictional Tatooine, that when you are driving around, you will see uh, men and women, especially in the, the southern part of Tunisia, when it's cold at night, they will put on a Barnus robe, which looks very strikingly like a Jedi robe itself. Yeah. I'm not. I'm not saying that the Barnus robe necessarily was the inspiration. Those were created differently, but they're part of that 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 whole holistic aspect of it. And so you you'll see Jedi's on mopeds cruising around at night, <laughs> which is fantastic, right? And then you look over and you see a building that has the classic Tatooine style dome mm -hmm. and and chamber vaulted structure with the buttresses that fly out in the ground. You say this feels like everywhere I go, I'm on fictional Tatooine, and that's the best part of this experience for private groups or cosplay groups, groups of all types, to be able to come and enjoy what Tunisia has to offer in this space. What do the locals think of the Star Wars fans descending into their, you know, their territory? And um, I mean, I, I'm guessing they're a little bit surprised, and but what, what, are they, what are the reception from the locals? So uh, Tunisians innately are genuinely hospitable. Mm -hmm. Tunisians are uh, 
to tourism is extremely important for uh, Tunisian Tunisia economically, and Tunisians themselves really are in a part of the Arab world in the Maghreb, North Africa, that is very welcoming uh, to foreigners, to non-Tunisians. And it is, it is a fantastic experience to see local Tunisians engage with the Star Wars fans who visit the sites. The, the, the one, some of the sites are out in the middle of nowhere, very remote. And so you don't really have a, a, a local engagement per se with, with the fans that we bring to the sites. But other locations, probably a, a really good one to, to as use an example, is in Ajim, which was created as the Cantina Moss Eisley space with the security checkpoint. Uh, that in, in it's located on the southwestern part of the island of Jerba. Right next, right in the middle, the, the Moss Eisley was created in a main neighborhood just south of the town hall area in Najim. So it's a busy, bustling neighborhood. And there is now a cafe that sits right where everyone's favorite land speeder behind the scenes scene with the um, pink shorts boom guy was actually located, right? Uh, and so right there, there's a cafe and that, that cafe is filled with locals nonstop. And so locals are very used to seeing all sorts of Star Wars fans come and hunt for different behind the scenes reference areas to find the security checkpoint, to see the plaza that the land speeder drove across to get to the cantina and obviously look at the cantina, which is an abandoned bakery. It is, it, it's, it's falling apart more and more every year, but it's still very stable, still there. And the cafe now is right next to the cantina abandoned bakery location. And so you'll have the, the locals will simply look at the Star Wars fans there. They'll take pictures in front of this building. The locals have stopped questioning why they're doing it. They just say, <laughs> it's, it's a thing. I guess it's a thing, right? And so yeah. they just, they welcome it. They're very kind. They're not, they, and they, they also, they just want, they want the fans to enjoy the experience. And so they aren't, they are not in your face Hey, um, let let's let's hey come over here. I have a shop. Why don't you come buy something? Mm -hmm. They're just hands off. They just enjoy seeing Star Wars fans enjoy Ajim and say, I never knew that you'd have a bunch of Westerners and pretty much everyone throughout the world come and enjoy Ajim. But hey, you do, and that's a unique experience for them for sure. And so, in, in at, at the restaurants, at the hotels, the Tunisians are so grateful and so genuinely, sincerely hospitable to all the fans that we bring to, to these locations that, you know, one of the things that we like to have at the end of the tour is we talk about, hey, like our last dinner together, we say, hey, just let's talk about experiences. What did, what did you enjoy? And obviously there's going to be the Star Wars aspects and people will talk about their favorite parts and what they really enjoyed reenacting. And they love seeing exactly where Obi-Wan Kenobi was first, you know, first said hello there. And they, they have responses back and forth. Those are all good things. But what they often will also say is, I love Tunisia. Mm -hmm. What a great experience this was. I gained so much more appreciation for Tunisian culture and history and the cuisine and who they are as people. And that's, that's one of the things that I really enjoy most is allowing fans to organically come to that point where they had the Star Wars holiday of adventure coupled with this Tunisian, ultimate Tunisian experience. And that is the thing that, that I find to be one of the most satisfying parts of my job is seeing people come 
to that experience and come to that realization and experience a, a new culture that they always thought was maybe too far away or too exotic to, to explore, or as we talked about before, maybe too unsafe to visit. And they, they get here, all of their concerns are alleviated and they walk away with that appreciation for what Tunisia actually is. It's a great thing to see. Well, you've led this lovely into my last question here. So if someone's in my kind of predicament where my wife, when I first touted Tunisia 2024, ah. she literally said, I'd rather gouge my eyeballs out with spoons than visit Star Wars movie sets. <laughs> um, so if we went to come on with a day tour, um, what else is there in Tunisia for somebody who's perhaps not such a big fan that can do in Tunisia? Oh, absolutely. So we, we got this question a lot in London. Uh, you'd have you'd have a couple or family and I would say, hey, who are the Star Wars fans? You'd get half raise their hand. I say, OK, who who are tolerant of their Star Wars fan family members? And you get the other half that raise their hand. And so what the, the, the beautiful thing about Galaxy Tours and what we what we do at the film sites and the scouted sites, as we've talked about, is that there is they are inherently historic tunisian landmarks or in beautiful remote landscapes that are uniquely tunisian and so when we take fans there and we have the conversation we always start out by introducing the tunisian history of the site so you get that cultural heritage appreciation from the sites and then we explore the star wars immersive uh, filming history of the sites as well and so the Star Wars fans get the Star Wars immersion. The non-Star Wars fans get the Tunisian appreciation. And they both walk away saying, I'm glad we did this, which is a very different thing than maybe uh, if you're going to Fence. Um, that's mm -hmm. kind of a Star Wars thing, right? Yeah. Or, you know, there, there's beautiful snow, right? It's fantastic, mm -hmm. right? And there's great hotels to be there. But but it's, it's a very different type of, of experience. Or if you're in the UK and you're visiting all the different um, sites that have been used for filming locations, they're, they're great, but... There, there's sometimes not a lot of substance to them. Just a, mm -hmm. here's here's here is a building that was part of it. Uh, some of them are very historic, without a doubt, but all of them in Tunisia give that experience, and that's what makes it so great. And then we couple that with the the very premium uh, style of travel that we commit to, and so that you have wonderful lodging accommodations, yeah. you have fantastic restaurants that you're eating at and so you get the entire tunisian experience as well and it's as, as i was talking the last question what's interesting is fans that went there for star wars only often talk about the appreciation for tunisia more than the fans mm -hmm. who went there for the tunisia side of the house that's not to say that the fans the non-star wars fans didn't love the experience but it just shows that the star wars fans are blown away just as much by the Tunisian goodness as they are with the Star Wars goodness. Mm -hmm. Well, certainly you've touched on the things that my wife likes, comfort and fine food. So Absolutely. <laughs> what We are one of the same. That's exactly what I enjoy for sure. <laughs> so, um, Davina, I kept you on for quite a while now, so we're going to have to wrap this up. But finally, sure. we've got some listeners who are wanting to reach out, perhaps ask questions. We haven't covered some areas. What's the best way in getting in contact with Galaxy Tours and finding out about all of the events and, and wonderful things that you have? And reading about uh, TK1. Uh, absolutely. So all of that is, you know, the, the primary location, everything is available on galaxytours.com. The website is very innately set up, user-friendly, so you can navigate to either the tours 
which is where you'll learn more about our different Twin Suns expeditions or navigate over to the store area if you want to be able to purchase a TK1 autograph or the different type of store items that we have. We also have um, puzzles that we sell of the film sites or canvas prints uh, that we sell as well that are very are galaxy tours property that are our images that we use to, to be able to sell in our store. And so visiting galaxytours.com is the hub itself. There is a contact us link if you want to engage with us directly in questions. Uh, but everything is that all we, we've done what we can to make sure that all of your questions are can be answered. Like for example, on our tours page, there is an extensive frequently asked questions section at the bottom of the tours page, the Twin Suns Expedition page. And so those questions are all there, they're answered for you. It is set up and streamlined so that when you see that and as you get motivated and passionate about what you see in the website, that you can book our tours directly or purchase TK1 autographs directly. It's all streamlined there. That said, as you can tell, I, I like people. I think people are great innately. I like to talk to people. So we're here to be able to answer any questions that anyone would have. We have that contact us section on our website, or you can reach out to us. We're on Facebook instagram uh youtube we're there as well twitter uh linkedin so we're on different platforms i believe we're moving into TikTok. i'm still talking to our developers about that so we'll get in that space we're starting to do different video reels of different mm -hmm. at, at, you know uh, videos at the at the film sites themselves so we'll be adding those to TikTok. so all sorts of venues to to like us on those platforms to reach out to us on those platforms uh, all there we, we are here to engage with star wars fans and and, and, and to communicate how great this is. And so we want as much and many people to reach out to us. There's not a single question that is dumb. All questions are great. Uh, and we, we're here to be able to make sure that we can answer all those questions to get uh, to bring this experience to Star Wars fans as, as much as possible. Well, I think that's answered all of our listeners' questions, Hopefully, Devine, but thank you very much for your time with the Vintage Rebellion and Befanta Tracks. Um, I love your display. I love talking to the guys. Um, I came back about three times to visit your stall in London. Yes, because, yes. You know, yes. there was so much, and it was very busy. Um, it was, but... it was. Great, no, it's good. <laughs> yes, a good. Th thank you for doing that, without a doubt. Rich, this has been an amazing experience. Uh, your, your, your team at Vintage Rebellion, fantastic class act individuals, without a doubt. Uh, looking forward to, to working with you uh, in in, in this capacity moving forward and looking forward to getting you out on the tour in 2024 to be great absolutely <laughs> and now it's time for the licensee section random house apparently founded in 1927 and here's a little quiz question for you how did the name Random House get its name? Now, Andy Preston, you don't answer because you've definitely looked at this. I know you. I can hear it in your your brain. Random House. How did it get its name? Anyone want to go? They were just founded in a random house somewhere. Not too far away, Richard. Not too far away, but not quite there. Oh, I, I was going to go for um, just being some crazy surname for someone. No, incorrect. You've gone too far away there. Anyone else want to stab at it? Andy Preston, you can't because you've definitely looked at it. I haven't actually, Pete, but I was going to say the same as Spoons. Was it a Mr. Random who founded it? But clearly Okay, not. it's close. It's close. So the, the two founders were Bennett Cerf and Donald Klopfer. And Bennett Cerf says, we just said we're, well, we're going to publish a few books on the side at random. That's it. <laughs> so we're just going to publish some random books. That's it. That's what we've got. Random House. Simple. And it is easy as that. Apparently, their first book was uh, that made them famous was uh, they got to publish 
James Joyce's Ulysses. That, that, that's what made them initially, and uh, they went off from there and became it huge. We have seen all these books. I mean, I I bought a Random House book in our you know in in our latest acquisitions. We got it from you know it's the it's the punch out book. So and I I actually forgot how many books I do actually have of Random House stuff I had as a kid. Before we start, I want to know. Did you have activity books as a kid and did you ever actually fill them in? I think I did. I usually did lots of maze kind of books and you know I didn't I don't remember many, many punch out books. I didn't have pop-up books definitely but um yeah activity books. I don't know I was quite good at doing my own thing really. Yeah give me a bit of paper and I'd draw all sorts of stuff but let's have a think. Richard no way had uh, been beaten up. Jason I reckon that'd have been up your alley I think. You were quite a creative person. I think that's Preston, uh, yeah, probably. And Spoons, um, yeah, I think everyone did, apart from Richard. So am I right? Let's go first. Let's get Richard out of the way first. Richard, you didn't have any of this stuff. It's too pompous for you, surely. No, you're completely wrong on that. Um, I what? would never have bought it myself, yeah. but I had one of those aunties who basically would buy stationery and binders and you know anything at all that might be needed for school so she would have bought me activities books now what i would have done with them virtually certain is i would have started the first page probably did the second page got bored and threw it out <laughs> what what was your favorite thing from activity book rich with me what i liked was was intelligent puzzles so i always liked those you know where you've got a grid to fill in and it'll say like Betty bought red shoes, but she didn't buy yellow shoes from a bloke called Bill. You know, that kind of thing. And you had to work out who was what and match them up until eventually you got the full sequence. I used to love those. I was always a f- very much a fan of the uh, dot to dot, join the dots up. I always found that fascinating that someone had gone to all that trouble of making a picture. And I'd always colour it in as well. I always found that quite funny. But uh, I like the really complicated ones. I didn't like the really easy ones. I just looked and I said, well, what's the point of that? I can see what it is already. You can see it's a dog because they put the eye in there and the nose in there. And then you just draw the outline. I like the really complicated ones. Right. Um, let's go. We'll keep going around the opposite order. Jason. You basically get books handed down from my elder sisters. And one of them I, I found as I was going through my stuff. And inside it had... Um, Awarded to Wendy Smith for, um, you know, being good in class and doing very well in English. It's a really nice sticker with a name in it. And I'd crossed it out and written my name in it. Um, I showed I showed, the, I showed this to her last year and said, well, apparently, apparently this is mine because you gave it to me. And look, you've, you've, your award has been revoked. She claimed her book at that point, funnily enough. So, um, well, it's, it's tough. It's got your name in it. You crossed hers out and it's yours. That, that is the way. This is the way. I was never a massive fan of the paper quality of these things either. It's always kind of like almost blotting paper at some stage. You get you get like a barrel felt tip, and it would just go everywhere. Oh dearie me! Can you? Oh. Even as a kid, it was like oh the, the disappointment level in the rubbishy paper. Right, uh, spoons. You must have been an activity book kind of person. Yeah. yeah. Do you know what I was when you when you first asked the question? I was thinking, were were we? Did we have these? Of course we did, because there was like, if you think about the individual ones, I don't remember like books of them all in. So definitely Dot to Dot, definitely colouring, definitely how to draw. Mazes, like, mazes. Ma- yeah, sort of, yeah, of course you have to find your way out, don't you? Yeah, all, well, and just those sort of puzzle 
puzzle books you get when you go on holiday. Yeah. Um, I don't. I, I think we may. Have, I was just looking at the mask book. So I get a bit confused because my lot now have had loads of things. We've got Scooby-Doo masks, cardboard masks still around the house now. And a very scary animated Ben Kenobi from the back of a cereal box from uh, from that, that area. That still kicks around the beginning of the Clone Wars. Uh, so like, everything gets a little bit blurred, but I do remember these. And I was starting to think, like, so the punch out and make, did we have these? So I don't remember them from a book. And I was thinking that I must have had stuff like that. And suddenly it came back to me. I had a periscope, a cardboard periscope that I had to make, and that that survived for ages. So it came with um, a couple of mirrors, so clearly they weren't cardboard, but it was like, you know, fold-out cardboard thing. You crease it all, make a, make a tube, essentially, stick your mirrors in, and you got a periscope. No use for anything whatsoever. I didn't didn't live on a submarine, but I would peep round the corner and annoy my brother. I remember doing that with it. Uh, so yeah, yeah, we we had all these kind of things. So it's yeah, it's taken me back. No a bit. use for a periscope. Do you not? You have a cat. The funniest thing, well, you, you could spy on the cat. We had a hamster that ate my space trousers. We've talked about that before. Even better, you could go, you could, you could hide under the cage and spy on it. <laughs> because it, yeah, if you went, if went near the hamster, it would go I bonkers. Ham- I think the hamster predated the uh, the periscope. To be fair, oh, actually, it's a shame. I thought periscopes. I had, a, I had several periscopes. I had a massive, <laughs> big green centipede periscope when we were kids. I don't know kids. where it came from. Do kids still have periscopes? Is that an acceptable toy these days? They need to because they're the best thing of all time. I thought they were magic. They're amazing. I couldn't work it out as a kid. Wow, is that working? How can I see through there and there? I didn't understand mirrors. So what's well, obviously having made this myself. Well, yeah, obviously you understood it. Yeah, but just just being given a great big um, centipede periscope, it was amazing. It was like this is magic. Now I reckon Preston probably had Star Wars activity books. Well, first, Pete, uh, no kids today don't have periscopes. What? Uh, b- because they have selfie sticks for their mobile phones. Oh, that's so disappointing. <laughs> Can you not reintroduce your kids to periscopes? Uh, well, not when you've got a mobile phone. Your job. kids seem Far- to be quite practical. Yeah, yeah, practical, but also, uh, yeah, you know, if, if if there's an easier way to do it, they'll find it. So. Oh, Andy, <laughs> failed. Failed as a parent there. Yeah, activity books. Now, Spoon's mentioned the sort of books that uh, your parents would buy you to keep you quiet when you go on holiday. So we had those all filled with word searches and mazes and colouring pages and things like that. So uh, definitely remember those on sort of wet caravan holidays in Wales. But uh, Star Wars activity books, now we're talking about Random House, but a lot of mm. these Random House books were published in the UK by British publishers, uh, people like Admiral and uh, Collins. And Admiral had the four uh, activity books, Chewbacca, Darth Vader, Luke Skywalker, R2-D2, and had, had all of those. And I remember going through those and... Uh, doing those and just sort of trying to do it lightly in pencil so I could rub it out and do it all over again sometime. A particular memory is making with my mum Skywalker scrunchies, which if I remember rightly, was ba- I think it was some, in, some breakfast here with cornflakes or something with a, a bit of treacle and a bit of, bit of sauce and a bit of chocolate probably. Very nice they were too, if I remember rightly. So yeah, thumbs up for Skywalker scrunchies. <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of these um, random house items which have come underneath slightly other things, but we are just going to cover the umbrella term of random house. Otherwise, we'll be here forever doing, it, doing things. Right, so let's. I, I want to start with an item. I know you're probably gushing to start with an item, but there's something we must start with because when I read it, it was just the funniest thing I've ever read. Well, not really the funniest thing I've ever read. I'm lying. But anyway, it, it is. It's a Star Wars book, the Star Wars storybook, but it's from Iceland. Now, I don't think there's a great deal of Star Wars items from Iceland. Um, in fact, the person who's written this, uh, Torstein Halderson, I don't know who is, some of you might know who he is, he's written the SWCA entry on this Star Wars photo book, and it is brilliant. Um, he reckons it's the only vintage Icelandic Star Wars item ever made. So that's pretty cool. And it's the it's the general story, but we've all seen it. We all have uh, different versions. But what is interesting is, and I'll, I'll read what he said about it. He goes, um, the page which introduced our heroes and bad boys, and this is the all-time best. Uh, we Icelanders don't like our thousand-year-old language contaminated with some Yankee babble. So we give everything its own Icelandic name. So Luke becomes Logi Agim Gengil, or Flame Spacewalker. Han is Hans, Hans Olaf. Leah is Lilia, or Lily Wish. Darth is Svarth, or Blackhead. And old Ben and the droids get to keep their original names. I mean, that is quite... I didn't even know that there was an Icelandic collectible. That's a, I don't, anyone heard that one before? Yeah, yeah. Ding dong. <laughs> you don't know anything about Icelandic stuff, Annie. You don't know British things, so don't even pretend. <laughs> made that up. But I think, that's, I think that's absolutely brilliant. There was that, they actually gave them different names. It, it's a shame that didn't kind of continue, really, because I think it would have been fantastic to see some of the translations into other places. Right. I guess well let's start with the books and activity and colouring which we've which we kind of already started on I guess. Okay, so we had uh, we had some activity books which I think some of these are really good. I, I looked at some of the pages of these and they are they are pretty cool. But there was a lot of a lot of things to do. So we had a lovely Chewbacca's activity book, um, Darth Vader's activity book, and the Luke Skywalker one. So they're all sort of pretty much the same things we've just talked about. So mazes and and dot to dot and all that sort of stuff. I'm sorry, and an R two D two one as well. All all a similar kind of theme. But we also had some. This is where this, this is the things that re, I really love. So things you actually had to do, which wasn't just filling mazes and stuff. But a couple of things. We had a Star Wars Iron-On transfer book. So we actually had a book of transfers for T-shirts and clothing. Which you, I mean, there was one up the other day that I think, I think the Toys of Tatooine actually had one. There wasn't a great deal of uh, the designs left. But I mean, that's. I think that's actually quality. If we look at the book itself, I mean. They've actually gone to the trouble, so Random House must have had a bit of cash going on here, because the front of the book, the Star Wars Iron-On transfer book, it has, um, I think it's a, a most of Chewbacca's costume. It's definitely his head. You've got C-3O wearing a T-shirt, you've got Darth Vader wearing a T-shirt, and you've got a Stormtrooper wearing a T-shirt, and R2 kind of wearing a T-shirt. So they must. this must have been an expensive thing that they've done. I mean, I guess they knew they were going to get a lot of money for doing this stuff, but... Yeah, I mean, is it, anyone take into account that kind of level of promotion, especially for a Star Wars item as well? They've actually got the actual, you know, costumes with their products on. I can't think of that. Has that happened too much, Andy? Can you no, think of that? Peter Mayhew didn't have stand-ins, did he, for this kind of stuff? That's a tall, <laughs> that's a tall individual, and you can see his foot and hand. It looks like yeah. the whole, the whole suit. He's definitely wearing a t-shirt as well. You can see yeah, the t-shirt as well. It's not standing on a box. Darth Vader's sort of wearing the T-shirt. They've kind of tucked it underneath his uh, his helmet 
um, neck, haven't they? And but the stauncher is definitely wearing the t-shirt. He's got it on. He's pointing the gun. He's doing everything. Um, but I think that's that's a really amazing cover. I probably haven't taken it. We probably take it for granted to be fair. That how much effort that that was at the time to actually get that sort of level of costume detail. You know, they must have gone along to the the set or some promotional area and just ran these t-shirts on. <laughs> It's just a thought of getting it over Chewbacca's shoulders. You know, someone needs to be about six foot five to do that. That's quite an effort, isn't it? Punch Out books. Now, I, I've picked the weirdly. I bought all three of the the Punch Out and Make It books, and I've got them all from Celebrations. So over the years, I got the Return of Jedi one this time. I got the Empire Strikes Back one back in um, Chicago, and I bought the Star Wars one. I think in Orlando, and they're beautiful books. Um, they really are. I mean. I've, I'm so tempted to just punch it out and make it. There's a bunch of lovely, lovely um, toys inside of all these books. I mean, they really are quality, but I'm oh, really, really tempted. I mean, I'm so, because I, I need to find one that's been a bit manked up so I can actually punch these out. Has these ever floated in one's boats? Because the models themselves, if you've actually seen the models made up, they are actually pretty cool because the printing of the the actual models, I mean, in the Star Wars one, you've got R2, CPO. An X-Wing plane, a very early sort of uh, description of an X-Wing fighter, actually called an X-Wing plane. Land speeder, an energy pistol, not a blaster or, an, or a gun. A lightsaber, a TIE fighter and a sand crawler. And as, if, you, if you have one of these, so the, 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 the actual design is really, really lovely and made with a lot of care and attention. They're not some cheap rubbish you get now. These are proper, proper lovely little models that you can punch out. Anyone have this at all? Does that interest? Yeah, no, I've got the, uh, the the British version, which again was by Collins. They are truly lovely, aren't they? The models are really well designed. Someone's put a lot of care and attention into these. No way would I ever sully my set by punching out <laughs> and making them. But <laughs> Did you know, Pete, that they actually had these on the Millennium Falcon? Because uh, Han Solo says, uh, t- he says at one stage, punch it, Chewy. Oh, dear me. Very this is what he's talking about. <laughs> very, very well. Maybe Chewy likes a, a cardboard punch out, but you don't know, do you? He's, he likes his, you know, getting stuck into computers and, well, in, into ships. Why not a punch out kit? That was just Star Wars. So moving on to Punch Black, we had, um, again, the Empire Strikes Back punch out and make it kit. We had a, another activity book a Yoda activity book. And then Return of the Jedi, we actually got some more fun stuff. So, again, we didn't get much for Empire Strikes Back, as per usual. We don't see a great deal in those kind of areas. But Return of the Jedi, they, they got their game together. We had a bunch of stuff. Although, these do seem a little bit like they've taken all the ideas and they put them into singular books, which is a little bit disappointing. But they are, you know, again, we've got Return of the Jedi, Punch Out and Make It book, but we've got a book of masks, Dot to Dot Fun. How to Draw Star Wars, which is actually pretty cool. Mazes, picture puzzles. So, yeah, they kind of like stretched it out. I know, again, these are all pretty easy, I think, to get hold of. I've not seen too many of the punch at the uh, Iron On Transfer books, but these activity books, you know, you can pick them up at pretty much any celebration, any, you know, I mean, you'll see them at Echo Live. They'll be all over the place. Not usually that much. You probably pay about a fiver to a tenner, depending on the quality or someone's filled them in. I think I have do have a I did have a Return of the Jedi one I might have kept where someone had actually coloured in all Princess Leia's hair as blonde then made her a blonde. But uh, yeah, I mean again, pretty easy to get hold of if you, if you fancy a, a cheap kind of Return of the Jedi collectible or Star Wars collectible. They are pretty good and quite fun. And of course, very easy just to photocopy, give them to your kids to do 
puzzles and mazes. Yeah, absolutely. The artwork in some of these is pretty good. They are worth yeah. picking up and having a look at. And yes, yeah, as, uh, as you say, you can photocopy them. We, when we uh, had um, Star Wars events, um, our little group in Dev and the X-Wing fundraisers, we'd occasionally photocopy some of these and leave them on little tables for the kids to do if they were getting bored during the event. And uh, yeah, they, they went down very well. Yeah, the, the activity books you can pick up pretty much anywhere. Um, yeah. If you uh, if you're in the UK, go and see uh, Ben Potter, Richard Temple at any event, and uh, you know they'll they'll send you a bag full. One of my favourite ones are on uh, apart from the the punch out kit is probably the Book of Masks because it's it's a quite a unique looking book. I've got I think I've got I think it's complete. It might be a couple of loose pages, but it's actually a really nice book because again the the detail in the actual masks is beautiful it really really is beautiful i mean i mean apart from prisoners Lair with their eyes missing which is a little bit spooky the actual overall art because i mean the majority i think they're all yeah they're all they are all uh non-humanoid figures above prisoners Lair. It, they are really nice i mean if you got a loose I, I was thinking of actually mounting my loose ones in frames because they are so cool but maybe filling the eyes in because uh because vacant eyes especially on the ewok does look a little bit sinister but yeah, that is definitely a book worth. Again, not impossible to get hold of. Probably, probably a little bit harder to find it all in one piece because normally a mask has fallen out somewhere. But um, again, the level of artwork is is just absolutely fant- is fantastic. Maybe Yoda looks a little bit odd, but the rest of them just beautiful. Really, really nice designs. Bookmarks, Andy, you want to do bookmarks? Because these, I I always forget how many of these there actually are. Yes, bookmarks. Uh, we've got a list of um, the archive. I've got sixteen listed oh. here. I thought it was like but nine. These are characters drawn from right across the uh, the original trilogy. Um, so you've got characters. Uh, although I think they're all uh, are they all Jedi themed? Uh, I've yeah, got a feeling so. they. I've got a feeling they were issued around about the time of Return of the Jedi. So uh, yeah, you, you've got Luke in his Jedi outfit and uh, um, Leia, I think, in her. Um, she's not in the slave outfit, is she? Is, is she in, is no, she in the boosh? She's in boosh. Yeah. In the boosh. That's that's right. So you've got uh, all the characters you'd expect. Uh, you've got Luke, Han, Leia, Chewie, Ben and Yoda, Lando, R two, three PO, Boba Fett, Wicket, bad guys. You've got Darth Vader, Jabba, Stormtrooper, Royal Guard, Akbar. He's the one I've not mentioned, isn't he? Again, the artwork. But yeah. Again, it, it, it's it's lovely. You know. It may be not everyone's cup of tea, but it's actually been properly designed. So they've actually done a background. They've done like something, you know, they try to keep relevant to the character. Like at bar, you can see this kind of like, it looks like he's on a ship deck, uh, but it's kind of like a montage of it. So it's not, you know, it's not like they just stuck him in front of something. They've actually designed the whole of the bookmark. I mean, Jab- they are. Jabba they are... leaves something to be desired, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so some of, it reminds me. It reminds me actually of the later Action Man box art where they they didn't use um, Dave Barnacle. They got in some some mate of someone I think, and it's pretty poor. So yeah, I like that. You're right. The designs are good for these, but actually the execution. It's, it's clearly an artist, but yeah. they're pretty. It's not. They're not great. Well, well Jabba looks they? like no. Jabba looks like he's been deflated slightly. You know, it looks like he's just let the air out of the, his top half. But like I said, you've got again. You just look at the the overall as an art, an art piece. Yeah, the colouring is beautiful. The detail is really nice. It's, yeah, it was really good kid friendly stuff. So Jabba's not brilliant, but he does look like. I mean, the face is like he, Jabba's he looks like something else. I was thinking. 
with a uh, yeah, a round, round the lack of tails. How would you do the tail? You have to have the, you would have to have the tail kind of coming down and over the side. But I think he probably fell in love with the fact that he's done his dais so beautifully. They didn't want to like interrupt Slacious Crumb, who also looks pretty cool. Um, but so just the overall design of them all, though, I, I think is really nice because they've actually something really unique there. It's not just off the table. You know, we, we normally see the, the the Marvel-esque kind of images which have been sent to them. But they've actually got, like, say, that you know, they've actually got an artist in and they've done something different. And I think that that should be applauded because what I'm seeing from the Random House kind of selection is really, really nice detailed artwork everywhere, which you know, makes it a really nice collectible. Because, you know, even if the art isn't great on these things, they look a bit, you know, the Stormtrooper looks a bit all over the place. His, his, uh, his pelvic area looks a bit off. But um, again, it, you know, you put these together in a, a little run, you know, mount them up. It's, it's a, it'd be a really nice collection of items. Yeah, I, I actually quite like the art on these. I, I think uh, if you, especially if you collect them and you display them together, I think they fit together really well. Uh, they're bright, they're eye-catching, and they're sort of stylized to some extent. If I collected non-British items, oh, <laughs> which I've, uh, I, I am absolutely uh, going to stick to the British tuckers, otherwise I, I already spend far too much money. But uh, <laughs> really, <laughs> these these would be very high on my list. What's these book plates thing? Just off the record, there's any pictures on me? You stick you stick oh, yeah, them yeah. in the front of your book to say who they are. Yeah, the, your name. This book belongs to Peter Davis, class D1. See, look, see, there we go. On that, on that, uh, on the Darth Vader book plate, we've got that image that would have probably been sent here. Here's the, here's a bunch of images that everyone's using. Stick that in, because that's that's the Vader with his arms crossed, doing his gangster pose. Which we're but, far more used to seeing, aren't we? That's much more the uh, the sort of Jedi standard. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's, it's lovely to see things like the bookmarks where they have gone away from that a little bit. Right. Anything else they did? Books. Yeah. Now, I as a kid, I had the Maverick. I've still got it. Of the Maverick Moon book. Yeah. And, you know, I remember. I would love that book because it was a beautiful picture of Princess Leia's face or head. I can't remember. It was the start of the book. It might, it might, might be the last the last page actually. Because I still got my this book belongs to Peter Davis in the front of the book from because I obviously took it to school for you know book club or something. But yeah, I I love it. I didn't realize there's so many blooming versions of it. Uh, there's about four or five of them. But these little books, little tiny little kind of Star Warsy stories. Again, the artwork. Um, anyone have a Maverick Moon version when they were a kid? Never heard of it. You've never heard of the Maverick Moon? No. Oh my word! You're gonna be introduced to a new level of Star Wars. Hey, look, I do like the art on these, and that is yeah. that is true. Yeah, that looks, uh, these appeal to me. Of so far, everything we've looked at, these are the ones that appeal. I'm trying to find the one I've got. Yeah, not <laughs> not as a kid, but I have got uh, again. I've got the British version, which was by Admiral this time, not Collins, um, which I think's got a different cover actually to the American version. But yeah, the Maverick Moon. It was, I was, oh my goodness, that book went with me everywhere, everywhere I think, because it was a Star Wars book. But it was a really nice, you know, easy to read kids book. You know, when I was I was at four four years old at the time when I got it. But yeah, they did a number of these little books actually. Um, just basic, just basic little stories. Maverick Moon, Mister the Rebellious Robot, which I didn't get. But when I saw it later in life, I wasn't that enamoured by it because it's just a picture of the Millennium Falcon on the front. It's like, oh, okay. Where's your rebellious robot picture? That's what I want to know. Don't just whammer, you know. Oi, boys, you've done these amazing, amazing artworks and you've just stuck a Millennium Falcon on the front. Come on. Uh, well, the story's set on the Falcon, you see, and the rebellious robot is R2-D2. Well, of course he is, but I want a picture of R2-D2 being rebellious. Don't give me all this stuff with him, just pictures of Millennium Falcons. 
ridiculous, Andy. Absolutely ridiculous. Wookiee storybook. See, I never never seen that before. Now, what is going on with the Wookiee storybook? Because that looks like it's the whole day special going on there. That is. The art, yeah, the art's not great on that one either, is it? Yeah, but it's a holiday special, isn't it? That is that is literally taken from the holiday special. Which one's Lumpy? Uh, isn't Lumpy the kid? I think you're right. Yes. Bottom left, there he Itch, is. Itch is the man who likes to rub himself. And Marla is the wife. And that's Chewie. So that is definitely... I wonder if they made that straight away. They just went, well, here's a picture of some Wookiees we made. Because that must be considered a, um, a holiday special collectible, surely. Oh, 100%, yeah. So it's just itchy. You know, he's, he's in his rocking chair there, so it must have been. But yeah, a little bit odd, that. Because you've, you know, you've gone from weird sort of pictures of Millennium Falcons to full-on rude Wookiees. Now, we've got to come to a, one of my favourite items of Empire Strikes Back collectibles. The Empire Strikes Back Mix or Match Storybook. It. Now, if anyone doesn't have this, go on eBay and buy it now. Does anyone not have this? No, I've never seen it before. I've oh, got the, my word. The, I've got the hardback story, but the British one. I've still got my childhood no, one with no. my name no. and class. Yeah, in you're, you're, no. you're way no, off theme there, Andy. You've gone into a different world. This is the Empire Strikes yeah. Back mix or match storybook. So you open the book. It's a long, tall, kind of a thin book. And when you open the, the, the first page of the cover, it's in a spiral-bound book. You have got a bunch of, you know, the, the page is divided into, I think, four four areas. So you can pull over the next one and it all link up. So you can have Boba Fett going to Cloud City to capture Luke Skywalker um, and go on his ship. Now, if you flip over one of the little sections, you can have Boba Fett going to capture Wicket the Ewok to take him from, uh, you know, name a place. And he, it, you, it changes throughout. So you can never, you always got a different story. As it says on the front, more than 200,000 combinations. You've got to buy it. You will not regret it when you get it. You'll sit there with your kids, grown up or not, making up new Star Wars stories. <laughs> £18.79 with free get postage. It. Buy it now. £7.12 with 17 postage from yeah. the States. Again, the artwork inside is fantastic, but the fact that you can mix and match characters, you can have Darth Vader doing things that Luke Skywalker did with Princess Leia, if you wish. It's just tremendous. I I, I cannot recommend Ooh. that book. And look at the art on the cover as well. Is that from anywhere else? Or is that another unique piece of art? I think it's unique art again, isn't it? Because Luke yeah. looks very sort of like non-plus with his lightsaber. Yoda's just had enough of Luke, and he's sitting there going... Oh my goodness, Luke, you are rubbish. Artin 3 people are running away from a TIE fighter. The Darth Vader actually is very nice. Very nice indeed. Only, only uh, £2.95 at the time. Every now and again, I get it out and just flick through it and have a laugh because it's just so funny. Random House deserves some sort of award for that. It's got to be one of the best books of Star Wars. Well, Andy, you want to go through Return of the Jedi books? Because uh, this is up your street, all these Ewok things. Um, I'm just trying to find on the list there's a there's an empire strikes back pop-up book yes um which is a wonderful thing uh, well it's, it's part pop-up and it's part punch out characters so you, the, you've got char- characters to punch out and then you can sort of stand them up you've got fold out pop-up scenes that you can put your characters in and that is a wonderful thing but i'm just trying to i can't remember the name of it and I'm having a look through this list. Well, the, the panorama book or the pop-up book? Panorama book. That's the yeah. one. Yeah, that's a, that's, that's, that's a quality book, that is. That's the boy, yeah. Before we get on to Jedi, yeah, let's uh, let's talk about that one because I really like that book. Again, wonderful artwork, wonderful design. The way that the panels all fold out. You've got the interactivity, setting up your little card 
figures and, and recreating the scenes. I love it. Absolutely it is, beautiful. It, it, it is. And again, when you see it in the flesh, um, it's, it's just a, it's a beautiful thing. Um, again, notice all on the design as well. You got it says Star Wars, The Empire Strikes Back panorama box. So they don't even have the logo for Empire Strikes Back. They just have Star the you know, Star Wars because obviously that was the thing, and then it just and you know they underscored it with the Empire Strikes Back. So yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, it's it's you know again interesting the branding of this thing. They haven't put the logo on there. It's just just reference. That's it. Um, exciting follow up three dimensional scenes plus punch out Star Wars characters. So yeah, again, that's probably pretty early. Absolutely. You you've got a Hoth scene. You've got a Dagobah scene. A lovely book. Lovely artwork as well. And again, yeah. uh, completely individual. Not artwork that's uh, come from anywhere else it, it, it's done by random house's own artists i presume yeah i mean again the the pop-up book for empire stories but same thing again unique artwork um although the uh quite sure on the uh, the kind of detail of the x-wing fighter in the dagobah swamp uh, but again it's got its own style and it's just they've gone to lovely detail i mean luke skywalker he's got some sort of kind of stick going on there not quite sure that's come from um to prize himself out of somewhere but again, it's just again, just it just looks really nicely done. It may not be everyone's cup of tea, the artwork itself, but it's a unique bit of a bit of uh, collectible Star Wars. You know, that's not seen anywhere else. It certainly is. And I think when you are collecting things like Star Wars, and uh, you know, it is quite easy to get hold of a bunch of stuff that looks exactly the same. You know, you're just collecting the same image over and over again. But when you've got something like this in a collectible um, sort of area. You know, you, you have a bunch of random house stuff on your shelf, for example. It's going to look so much different to everything else. It's going to look like a unique collectible. So I do I do recommend. Yeah, the, the only thing is, from a collecting point of view, they're not very displayable, are they? It is difficult to display a book. I, I suppose a pop-up book you could have open to a particular page, but you don't get the full glory and the, the, the full appreciation unless you're actually flicking through and reading it. Unless, of course, you, you're getting the new things we talked about earlier, the uh, kind of acrylic boxes to put your books in. You still can't display more than one page at once, can you? Well, no, but you can take a wall out of your house and cover it in books. <laughs> We've all seen the Star Wars question and answer book about space and those ones, but I've not seen the, the attack on reading ones. Just thinking back to the sort of textbooks that we had when I was at primary school, if we'd had Star Wars books, I'd have, I'd have yeah. absolutely wet myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd have been right in there. But you'd have to teach me anything now. I'm going to read this book back to front. Yeah, I said, can I, can I take it home and do it all tonight, please? Yeah, because, I mean, again, those sort of educationally kind of things. We had, to, yeah, the Star Wars C-3O's book about robots. Again, I, I think we covered it a long time ago, those sort of books. They are, they are kind of oddities you do see appearing and stuff, but I, I'd never see them at, you know. Then again, I'm not really looking for them either. Yeah, those those are. One day we we'll have to cover all the educational stuff that has come out and do a, a special feature on it or something because there are some. We have seen all you know, tapes and all sorts. Yeah, that'd be um, good. Yeah, and Q and A about some, computers. But that's a, actually I wouldn't mind seeing that now. See what sort of uh, what sort of, you know, how far we've gone since what 1980 or 1983. Star Wars question and answer book about computers. Thing was gone. Yeah. Well, eighty-three, you'd have had um, the likes of uh, the, the the spectrums and the commodores and things like that, wouldn't you? Yeah. The only actually, I tell a lie, I do actually own one of these educational books. I just remembered, I have the one, the Star Wars book about flight, because I remember Ooh. badgering my mother about it. It's not a massive book; it's quite a small book, and because it has a Millennium Falcon on the front, and it's again a beautiful artwork. There's not a great deal of anything to do with Star Wars in there. It's mostly you know planes, Orville right brothers all that sort of stuff in there very little about spaceships 
So you can imagine my disappointment. Because <laughs> I was thinking, oh, well, it's a book about Star Wars. No, it's not. It's a book with a Star Wars cover and not a great deal else in there that's got Star Wars in it. So I still have it. I've still got it, still got it in my special old timer box. But it hasn't been really read through much because it was just a massive disappointment. Yeah, but again, as a kid, if you if you if you were learning about flight and you've been given that Star Wars uh, image on the front, fantastic, that'll do for me. It did, but said I'm still getting over that, getting over those you know disappointments. I feel your pain, Pete. Those things, yeah, they, they affected me for years. Can get over them. Return of the Jedi. Come on, we've got to talk about the artwork of Han Solo's rescue on Return of the Jedi book because. That is a scene in the film which we could kind of visualise because they obviously copied it from R2 and uh, C-3PO walking towards Jabba's palace and just whammed in there, you know, rather than having Boosh maybe appearing on a ship, they just had him walking up the uh, the, the front path to Jabba's palace. I think that's, again, a wonderful piece of artwork because not only does it look good, it actually fills a little gap in your brain of something that probably did happen but we didn't need to see on film. C-3PO and R2 came in first, didn't they? Leia arrived later with Chewie. But uh, yeah, so I suppose Princess Leia could have come along the road to Jabba's palace and then sort of waited outside while the droids went in first. They've done a little movie clip there, which wasn't a movie clip, and it looks it looks so wonderful. I mean, I think that's a really, really again a lovely cover, a lovely piece of artwork. It wasn't in the film. We've used a bit of artistic license. It, it looks almost like it was in the film because it's such a nicely done piece of art. I just think it's it really is. nice. Right, uh, we've got some Ewok stuff. We don't really need to talk about Ewok stuff. Uh, we've got things like Ewoks save the day. Again, great artwork. Ewoks flying in the air. But Nisa... What's with Nisa? Nisa must be in some of these Ewoks books, isn't she? Yeah, of course she is, yeah, somewhere. I'm sure she is. I think, didn't she have a book herself? We, we do like a bit of Nisa. Isn't she got a book? I thought she had a book. She, oh, she's a definite well, She cover. does. She does three cheers for Nisa. Three cheers for Nisa. Right. <laughs> I, hope, um, I hope Jason's got that. I'm, I'm looking for it now. Oh, you see, look, yeah, we've gone back to the old days of getting on getting on eBay while we're talking about stuff. Yeah, we're getting, all going to get told off by Rich in a minute. I know, but anyway, I mean, Ewoks hang gliding adventure. There you go. There, exactly. Yeah, how the Ewoks saved the trees, the baby Ewoks picnic surprise, and, and that's going to be a balter. And Wicket finds a way. I wonder what the surprise was in the picnic. Depends what was in the sandwiches, doesn't it? Oh, yeah, it could have been anything. Maybe they accidentally ate a stormtrooper. It's like, oh, you didn't take the armor off him first? No. Why would we? You cooked him. Oh, okay. It's a bit tough. But there's some droid stuff as well, which is fair enough. I mean, again, let's not go through apps and everything. But again, the artwork on the, the droids books, Escape from the Monster Ship. I mean, that's a cracking title, that is, for a book. That's, as a kid, that'd have been up my alley. But It is good book, good artwork. Yeah, we like that one. I mean, this, yeah, it's they, they they are getting ten out of ten for for design. And to be fair to Random House, yeah, without cutting them off completely, oh, shiny as a droid. That sounds a little bit, a little bit saucy. What's going on there? Oh, I've not, not oh, across that one actually. Shiny as a droid. Things to see, touch, and smell Ooh. from a galaxy far, far away. Hardback with textured and scratch and sniff patches. I've never, never actually come across that one. And sniff patches. Why hasn't that continued? Why don't we have a Wookiee scratch and sniff book? All the smells of the Wookiee uh, on Kashyyyk. Have you ever heard of a scratch and sniff in Star Wars? No. That's amazing. Not once. Oh, seriously. If anyone out there has got that, you've got to let us know whether you just did the scratch and sniff and what it smelled like. You'd have to, it, wouldn't you? You, oh, you absolutely God. couldn't resist that. 
Shiny as a droid. Wow. Scratch and sniff. We need to start looking at scratch and sniff items. I didn't even know that existed until two minutes ago. <laughs> I, think you, I think you might have a, a short list of one there, Pete. Well, well, I don't know. No. A short list of two. Fuzzy as an Ewok. Things oh. to touch, see and smell from the forest moon of Endor. So you, he's got his belly exposed to be scratched. <laughs> We're getting back into lumpy territory, you know, or itchy <laughs> territory. Well, the, red, the Red Ghost, that's, um, I thought that would have been a droid's adventure. It's not, it's uh, an Ewok adventure. Now that's got a very saucy Ewok on the front cover, a lady Ewok. I don't know who she is. She looks like she's in charge of something. Or the one for Jason. Yeah, Jason, you get that book now. The Shadow Stone. Again, Nisa's on the front there, involved in some Ewok adventure. And Wicket and the Dandelion Warriors. Yeah, not quite sure about that one. But yeah, I keep finding new stuff. It keeps, it keeps, it keeps appearing on this list. But anyway, yeah, I'm not going to go to all of it because it would just it kind of send us mad. There's loads of Ewok stuff. Scratch and Sniff, that's 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 just a different level. Yeah, uh, a few more droids ones as well. Pirates yeah. of Tarnuga. Yeah. The, the Lost Prince. That's a good one, The Lost Prince. Yeah, I've heard that one before. Isn't there a White Witch book as well? I'm sure I I've got a book so. called The White Witch. Maybe it's not Random House. Maybe not. Maybe it's a different thing. But uh, yeah, there seems to be some um, shop displays as well. But I think everyone's had enough of this, to be absolutely honest with you. Yeah. Get, I think we've we'll talked get, enough. It's all getting a bit too random now. It is getting too random now. Random House has become random. And unless anyone's got anything else to say, we'll leave it there and do another one next month. Well, Devine, welcome back to the Vintage Valiant podcast. Are you ready for Rapid Fire? Absolutely, Rich. We'll do this. Favourite Star Wars movie? Rogue One. Favourite Star Wars character on screen? Han Solo. Your favourite scene from any Star Wars movie? Uh, let's go with All, All Things Cantina from A New Hope. Mm, yeah, that's we don't get that often, but it's a wonderful scene. Absolutely. Favorite convention or event themed with Star Wars that you've attended? Uh, let's go with his most recent one, Star Wars Celebration in London, where we were able to exhibit uh, at, as Galaxy Towards Bender. <laughs> when were you first introduced to Star Wars? Uh, I had three older brothers, so when I was born in 1977, I was, I was automatically in the circle of trust. What's your earliest Star Wars toy-related memory? Uh, my earliest memory is playing, we, we, I grew up in northern Utah where it is quite snowy uh, in the Wasatch Mountains area. And so my, my, most, my earliest memory is probably four or five years old, recreating Hoth scenes with all the Kenner, all the Kenner action figures in the AT-AT out in our own backyard in the snow. That, that's really the thing that sticks out to me the most with, with my three older brothers telling me, hey, it's not too cold, just stay out here. And it was, it was freezing. I've actually done that in Hoth. I guess that's I actually, right. That's right. I took, you... me, I took me figures and things like that. I can create those scenes. It was brilliant. I imagine, I imagine Vince was probably a little colder than Northern Utah. So that's okay. <laughs> if you could have one grail item from Star Wars, what would it be? Wow. I would love to have a Tusken Raider gaffer stick. That's what I'd like to have. <laughs> nice items, wasn't you? We haven't had that one before as well. Wonderful. What was your biggest Star Wars regret? Biggest Star Wars regret is, I would say, I would say when I was uh, younger in my married life and we were uh, purging items from our household, 
uh, all of the action figures and play sets that I had carried with me, uh, we were running out of room and I decided to bulk sell them at a ridiculously terrible price uh, and I still have much regret in that at least not trying to get a lot more from the large cache of toys that I had. What's your favorite Star Wars costume on screen? It is the Sand Trooper costume or the Tusken Raider costume. It just depends on the day. But <laughs> usually I go towards the Sand, the Sand Trooper costume. Yeah, that's a nice one. Nearly everybody goes Imperial Empress while God comes up a lot frequently. Sure, sure. Nice. And to wrap this up, Devine, if you had to just take one item with you to another planet, because the Earth is no more, what would it be and why? Okay, uh, obviously it'd be a lightsaber because you never know what you're going to run into. You have to have the protection. Well, thank you very much, Devine, for this interview. I'm sure our listeners are going to be in touch and uh, we're wishing you all the best of Galaxy Tours and hopefully um, I'll get out in Tunisia myself in 2024. That's the plan. Fantastic. Thanks, Rich. Appreciate it. Right then guys, so come at the end of another great show and we'll say this probably for the fifth year time, let's make it uh, much shorter for the next one. Seven weeks is far <laughs> too long to uh, have between shows and Pete's chuckling there because I'm guessing you think you think of the length of this one as well. God knows how long this one's going to be. Well received, uh, lots of feedback last month, so Partoy Junkie on Stores from UK. Thanks so much guys, I loved it. Spoons, you said it all on Han Hoth. Yep, I was that kid wearing his blue parka. Fur hood coat, all done up in the playground. And as for the special unique holster on the vintage figure that perfectly held his blaster, well it doesn't get better than that. I appreciate the audio and the Palatoy talk as I missed that go live. Great to hear the marketing side of it. Thanks again and look forward to seeing you all at Celebration. And absolutely John, we love meeting you at Celebration. Um, you know, thanks for all the support of our podcast. Jeff Tilly over on Facebook, the Trump Cards quiz game was just brilliantly funny. I really hope you do it all again in the future. Um, Spoons, I've got to say, I don't recall the words brilliantly funny being used when you did Trump's uh, <laughs> podcast. Um, well, I think it's probably the contestants <laughs> rather than the quiz master. <laughs> not so certain on that. I'm sure I've led you all uh, into those jokes. Got an email from John Bedford. Hi guys, just wanted to say thanks for the best of British panel you did at Celebration. I was only able to attend on Friday, but it was one of the highlights of my day. And oh. not just because it provided a welcome chance to sit down. <laughs> thanks for all you do for the community, for your enthusiasm, for sharing your knowledge. There was loads in your panel didn't know about, not least those blurry magazines. Thanks also for <laughs> battling through the racket from the rowdy neighbours on the Star Wars live stage. I'm guessing all the panels had to battle against that odd choice of labor. Oh. Finally, thanks for the ruler. Measures up nicely. Kind regards. May the force be with you, John. Um, yes, I got pointed out also that the crowds um, on that celebration last day se- seemed to be cheering far loudly when I was talking, getting drowned out more than any others. It was as if they were doing it on purpose. But John, we saw um, a number of panels and it was all the way through for the entire weekend. The good uh, thing yes, is, Rich, so. that mm-hmm. Chris Portis has recorded all the panels. Absolutely. So we should have, and he said the audio is fine. We should be okay. And there's yeah. be a release at some stage in the future. And lots of well wishers before the show um, at Celebrations. Philip White, brilliant. Wish I was going. Great to see the lads getting recognition they deserve. This is mainly feedback for being selected for the Collecting Tracks panel and for the podcast stage. David Reader, well done, chaps. That was excellent. Wish I'd been there in person. It's great to see. Jeff Johnson, what a crew. Looking forward to watching it later today. Mark Avery, great show, guys. You guys made our celebration. 
Hope it's not too long before we do it all again. Adam Tulisio, TVO is the number one podcast available. May the force be with you guys. Dominic Gibbs, really enjoyed your panel today. It's very fun to watch and put faces to voices we hear on your podcast. And on room sales, Andy Van Dyke. It's good fun at the room sales. Glad we went, even though we were both shattered. How on earth do you pronounce that? <laughs> Peter Matimp. Peter. Credits. Yeah, it was called him Peter. All credits to the manager of the Novotel. Well, I've got to say, guys, we were totally blown away by all of the people who came to see us at the collecting track and also on the podcast stage. Your support really means a lot to us as well as all your positive feedback that we receive both in person and online. If anybody's got any feedback to leave us on this show, then you can send us an email at swtvrpodcast.gmail.com or leave a comment on any of our social media profiles on Facebook, Instagram and many other places. It's also wonderful to see lots of comments appearing on YouTube, especially under Andy Norton's diecast shows. Um, so Andy, I hope you've been following those, but there's been some wonderful comments on there. Special thanks to Devine Anderson, Matt Fox and everybody at the Torquay Museum. We've had a number of guests on this show once again and as we always say, it's always the guests that makes the show. Be sure to check out galaxytours.com to learn more about what Galaxy Tours has to offer and the video that's up on YouTube that Chris Porteous has thankfully edited and put together. Right guys, really long show this month. Um, I'm sure our audience are going to really enjoy it but it's goodbye from Pete. Yes, just want to quickly say, great to see Chris Porteous, the first time we've all been together ever in the same place, which is fantastic. And a massive thanks to Jason for putting me and Chris up. Uh, Jason, I really do appreciate that. That really, really did help me out big time. So uh, you you do have the heart of a lion. It's goodbye from Andy Preston. Cheers, guys. Great to see so many of you at Celebration, and let's hope we can do it again soon. May the force be with you. It's goodbye from Jason Smith. See you later, folks, and hopefully I'll be uh, over the over the pond, Canada. <laughs> if um, they let you in, if they let me in, <laughs> it's goodbye from Andy Spoon and Orton. Thanks for listening, everyone. Remember, it's the hard not life. We'll see you tomorrow. <laughs> and it's a uh, later, guys, from me. And remember, only you can decide with Star Wars toys. This podcast is not endorsed by Disney, Lucasfilm Limited, 20th Century Fox, or anybody who cares about the Star Wars franchise. It is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. The official Star Wars website can be found at www.starwars.com. All names and sounds of Star Wars are registered trademarks of Lucasfilm Limited and other associated copyright holders. All of the original content of this podcast are the intellectual copyrights of the Vintage Rebellion. If you enjoyed this podcast, then feel free to email swtvrpodcast at gmail.com. If you don't enjoy this podcast, tough. Are Star Wars products going to have the durability of, say, that old favourite, the teddy bear? <laughs> Two days ago, they sent me a thing saying, right, we need an up-to-date CV, we need copies of the inside CV? Yeah, they need an up-to-date CV, which I want to update my CV and give them that. They needed photo photo pictures of my passport. They needed 
evidence of where I was staying in my flights in Canada, two two different forms that one of them they wanted to know everywhere I'd been outside of the UK for the last five years. And this one, this <laughs> this really annoyed and upset me. They wanted to know where, when and where my mum died, where and when what? my died last year. I was so fucking angry about that. What's that going to do with the price of fish? That's well, crazy. To know, apparently. So anyway, so I've uploaded all the documents and they are going to review them on May the 19th and let me know if I can just... I blame Chris Portia, so I reckon he's set you up. So, so at this point, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm still not welcome in Canada. <laughs> Special thanks to Devine Anderson and every other name that I completely forgot. Do you want to give us a game, Anne? Because <laughs> I asked uh, you Matt... to take them in the show notes, but you're not bothered. <laughs> Matt Fox and everybody at the Talking Museum. <laughs> right, I think that's probably enough for that section. I said we're desperate because time's getting on. Well, should we just mention that we did a panel, a couple of panels, just briefly, because they I were think we've quite. We mentioned fun. it like twenty thousand times on the previous show. I well, know, but yeah. we, you know, we and did it. And released it. I know, yeah, but we did it. We released, we, uh, we've released it, haven't we? So. And it was fun. You know, we could no, just. I'd, I'd move on. We've still got seventeen more revolutions to do. Yeah, can't wait for the next fifteen. Um, well, oh, well, no, we're only at number three. It's better be quick, Richard. <laughs> Too fair, Andy. All I heard there was beautiful Polish girls and. Kind of just got kind of went into a dream, <laughs> well, dream sequence. This, I think this is the use of beautiful in the true sense of the word. 